Greetings ladies and mentalgents and welcome to this match video for the web novel Fork This Life taken from the website Royal Road. And as always I hope that you enjoy and if you do please consider supporting the channel. It would very much be appreciated. Chapter 1 What the Fork I feel cold. I can't see a thing. Is this death? Is this death? The last thing I remember is, uh, the wall in front of me disintegrating in a flash of light. If something like that didn't kill me, that would be weird. But, then again, I have a thought. Can this be called death? What they call life is simply something that is born, grows, and dies. I suppose, therefore, the prerequisite is birth? Am I about to be born? Do souls lose memories after they are born into a new body? Am I a soul? I can't see anything. I can't feel anything. It is silent. I taste nothing. Smell nothing. Am I alive if the only thing that exists for me is a thought and cold? A feeling of pressure interrupts my musings, turning me into a panicked mess. Am I about to be born? Am I dying? Something wrong? What is happening? I would cry, but I don't have control over my body, if I have one at all. A short time later, the pressure disappears. The time feels like birth, not that I remember my last one. Yet again, I feel the pressure coming upon me. Then, a feeling of wetness seeping into me, like my entire being is being drenched with liquid, followed by the intense pressure bordering on pain. Or is it? I can't feel even a twinge. After a moment of pressure is relieved, but instead I have a revolting feeling that the liquid drenches me and the weight of me is pulled, sucked off and out of me. This definitely isn't birth. What then is it? A long time later, a lot of erratic pressure, moisture, pulling, pushing, sucking. With nothing more presenting itself, I am despairing for my future. Why? What did I ever do to deserve this? Is it that I didn't do? Should I have donated to charities, gone to church? Help! My musings are broken as, instead of the darkness, a dark grey rectangle resides in my awareness. Help! General information, available, commands. Well, that was unexpected. To think that through all of that I simply had to think, help! Another rectangle layers over the first, saying the same thing. I could see this getting annoying real fast. So, I try to think general information, which seems to work. Help. General information. This function is designed to assist the user to familiarize themselves, selves, itself existential equivalent with the system. Menu categories can be expanded with the thought, although system sensitivity can be changed in the options menu. Windows can be closed with the thought, although system sensitivity can be changed in the options menu. For a list of commands available to the user, view the Available Commands category below. For further information on command, simply speak, think, or your existential equivalent of words, help command. Exchanging the word command with the name of the command that you wish for more information on. This can also be done with unknown terms, although only very basic explanations will be given. This concludes the general information available to the user at this point in time, space, existential equivalent. Although this may change as the user's experience, existential equivalent more things. Available commands. 
That's disturbing quantity of existential equivalence. Okay, first let's choose all windows. The grey rectangles disappear, leaving my awareness a perfect nothing again. That worked, now... Options. Options. Life. Death. What the heck? That's strangely deep. Well, I suppose the only answer to that is life, isn't it? Status updated. Well, that's ominous. Suppose I should check on that soon. But first, close all the windows. Help. Wait a minute. I wonder if... Help, help. On top of the help window had already appeared. Another appeared. Help, help. This window is considered redundant as it requires you to have used the command prior to knowing how to view this window. If you have accidentally triggered this window, go to the help window. Huh. Close window. Available commands. The help window disappears, revealing the help window below. Help. General information. Available commands. Help. Triggers help window. Options. Triggers the options window, which contains various options relating to system functions. Status. Triggers the status window, which contains information about the user. Not much there, huh? Well, status it is then. Status. Name, none, race, living fork. Level, zero. Experience, three out of one hundred. Gender, none. Age, eight days, local time. Allegiance, none. Fame, none. Strength, zero point zero. Intelligence, ten point three. Dexterity, zero point zero. Wisdom, six point seven. Charisma, zero point three. Luck, five point one. Hardness, thirteen point eight. Durability, four point six out of four point eight. Titles, traits, skills. I'm a fork, that's it. I demand a redo. I'm picking death. Where are the options? Options. General, options, status. Command, sensitivity, window color. Can only choose known colors. Window style, window border, window transparency. Language, can only choose from known languages. Text one, text size, text color. Looks like I'm a fork then. Wait. Are there options in the options menu, huh? Close window. Options selected. Status. Change command for options. Change order of tabs. Nothing useful then. Let's go back to general command sensitivity. General selected. Options status. Command sensitivity selected. Command activated by saying thinking existential equivalent the command word or word with a similar meaning to the command word. Racial default current. Command activated by saying thinking existential equivalent to the command word. Command activated by saying thinking existential equivalent to the command word with the intent to use said command. Command activated by saying command with the intent to use said command. Window color can only be chosen by known colors. Window style, window border, window transparency, language can only be chosen by known languages. Text font, text size, text color. Wow. It's a bigger coincidence that I didn't open this window earlier then. Let's change it to speaking thinking with intent and color. Kinda wanted blue, but gray is fine, really. Hey, I'm a fork. Does that mean that all those weird feelings earlier was someone holding me and using me to eat? Ugh. I hope I was washed. Think about something else. Status. Status. Name none. Race. Living fork. Level zero. Experience three out of one hundred. Gender, none. Age, eight days, local. Allegiance, none. Fame, none. Strength, 0.0. .0. Intelligence, 10.3. Dexterity, 0.0. .0.
Wisdom 6.7, Charisma 0.3, Luck 5.1, Hardness 13.8, Durability 4.6 out of 4.8. Titles, Traits, Skills. Hmm, no name. I suppose I can pick one then. I'll do it later. No gender. Well, I am a fork, I suppose. Age, does that mean I'm one week since I reincarnated as a fork? Or one week since the creation of the fork body? No strength or dexterity, obviously. Don't know whether to feel insulted by that wisdom is so low compared to my intelligence, or happy that my intelligence is so high. Charisma. Hmm. I'm an ugly fork. Or is it that forks don't look good in the first place, so they don't have high charisma? Luck. Can't tell if that's high or low. I've taken a bit of damage, but not much. Now let's see titles. Status. Titles selected. Living. You are a living being as such. The energies of life heal you and the energies of death damage you. Trait. Average life energy absorption. Trait. Average death energy's weakness. Trait. Minute life affinity. Trait. Negative minute death affinity. Progenitor. The first of your species and the forefather. Your reputation affects the reputation of your entire race. Trait. Minor fame gain enhancement. Trait. 50% of your fame is added to the fame of your race. Household object. Being an everyday household object makes other beings less likely to notice and mention you to others. Trait. A small fame game reduction. Trait. Small presence reduction. Assumed inanimacy. Despite being a living entity and continually in the presence of other living entities, none have noticed your existence. Assuming that you have been an inanimate object. People are slightly less likely to notice you and less likely to notice your life energy. Trait. Minor presence reduction. Trait. Moderate life presence reduction. Fork. You are a fork. As such, you have been designed to pierce, scoop, and carry food. Trait. Minute taste enhancement. Trait. Minute piercing enhancement. Restricted to food. Trait. Minute carry capacity increases. Restricted to food. Second life. You have lived and died and once before. While you died young, the experience nonetheless is an advantage over others. Stats, wisdom plus one, intelligence plus two. Traits, skills. Well, I don't know what I expected, but it is not this. This is depressing, even if the system is saying my existence is bland. Think positive. Gotta stay positive. I can't collapse. If people are less likely to notice me, that's better, right? I got a couple stats boosted from the title, right? But, as I am now, I'll be doomed to live as a kitchen utensil. Oh, I can't give up yet. There's still hope in the skills, right? Huh, it kind of feels weird now that the window isn't changing every time I say the wrong word. Titles, skills. Status, titles, traits, skills, selected. Absorb basic, racial, high, rare. As a living being, the fork requires energy to live. However, as it has no organs of any kind, it has developed a way to absorb energy, or substances through the surface of its body. Rate of absorption has been controlled, although this ability is magical in nature, as it is a form of mana control, and mana can also be absorbed. Mana cost is zero. Currently, the only form of energy able to be absorbed is mana. Absorbing substances has a minor chance of giving traits, abilities, and skills relating to the substance. Finally, an op skill. Woot! Wait, that means I can't do anything unless I happen to get some food. 
or something useful with skills. Bang. End of chapter. Chapter 2. How to eat if you're a fork. What really sucks is that I won't even be able to tell what I'm eating, so I won't even be able to filter out potentially bad stuff. My life is now a lotto draw, except I don't know if the jackpot even exists, or any other prize, and they might be repurposing my house if I'm unlucky. Well, enough of the bad metaphors. Time to work. I forgot I'm a fork. I can only wait. Looking closer, the first requirement for me having a better life is first to be used as an eating utensil. I'd be boring my eyes out with depression if I weren't a fork. A pinching feeling interrupts me. Never have I been so excited to feel so helplessly pressed between what I assume are some fingers. Maybe I should absorb the hand. Even if I could, I doubt someone would keep what seems to be a demonic fork. Wait, will I be able to control the only activate the tip of the fork? Where is my head, anyway? Probably the opposite end to where I'm being held, I suppose. Well... I'll just have to try and focus on whatever I get embedded in. Here it comes. The sick, disgusting feeling washes over me again, the disgusting juices running all over my body. I feel the pressure and the tiny tines of the try to make it slide in. Whatever it is I'm being used to eat, sliding in with a brief burst of immaturity, I shout internally, Fork powers! Activate! Absorb! I focus on the desire to pull the surrounding material into me, but slowly. I feel the fluids encasing me disappear gradually, and the presence around me lessens slightly before disappearing abruptly. What? I can't have consumed it all that quickly, can I? Wait, before I panic, wouldn't whatever I was embedded in fall off if I consumed the matter around the tines, which were the things attracting it to me? That must be it. I hope... If I turn my attention to the windows that appeared before me, unbeknownst to me. Fluid of level 4 ooze absorbed. Experience gained 5.32. Durability recovered 0.02. Skill proficiency increased none. Skills gained mana sight basic. Traits gained none. Closure of this window will enact an aforementioned changes. Window will automatically close in 17 seconds local time. Flesh of level 9 bronze horn bull absorbed. Experience gained 12.74. Durability recovered 1.33. Exceeds maximum durability, reducing it to 0.18. Skill proficiency increased, absorbed 0.5%. Skills gained none. Traits gained none. This window will close in 18 seconds. Ignoring everything else, my vision was nailed to a single word. Sight. Since becoming a fork, the only thing that I could see was darkness. Then after a while, the windows. If I could see, it would change everything. I wouldn't be left to wallow in the misery after meals. At least, probably not. Not as much. Staring out at the single word fixated on a simple possibility. The windows in front of me winked out of existence. A moment of nonplussed disbelief is interrupted by a sudden feeling of my brain exploding. An inaudible screech of pain sounds out from me. Of course, as a fork, I have no brain, but the feeling is so similar, I assume it has to be. Although this nonchalant monologue was simply my thoughts as I reminisced about this moment later, 
but then I was screaming in pain as my vision bloomed into being abruptly. It was very disappointing to me back then, of course, after I had sufficiently recuperated from the pain. What greets my vision now is the same old darkness, but it is no longer a single color. Tiny white spheres drift around me, some in a large groups, others drifting around on the lonesome. After spending a while overcoming my disappointment and concurrent despair, I sadly conclude that I should have a better look at the new ability. I think it was a skill. I forgot everything else on the window once I saw the hope of sight. Sighing, I opened up my status for a better look. Status, name none, race, living fork, level zero, experience 21.06 out of 100, gender none, age, 8 days local time, allegiance none, fame none, strength 0.0, intelligence 10.3, dexterity 0.0, wisdom 6.7, charisma 0.3, luck 5.1, hardness 13.8, durability 4.8 out of 4.8. Titles, Traits, Skills My experience went up and my durability is fooled. I can heal and grow stronger by eating. I would call this a cheat, but I don't have any of the five senses, which limits me severely. Skills Status, Titles, Traits, Skills, Selected Absorbed, Basic, Racial, High, Rare, 0.5% Allows the absorption of energy or substances through the surface of the body Rate of absorption can be controlled, although this ability is magical in nature as it is a form of mana control, and mana can also be absorbed, mana cost is zero. Currently, the only form of energy able to be absorbed is mana. Absorbing substances has a minor chance of giving traits, abilities, and skills relating to the substance. Mana sight, basic, mid-rare, passive, toggled. You are able to see the largest congregations of mana around you, within intelligence multiplied by wisdom divided by 5 meters indistinctly. Well, that explains it, I guess. The white spheres must be mana. I focus my mind on putting the nearest sphere towards me. Nothing happens. Maybe I would need some sort of mana control skill to do that. Hey, absorb skills said it could absorb mana, couldn't it? I wonder what that would give me. Focusing on putting on the mana towards me, I activate the skill, but nothing happens. I suppose it did say that it had to be in contact with my body for it to work, didn't it? Hey, doesn't that mean that I didn't really need to be careful about my absorption speed? Being cautious is better, though. I'm still a butter-flimsy fork, you know. I should really check those traits now. Status, titles, traits, selected. Wooden ash, you are made from wood. You are moderately susceptible to fire, insects, and rot. Life energy absorption average. Life energy heals you, causing you to regain durability. Death energy weakness average. Death energy damages you, reducing your durability. Life affinity minute. You find it easier to gain fire-related skills and proficiencies than if you do not have the trait. Negative death affinity minute. You find it harder to gain death-related skills and proficiencies than if you did not have this trait. Fame gain reduction minor. The amount of fame you gain is reduced. Presence reduction small plus one. Others are less likely to notice you. 50% of fame added to racial fame. The fame of your race is equal to 50% of the fame plus the added fame of all other members of the species 
divided by the number of members in your species. Life, presence reduction moderate. Others are less likely to notice that you are alive. Taste enhancement minute. All food touches you, tastes slightly better. Piercing enhancement minute. It is slightly easier for you to pierce food. Carry capacity enhanced minute restricted to food. You can carry slightly more food than appearances would suggest. Skills Wooden fork, huh? So, is there any way that I could be more vulnerable? The racial fame thing sounds cool and all, but I can't reproduce even if I wanted to. I'm a fork, after all. Well, at least nobody will notice me. Ever. Cries. Ah, just kidding, I'm a fork, <laughs> no tear ducks. And thus, as I have nothing better to do, I begin observation of the little floating balls, hoping for one of them to come into contact with my body. Interestingly, my field of vision seems to be a full 360-degree sphere. I suppose having no sensory organs has a bit of a payoff. Totally not worth it, though. Floaty balls. Floaty white balls. I'm really bored. Hey! Is that ball drifting towards me? No, it swerved away. But one that has just drifted past me suddenly swerved towards me. Get ready. Absorb. Mana conglomerate absorbed. Experience gained 5. Durability recovered 1. Exceeds maximum durability. Reduced to 0. Skill proficiency increased. Absorb 1%. Skills gained none. Traits gained none. Window will close in 29 seconds. Ah, talk about a big lead up to nothing. Well, waiting again. Thus, time passes. Meals come and go, mana drifts, and it's occasionally absorbed. 6,935 forks leaning on a wall. 6,935 forks. Take one down, throw it to the ground. 6,934 forks leaning on the wall. And this is how I pass the time. I have no biological functions and am thus incapable of sleeping. I started at 10,000 just a little while ago, and I'm already this far along. I've absorbed all the manner that comes in contact with me. Nothing better to do, after all. Even so, there have been barely a dozen, but the proficiency of absorb I'm getting from them is decreasing. You'd think that having absorbed more manner, but remember, it has to come in contact with me. Even if it floats one millimeter away from me, I cannot do a thing. Aye, what's that weird ball of mana doing? Crazily moving in a spiral towards me. Is that going to hit me? Thanks for the meal. Absorb. Mana conglomerate absorbed. You've gained five experience. Durability recovered one. Exceeds maximum durability reducing to zero. Skill proficiency increased. Absorbed 0.6%. Skills gained none, traits gained none, window will close in 29 seconds. Trait developed, mana touched, minor. You have consumed mana repeatedly and it is thus permeated through your body, changing it in some ways. Were you made of flesh and not wood, you would have instead contracted a deadly disease. Lucky you. Stat unlocked mana, the source of the most magic systems. Stat intelligence plus 0.5, hardness plus 0.2. Durability plus 0.2. Charisma plus 1. Window will close in 29 seconds. Viva la magic! What does that even mean anyway? Oh well, I got magic. Well, mana anyway, and that means magic, right? 
Amusingly, at the center of my vision is now a fork-shade accumulation of banner. Yeah, I can see myself. How? How do I even see it all? Don't question the anatomy of a fork. You'll just get confused. End of chapter. Chapter 3. Forkit Manor, Where's My Numbs? So, a long time passed. Of course, since there was no time function or clock, I don't know how long, but it was probably a long time. I've been used to about 40-odd meals, so it's 13-ish days if I was being used three times a day. Unless forks aren't used for breakfast, in which case it may be 20 days. Nothing exciting has happened. I've deliberately been eating food, so why haven't I gotten something new? It wasn't kidding when it said there was only a chance for this to happen. Since I am not sure if overstuffing myself with manna can make me explode or something, I've stopped eating the manna apart from the small amounts that I'm apparently eating with meals according to the skill description. So I spent 13 to 20 plus days watching white balls float around and nothing but a few messages saying, You got nothing from this. Good job. What's that you're asking? Can I do magic now? No. I can only presume that it is because I have no control skill. But I can't move mana inside or outside my body. Imagine if you got a pool of, I don't know, not water, because it's essential to life and mana isn't. Hmm, how about lemonade? Yeah, you got a pool of lemonade and you want to drink some, but you got no cup, no mug, you're not even a bowl or a bucket. What? Use your hands, you say? Screw you, you racist pricks. I got no hands. Don't judge. Anyway, you can't drink the lemonade, can't do a thing with it. So, no magic. What's that? Did I forget about experience? I should have leveled up by now. Yeah, I did it twice. Got 2.5 status points per level. Yeah, you can get pretty precise with these point allocations. Interestingly, I can put points in durability and hardness as well as the more generic ones. Being the weird fork that I am, I unhesitantly put the points to even out my stat numbers, leaving me with 3.6 points, which annoyed me, so I dumped 1.1 into hardness and 1 into durability, 1 into charisma and 0.5 into wisdom. Unfortunately, I am unable to increase luck, so that's going to be stuck like that forever. Status, name none, race, living fork, level 2. Experience 15.52 out of 300. Gender, none. Age, 5 weeks, local time. Allegiance, none. Fame, none. Strength, 0.0. Intelligence, 11.0. Dexterity, 0.0. Wisdom, 7.5. Charisma, 3.0. Luck, 5.1. Hardness, 15.1. Durability, 6.0 out of 6.0. Mana, 110. Mana regen, 0.75 per minute. Round numbers also makes the math for finding out how my vision is much easier. I mean, I could have done it easy before, if I had a pen and a paper and don't forget numbers. But oh wait, I'm a fork and I can't hold a pen even if I had one. But now, 11 times 7.5 is 77, plus 55 divided by 10 equals 77 plus 5.5 equals 82.5. Then divide by 5, and hey presto, it's 16.5 meters. Now that you and I, who I'm talking to, wait, I'm thinking, because I can't talk, 
because I have no mouth, because I am a fork. I'm bored again. Let's stop this insane internal monologue. Fluid of... Absorbed. Fluid of... Absorbed. Fluid of... Absorbed. Fluid of... Absorbed. Fluid of level 10 slime absorbed. Experience gained 13.78. Durability recovered 0. Skill proficiency increased. Absorb 0.4%. Mana sight 3.2%. Exceeds 100%. Reduced to 2.1%. Skills gained mana sight advanced. Traits gained none. Window will close in 29 seconds. Pain blossoms in my head and blackness overcomes me. Just kidding, I don't have a head. And the blackness is what happened when I got toggled to my metasite skill off. I wanted to be able to control it this time, but in case there was pain again, which in retrospect may not have been the best of ideas. Manasite advanced, high rare, passive, toggled, 0%. You are capable of seeing smaller conglomerations of mana than before, within intelligence times wisdom divided by 2 meters. Their forms are now more distinct, but still blurred. I stare, figuratively speaking, at the button which activates my mana sight, literally speaking. I mean, I can activate and deactivate it by winning it, but I can also do it from skill list, which I am now staring at while I persuade myself that it won't hurt that much. It doesn't work. I think of just closing my eyes and jabbing at the skill to activate it, before remembering, I have neither eyes nor fingers with which to jab, so I grip my tines and uh, give up. What are you looking at me for like that? Hey, you're telling me that you can knowingly walk into something which you are fairly sure will replicate the most painful experience of your lives. You're on one or three. No, four things. One, lying to yourself. Two, you are crazy willpower. Three, you have never experienced pain greater than a chipped nail. Four, you are stupid. I am not going to simply activate Manasite when... A twinge of pain jolts me from my crazed monologues as my vision once again blooms with light. And this time, it isn't just little white balls, but, of course, I'm too busy rejoicing with the distinct lack of pain in comparison with the previous time to take note of this. Once I am finished celebrating and wipe the tears that I don't have from the eyes that I don't have with the fingers that I don't have, I, um, look around? You can't really call it looking around when you have a permanent sphere of vision. Below and behold, there's a sphere is now a dome. Yes, sirree. I am not as sad about it at all. Why? Well, that's because I can see the ground. Yes, you heard me. I can see the earth, presumably beneath me. How, you ask? Manna. There's manna dang near everywhere. In the ground, still floating around like some sort of magic wind current. Trees. Wait, trees? I'm outside, huh? Didn't expect that. But the biggest shock comes when I finally look a bit closer to home, so to speak. After all, directly next to the center of my vision... Me, who is, by the way, seemingly floating off the ground a meter or so. Don't ask me why. I probably know if I could levitate. Is a humanoid figure outlined by a white glow of mana. Yeah. Thinking about it, not so surprising. Actually, back to the floating part. Why am I doing that? Why is a person not caring about the fork levitating a constant distance from his back? 
Yeah, what? Looking closer, and yes, I can look closer. I can just barely see a thin stretch of manor above and below me. Looking again, I can also see manor faintly in the shape of various objects. I can vaguely make out a shape of... a squirrel? What the heck? Well, it isn't moving, and looking again, I can't see it standing on a circular... thing. Hey, I can do shape but not material, got it. I won't even be able to tell this person is a statue of him or is he standing still. Assuming the material is the statue contains manna. Back to the squirrel. It's still a squirrel. I'm guessing that it is wood carving or a figurine or something. Unless it is a stuffed and glued onto that stand. Couldn't tell the difference. That may be a bit awkward in the future. Just imagine. Nice statue of a bull dude. That's a criminal. He was impaled. Oh. Yeah. Not that I can talk. I would say I'm working on that, but I'm still likely to get teleportation as speech from this lottery. Or maybe not. So, back to the humanoid, and I say humanoid again, I can only see vague shapes. So, I probably won't be able to tell this person from any other person. Well, this is an improvement, I guess. At least I can see the general gist of what's happening around me, talking of which... I think we, as in I, the fork, and he, the humanoid, are currently moving through the forest. By which I mean he, she, it is moving through the forest with me in their backpack. Hey, hey, I should be able to keep track of time now, if I just count the day every time the dude sleeps, right? That's kinda nice. What's he doing now? Looking around, I can see a group of four small humanoids, which, given my luck and high definition, could mean that they are human children, gnomes, dwarves, goblins, halflings, or simply short people. Of course, half of those assume that it's a fantasy world. But hey, there's manner, there's a system thing, and I am a sentient folk. There should be, at least, be dwarves and goblins, yeah? So what'll they do? I see, turn around and walk away. That's cool, I totally wasn't anticipating my first view of live combat at either life albeit in 144p. End of chapter. Chapter 4 In Soviet Russia, fuck it you. Well, remember those short people? The next day, well, in the period of time after he slept once and before he slept another time, they came back with another 20 or so other shorties. They were all wielding, well, they were probably wielding clubs, you know, the whole not being able to differentiate between different materials thing. Could be, I don't know, what's a cloth? Yeah, that's a bit of a stretch, they're clubs. And to combat this, the dude I attached to his weirdly gropes around his waist, then clasps his hands in front of him. He's praying? That's weird. I mean, not the praying thing, but the fact that he's doing it while surrounded by 20 midgets with clubs. Anyway, combat commences, and it looks really weird on my end. He, or she, sort of flails and clasps his hand towards the short people. Then, the closest one just falls. Well, that's what happens for the first two. Then he gets surrounded by the clubs, and gets downed fairly quickly. What does that mean for me? The backpack gets ripped off of his back and searched. The squirrel, still inanimate, gets tossed along with a few other things. I get taken... 
Not sure if that's a good or bad. Maybe they think the fork is better weapon than a club. Or they use forks. That sounds racist. I hope that they use forks. It takes a surprisingly short amount of time to get back to where the base was. It is basically a cave system with some shabby-looking buildings in it. They enter through a large crack in the ground, climb down a ladder, and enter, presenting the epic loot to the leader. I have no idea what anyone is saying, if anything, but I end up being given to another of the short people. Can I call them midgets? Is that socially acceptable? Hey, what am I saying? I am no longer part of society. It doesn't matter. A little later, it's mealtime, and thank the heavens I'm being used as a fork as intended. Thus, I am able to absorb some food. It would have been better if I hadn't. Putting it mildly, they weren't dragging the guy that I was with before into imprisoned him. Worse yet, I didn't even get a skill or trait. I would vomit at this point of events normally, but I have no stomach to vomit from. At this point, my internal grimacing is interrupted by tall people entering the caves. How can I tell, you ask? I again remind you that I can see anything around me that contains mana, within the radius of the skill, which last time I checked was 41.25 meters. Not much in paper, but a decent distance nonetheless since I can see through walls and all. I assume some sort of alarm is raised because all the midgets start moving animatedly at the same time. I, who is being used to eat a meal, is still being clutched in one hand of the midget running towards the cave entrance. The midgets congregate in a central area and then split up into two groups going into various passages. I, or rather the midget holding me, is in a group going to the side passages, from what I can see. This tunnel ends in a bit of a concealed opening above a tall people's head. Ambush, huh? It seems these shorties have been some sort of intelligence then. After all, short people are by their nature bad at close combat. Being light, having less muscle mass, and being unable to reach their opponents are a severe handicaps. In the meanwhile, my group of midgets has reached the concealed exit and are waiting there. Probably for the other group who have just reached the other concealed exit on the opposite side of us. After seeing each other, both groups jump down and the tall people below. Regarding the tall people, there are five of them, one advancing with a large stick held high. Why does everyone have clubs? Midgets fall from the ceiling, and I am raised high, and one holding me prepares to stamp down. I won't break, will I? The answer to that is a resounding... Yes, accompanied with what I am expected to be pain, but it is in fact just a sense of wrongness in part of my body as one of my tines breaks off. How embedded into the flesh of one of the tall people. Calling on my status, my durability has dropped down by 3.2. If this keeps up, I won't last the battle. As the last, first and only option available to me in such cases... I activate this absorb in the hopes that I can regain some of my lost wood. A brief but considerably frantic battle later, I have not only not managed to regain said durability, but managed to lose a further 1.7 durability. And another tine, leaving me with a handle, a solitary tine, and only 1.5 durability. I am not in any way happy about this. The only thing I've gained from this combat was a bit of EXP and an absorbed proficiency. 
The midget holding me takes a single glance at my broken state before throwing me away as he turns up to loot the down tall folk. Well, ain't that just peachy. Dust and dirt accumulate on top of me as time passes. I absorb it. A window comes up telling me that I gained no skills or traits, no proficiency, and the durability gained is 0.0. Excellent. Days and weeks pass, judging by the amount of times they've slept. Dust accumulates, is absorbed, and accumulates again countless times, as I pursue the status screen for the upteenth time in my boredom. I notice that my durability has gone up by 0.01. I would celebrate this minor improvement, but going by how long it took for me to get from 1.51 to 1.5, it's going to take me hmm, 3.49 times. Let's say 3 weeks equals 9 plus 1.2 plus 0.25 equals, yep, 10.47 weeks. Wait, no, that's 349 times. So that's 1,047 weeks, 52 weeks in a year-ish, so that's 520, plus 520 equals 1,040, about 20 years. No thanks, is that what I want to say, but I literally have no choice but to tough it out, huh? Commit suicide, you say? If only it was so easy. You try and strangle yourself with no limbs, no throat, and no need to breathe. I literally have no control over my own life or death, and therefore, if I can't kill myself, I am forced to struggle towards a better life. Am I not? I absorb a little of the ground underneath me, but it causes me to sink slightly. Wouldn't want that, after all, a potential rescuer has to be able to notice me, not that they would be in the state. Absorbing the ground gets me 0.03 more durability, but it still doesn't do much. I would absorb some mana conglomerates, but they don't seem to be common down here. Just dust, dirt, and damp. A midget steps on me in one point, I absorb a bit of the bottom of his foot, but he probably just thought he stood on my point. He kicked me away and gets another 0.03. Now I'm at 1.57. Whoopee. My scurry around the cave, and insects crawl along the ground and seeding. Months have passed, and I've barely closer to the completion of my goal, at only 1.72. I've absorbed a few insects and have crawled over me, but have gotten very small durability in return. Negligible experience and proficiency returns, and no skills and no traits. Oh, barring that one. Herculean strength large, and possession of the ability to exert strength far beyond your peers. Multiplies base strength before using passive or active skills by 10. Yay, my strength is now multiplied by 10. That increases it to, let me check, um, 0. 10 times 0 is 0. I mean, it's a great skill and all, but I got no strength in the first place. Useless. In other news, next to my strength of 0.0, there is now in brackets another 0.0. What fun. I assume that this is a stat after being affected by my stats and traits. Got that one from an ant? Yeah, goes to show, doesn't it? You can get good skills and traits from anything. It's only been another few weeks, but now I am unable to have any semblance of an accurate measurement of time. The reason? The midgets got eradicated by tall people. I almost missed their constant activity. 
No, I only have insects, arachnids, and small marsupials to keep me company. Pro tip, they ain't good company. Well, at least they occasionally walk over me and let me absorb them. Mental Diary, Day 274. I don't know how many days have passed. I don't know how many insects I've eaten. What I do know is that a spider is Harold, those mice are George, Margaret, Sally, and Popo, and that one is Dolores. I don't like Dolores. She's a prude. Title gained. Insane. Congratulations, you've lost your marbles. Or maybe you found them. Who knows? Not you. You're too busy conversing with mice. Strangely, things have a way of working out for the mad. Stack gained luck plus three. Wisdom minus five. Dexterity plus one. Strength plus one. Ha! Luck rhymes with duck! Classic. Skill gained. Self-repair basic. You have been repaired so many times that you've figured out how to do it yourself. By expending an energy type, you can repair one's own durability or recover your original form. Current energies are able to be used. Mana. Exchange ratio 10 mana to 0.1 durability. Hey, since when couldn't I regrow limbs? Let's do it right now. Self-repair gained 1.1 durability. Hey, my tines grew back. Let's dig a big hole. Diggity diggity hole. I'm digging a hole. Whee! Core processor of level 20 logic bot version 3.2a absorbed. Experience gained 20.0. Durability recovered 3. Exceeds maximum durability, reducing to 1.3. Skill proficiency increased. Absorbed 0.5%. Exceeds 100%. Reduced to 0.2%. Skills gained none. Traits gained structured sanity. Hey, what just happened? Where in the blue blazes am I? Why am I sitting inside what looks to be a robot? I have so many questions. Moving on. Let's check the status. Wait, what are those windows? Level 20 logic bot version 3.2 A killed. Experience gained 1,325. Skill proficiency increased. Absorb 0.5%. Exceeds 100%. Reduced to 0.2%. Title. Insane has been altered to clinically sane. Benefits from previous title have been replaced by this title. You have experienced the most people fear and overcome it. One way or another, the experience has changed you for the better. Stat gained. Luck plus 5, Wisdom plus 1, Dexterity plus 0.5, Strength plus 0.5, Intelligence plus 1. It gained, Steady Mind Minor removed, redundant due to structured sanity trait. Level up, you are now level 5, 7.5 stat points gained. Absorb has evolved into Absorb Advanced due to 100% proficiency. Absorb Advanced, Racial, Low, Unique, allows the absorption of energy or substances through the surface of the body or at a distance of intelligence multiplied by wisdom divided by 10 millimeters. The rate of absorption can be controlled, although this ability is magical in nature, as it is a form of mana control and mana is also absorbed, mana cost is currently zero. Currently, the only form of energy able to be absorbed is mana. Absorbing substances has a minor chance of giving traits, Abilities and skills relating to the substance. I was insane. Well, that's fun. 
Let's bring up the status before anything else happens. Status Name, none. Race, living fork, level 5. Experience, 473.27 out of 600. Gender, none. Age, 8 months, local time. Allegiance, none. Fame, none. Strength, 0.5, becomes 5. Intelligence, 12. Dexterity, 0.5. Wisdom, 8.5. Charisma, 3.0, like 10.1. Hardness, 15.1. Durability, 6 out of 6. Mana, 30 out of 120. Mana regen, 0.85 per minute. Unspent stat points, 5. Evening my strength, dexterity, hardness, and wisdom puts me down to 2.4 points, to 2.6. Durability is basically my health, so let's dump 1.6 in there, and that leaves me with 3.5 to put into wisdom. Status, name none, race, living fork, level 5. Experience, 473.27 out of 600. Gender, none. Age, 8 months, local time. Allegiance, none. And fame, none. Strength, 1. Becomes 10. Intelligence, 12. Dexterity, 1. Wisdom, 12.5. Charisma, 3. Luck, 10.1. Hardness, 16.0. Durability, 7.6 out of 7.6. Mana, 30 out of 120. Mana regen, 1.25 per minute. Unspent stat points, 0. Hopefully, I can get out of this mess somehow. End of chapter. Chapter 5. Ruined ruins ruin tall people, making them rue not ruining the ruins. Oh, and they pick up a fork. So, sitting in these ruins, well, more like lying, really. Well, one can only lie down when one cannot stand in the first place. Either way... I am currently in a horizontal position on the floor, and of course I can't move. Thus, I am deep in underground, and unless I can somehow reconstruct and control a robot that I'm inside of, I am not going anywhere. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Anyways, let's get out of this robot. My absorb skill is so that I can absorb things 15 millimeters or 1.5 centimeters away from... Better than zero, may as well absorb as much as I can to this thing as I can, so I can start absorbing the metal around me in a hemisphere upwards. Well, to be exact, it's less of a spherical and more like a fork shape-ish. After all, if 1.2 centimeter lines were drawn from every point of a fork, pardon the pun, in every direction, there would be shapes and bumps in the shape produced. Well, after absorbing the material above me and absorb the stuff below me until I hit the ground. Well, 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 looks like I've had luck. Is it ready paying off? Or is it because I absorbed so much of something than usual? Maybe both. Mithril alloy absorbed. Experience gained 50. Durability recovered 10. Exceeds maximum durability reduced to 0. Skill proficiency increased. Absorbed by 0.1%. Skills gained none. Traits gained magical metal. Overwrite trait wooden. Hmm, let's see what this one does. Status, name, none, race, living fork, level 5, experience 423.27 out of 600, gender, none, age, 8 months, local time, allegiance, none, fame, none, strength, 1, becomes 10, intelligence, 12, dexterity, 1, wisdom, 12.5, charisma, 3, luck, 10.1, hardness, 18.4, durability, 10 out of 10, Mana, 240 out of 240. 
mana regen 2.5 per minute, unspent points 0, titles not selected, traits selected. Wooden ash, you are made of wood and are now moderately susceptible to fire, insects and rots removed. Life energy absorption average, life energy heals you, causing you to regain durability. Death energy weakness average, death energy damages you, reducing your durability. Life affinity minute, you find it easier to gain life related skills and preferences than if you do not have this trait. Negative death affinity minute, you find it harder to gain death related skills and proficiencies if you did not have this skill. Fame gain reduction minor, the amount of fame you gain is reduced. Presence reduction small plus one, others are less likely to notice you. 50% fame added to racial fame. The fame of your race is equal to 50% of your fame plus the added fame of all the other members of the species divided by the number of members of your species. Life presence reduction moderate. Others are less likely to notice that you are alive. Taste enhancement minute. All food that touches you tastes slightly better. Piercing enhancement minute restricted to food. They're slightly easier for you to pierce food. Carry capacity enhancement minute, restricted to food. You can carry slightly more food than appearances would suggest. Mana touched minor, mana permeates your body, changing it in some ways. Herculean strength large, in possession of a ability to exert strength far beyond that of your peers. Multiplies base strength before using passive or active abilities by 10. Structured sanity, moderate. A well-structured mind is a strong mind. You are resistant to mind-affecting or altering effects such as fear, charm, and hypnosis. Magic Metal You have now gained the properties of a magic metal, Bithril. Your body conducts mana at twice the normal rate. Your passive mana absorption is doubled. Your maximum mana is now equal to intelligence multiplied by 20 instead of intelligence multiplied by 10. Your maximum durability is increased by your maximum mana divided by 100. Your hardness is increased by max mana divided by 100. Well, that's not op at all. Well, it would be if I could move or use magic and that structured sanity. Obtaining that must have been what broke me out of the insanity. If I hadn't hit this robot, I might have kept absorbing the ground in my insanity until I burst into flame from the heat when I got to the mantle. Hey, that's actually a method of suicide that might work. Better not risk it. After all, in a world of magic, there might not be a mantle. Gravity might be a constant throughout the depth because magic or something. And then what would I do? Stuck at the core, unable to do anything but constantly absorb the Earth. Could I eventually consume the entire planet doing that? Better not try. Moving on from that, what did I do now? Well, I suppose what I always do. Eat things that touch me and watch the swirly balls of mana. And how far can I see now, you may ask? 75 meters in all directions. Not too shabby. Of course, it would be better if my vision wasn't like that of a colorblind old man's. But you take what you can get. But speaking of my sight, with the 75 meters of vision, I can see the surface and a bit above, I think. I can actually see the boundaries of my vision unless there is something with mana there. Otherwise, there is no difference between the blackness inside my vision and the blackness outside of it. In fact, this is quite like what I imagined being deep in space would be like. A black abyss of space surrounded me in all directions, interrupted only by a myriad of specks of light above and beneath me, like all the countless stars. 
coupled with a feeling of helplessness as I am unable to move on my own free will. Well, it was more like space at the start, when I couldn't even see the ground. The day moves on, presumably though, I can't tell any difference. Another rower comes along and picks up the unmoving chassis around me. What does it look like? Don't know. It's a block of white to me. I just know that it's a bot because of the notifications. Well, this is interesting. There's something people on the surface. A group of five. Oh, hey, they found the cave. And they found my fork-shaped hole down here. Ah, that must look real weird. They're looking at it. Would be great if they could come down here. Yeah. Hey, they dropped something down here. Hey, wait. Ow! Not that I can feel pain. That's just a leftover instinct from my last life. So, it's some sort of stick thing. Maybe a torch, a flare. I don't know. Can't see light. Just looks like a stick. They kind of take turns looking down. I'd say just jump down, please. But the hole is tiny. And I can't talk. Ah, they're leaving. Oh, and they're back with shovels. Probably. Again, they look like they're carrying sticks to me. They are making movements like a shovel, and the earth is being moved like a shovel. Maybe metals don't have mana in them. Can confirm the sticks are shovels. They've been coated in, presumably, dirt, so then I can see them. Where are they up to? About halfway down. It's a pretty wide hole, and they are using buckets, likely wooden, since I can see them on a rope to haul out the dirt, and they climb out using the same rope. I wonder if they'll pick me up. One thing I didn't factor into my expectations, they were digging down directly above me, which of course means that when they get through the ceiling, some collapses on me. I am now buried in the dirt. They aren't looking this way, they aren't. Absorb! I now have a very strange area of dirt around me. Unnatural? What are you talking about? Just pick up the fork. They notice me, I think. They are looking over in the my general direction, at least. They are walking towards me. Oh, the excitement. One picked me up and put me in his bag. And hey, you take what you can get. I'm out of here. One of those bots are coming. Hope they don't die. That would really suck. Brightness of one of them dims slightly as his manner rushes towards his palm, forming into a ball which shoots towards the approaching robot. It barely slows, but it gives the others time to draw the weapons. Not that I can see them. They dash around, flanking it on three sides from the short distance away. The last guy? Baggage carrier. Surrounded, you'd think that they would be it, right? I mean, special mithril alloy and all, but it was half their size. But no, two of them attack from the opposite sides, something which anything organic would have a great deal of trouble with. But this robot... It beautifully stops the two attacks, which I can't see with its two arms. The person behind it attacks with its timing, believing it to be completely open. He was mistaken. The upper body of the robot spins 180 degrees, flinging the weapon still in contact with its arms to either side as it moves them to parry the attacks. Is it a difficult enemy for them? I don't know. Probably. Is it impossible? Nope. The three jump back and the major toss a ball of highly compressed mana, which proceeds to land upon and expand itself to engulf the robot. It looks no different other than the mana having dimmed a little, but its movements become erratic and illogical. It is swiftly beaten down with some precise jabs, I think. Again, I can't see the weapons. 
hip hip hooray and all of that, but there's another five speeding down the corridor connected to this one, you know. Apparently hearing something, one of them looks in that direction, opens the mouth, shouting, I suppose, and points in that direction. The others look up just in time to see the robots round the corner, sparing them no time at all. The group rushes up the rope, with me in their bag. Finally. So, here we are, on the floor of the cave. The five who picked me up are sitting on the ground, probably resting or talking. The bagman takes me out of his pack. They all sit around staring at me. Hey now, don't look at me like that. I'm getting flashbacks of the goblin. You aren't going to just chuck me away, now are you? Oh, back in the bag. Good enough for me. Up, another rope, and a hello, surface. It's been a while. Thinking back, I've spent more time in a cave than I have here. How depressing. But that's all over now. I'm back on the surface again, and I ain't going back. Well, not unless I possess the means to leave myself. Or if someone just chucks me down there. But let's not think about that. Hey, it looks like we're setting off. Hope we're going somewhere with good food. Let's see. I need a light-based sight, vibration-based hearing, smell, and taste. Well, I don't really need them, but they would be good. A sense of pain? Maybe better to avoid it. I mean, it's great for biologicals, but for a fork. I won't be subject to disease, poisons, and the like, so I shouldn't need it. Other than that, I need to be able to talk, whether that's with my mouth, some sort of vibration magic, or telepathy. I really want to be able to talk again. You have no idea how lonely I feel. In my past life, I wasn't exactly a social butterfly. I never took the initiative to talk, but even so, think about it. You always have some sort of human contact, right? Whether that's commenting on someone's person's livestream, arguing against a troll, there's always some sort of conversation every once in a while. But yeah, even when I was surrounded by a million people, I wouldn't be able to communicate with a single one of them, even if I wanted to. It's a difference between choosing solitude and being forced into it. It's stifling, to say the least. Dang it! I'd be crying right now if I had tear ducts. Moving on, what's happening on the outside world? More traveling, huh? Well, let's take a look around. Trees, trees, dirt, more trees, more dirt, squirrel, trees, squirrel, and trees. I think those are rabbits, some blobs, antelopes, trees, dirt, boulders. Fun stuff. Hmm... Something strange is mixed in with the previous sentence, you say. What are blobs, you say? Ah, yes. The blobs. The blobs? What are the blobs? Well, I suppose they could be misshapen rocks. They're changing shape weirdly, so no. I suppose that they could be slimes that I've eaten so much of. Seriously, what is with that? It isn't a whole thing of slimes that were highly acidic. You'd die, you know. Your stomach would dissolve and things would happen. Like, would it eat away your body, or wouldn't it flow down the, um, existing passages, dissolving as they go? The only reason I'm able to think about this without cringing is that I don't possess those organs. So, let's just assume they're slimes for now. Slimes are slowly, what would you call the movement of a sentient gel-like substance? Sliming? Oozing? Rolling? Let's go with ooze. Ooze is a cool word. You don't often get to use the O sound when words, and you don't often get to use the Z either. Ooze. Back to slimes. 
They're oozing along on the ground of the forest in random directions about 20 meters away. Can they not see us? Well, seeing how I've got mana sight on them, they're probably using that too. And I can't imagine that they wouldn't have high intelligence and wisdom, so maybe they can only see a few meters away. Wait, if those stats are around, say, three apiece, and they only held a basic skill, they couldn't be able to see more than two meters. Slimes are more blind than bats. Wacky. Well, that was conveniently or inconveniently, depending on your view, 20 meters away, but directly in our current direction of travel. So there will be more combat. I don't suppose I'd be used as a weapon, will I? Oh, well, speaking of that, if somebody uses me to kill something, who gets the XP? Does it go to me, the being that directly impacted the enemy, or the person holding me who provided the force required? Would it be different what would happen if someone slammed into somebody into someone else, thereby killing them? What would happen if the person being slammed died? Would the person doing the slamming or the person being slammed into get the EXP? Oh, they've already killed the slime. Looks like I got distracted. Oops. Oh well, it wasn't like I wanted to see it or anything other than its entertainment value. What are they going to do with the dead slimes? They're putting them into containers. Are you planning to eat that later? No processing or anything. I wonder if they're high on something. Given my luck, they probably are, and they'll probably end up killed by something, and me ending up on the forest floor. Better than a cave floor, I suppose. Much more wildlife and a chance for people coming by. I do hope that I can get some movement or hearing skills or traits soon. I can't expect to get them from a normal animals, because their senses are related to their biology, and thus use a fork without such a biological capabilities. It is unlikely that I would be able to acquire them. So, how can a being without sensory organs see, hear, and speak? Uh, magic? Is there anything else? I really don't think enough about this world. Looks like it's mealtime. What are you doing, slathering that slime all over the meat? Hey, do you already have forks? I hope not. Look at me. I'm much prettier than the other forks. Use me! Yes! One of them is searching for the bag I'm in. No! What are you doing? You just moved a hand in front of me. I was right on top. You've literally checked everywhere. Except where I am. How is that even possible? Finally! He finds me and it takes me from the bag. Looks like it's time he's showing the fork off. Well, I do have exceptional high charisma for a fork, assuming my starting 0.3 standard, and that is indeed what charisma does. But if that is it, this fork is absolutely fabulous compared to its past self. Did that sound gay? Oh well, I am genderless, so I can't be gay. Yay for not having to worry about sounding sexist or homosexual. Although I am a fork, so nobody would expect me to have a sexual orientation. Do I have a sexual orientation? Wait. I don't have those pheromone things, so doesn't that mean that I am attracted to neither gender? Wait, a fork. Why am I wondering about sexual orientation when there would be zero difference in my life? Wait, isn't it mealtime? I almost forgot to eat. Grey ooze and elk meat, huh? Wait, wasn't hunting deer a royal thing and other people doing it was poaching? Are elks deer or a similar species? Are these guys poachers? Is there a royalty here? Wait, forget that guff. I'm in another world. 
common sense from the previous one isn't exactly useful here. Level 7 and 10 respectively, no skills or traits to use gave me 0.04% proficiency for my mana sight. I suppose if the users slash slimes have a basic mana sight, I might be getting less proficiency because mine is at a higher level. I really need to stop getting sidetracked. Oh wait, no I don't! I have nothing else to pass the time with. I really wish that I could move. Looks like they're sleeping now. Have fun, me! Of course, they are taking turns keeping watch. We are in a world with monsters, after all. And I'm assuming that a bundle of sticks is a fire. If only I could see light. Come, some monsters attack, please. Can't something happen? Ideally, I would really like a very small and high-level monsters to fall directly onto the pack on top of me. That'd be great. Please? Of course not. The luck was a currency I'd have spent it all of mine landing on that rowboat while digging. Wow, insane. Seriously, what are the chances of being in some sort of ancient ruin directly below that cave? And there's a big robot directly below where I was digging. Probably minuscule. If that's commonplace in this world, then its world is probably crazy. So what will I use to pass the time tonight? How about I just count? One, two, three... Four, five, seven thousand three hundred twenty-six, seven thousand three hundred twenty-seven, seven thousand three hundred twenty-eight. Oh, look, they're getting up. Morning, huh? Well, that's assuming they're not nocturnal. Well, doesn't matter whether they are or not to me. I don't sleep at all. Wish I had something practical to do while there was nothing happening. You know, some sort of training or a book. If I could train, I would be much more efficient than biologicals. The whole don't-need-to-sleep-eat-or-take-breaks thing. Hey, do they have breakfast? I want them to have breakfast, and I want it to require a fork. Have I thought of this before? I'm getting slight deja vu vibe here. It looks like they indeed have breakfast here. Of course, it could not be called breakfast here. We might not even speak the same language. Or are there skills for language? Well, I don't have one for English, so I suppose not. Hey, there's an interesting question. If there was a language, girls, would it be recognized as English or something like American? Because most people who speak a language are from there, are they? Now, I wish I had Google again. Or if people have the same language, would it be called English or something else? I wish my reincarnation came with an auto-translate function. You know why they don't? No skill for it. But now, back to the food. More alk meat and... What's this? Variant grey ooze. It ooze. That's cool and all, but uh, could you give me a skill? Variants sound like they would have good skills. So, one of those oozes they killed earlier was a variant. I wonder if they noticed. I hope they have more of that. I want rare skills. But, at the same time, stop eating it. Acid is bad for you. Except for, you know, when the weak acid in your saliva and the acid already present in your stomach. The forest is large, we've traveled for maybe half a day, and still have no end to the trees. Hey, I hope we aren't going in circles. They know where they're going, right? How sucky would that be? Them dying of lack of food or water because they can't find their way back out of the forest. And then I'd be on the forest floor again. If I fell tines down into a big rock that was careful about my absorb, could I become the fork in the stone? Oh yeah, fun fact about my vision, it centered on me. 
by which I mean precisely it is exactly its rotation is fixed on mine. I am currently vertical in a backpack, so to my right hand side is the ground, and these people look like ninjas casually walking up a cliff face. In other words, when I'm dropped or the person carrying me in the bag turns around, my vision rapidly spins. Truly vomit-inducing experience. Were I still human? I'm just confusing too. I'm Im imagine looking up and all you see is the ground. Well, you can do that if you're upside down as a human too. But in my case, the blood doesn't rush to my head. And I don't have those ear canal things to track balance. So I have to visually confirm I'm the wrong way up. Rather than instinctively knowing. A meal? Sure. Can I have skills? Yes. Excellent weight? Yes. Fluid of level 12, grey ooze variant, it ooze absorbed. Experience gained 27.62. Durability recovered 2.03. Exceeds maximum durability, reducing to 0.0. .0. Skill proficiency increased, absorb 0.1%. Skills gained, telepathy basic. Traits gained, psychic. Window will close in 18 seconds. Well, well, well. This is interesting. Can I finally talk? Let's take a look at the stats, skills, and traits. Status. Name, none. Race, living fork, level 5. Experience, 515.37 out of 600. Gender, none. Age, 8 months, local time. Allegiance, none. Fame, none. Strength, 1, becomes 10. Intelligence, 12. Dexterity, 1. Wisdom, 12.5. Charisma, 3.0. Luck, 10.1. Hardness, 18.4. Durability 10 out of 10, mana 240 out of 240, mana regen 2.5 per minute, PSI 125, PSI regen 1.2 per minute, unspent stat points 0, titles unselected, traits selected, wooden ash you are made of wood and are moderately susceptible to fire, insects and rot, removed, life energy absorption, average, life energies heal you, causing you to regain durability. Death energy weakness, average. Death energy damages you, reducing your durability. Life affinity, minute. You find it easier to gain life-related skills and proficiencies than if you did not have this trait. Negative death affinity, minute. You find it harder to gain death-related skills and proficiency than if you did not have this trait. Fame game reduction, minor. The amount of fame you gain is reduced. Presence reduction, small plus one. As others are less likely to notice you. 50% fame added to racial fame. The fame of your race is equal to 50% of your fame, plus the added fame of all the members of your species, divided by the number of members of your species. Life presence reduction, moderate. Others are less likely to notice that you are alive. Taste enhancement, minute. All food that touches you tastes slightly better. Piercing enhancement, minute. Restricted to food. It is slightly easier for you to pierce food. Carry capacity enhancement minute, restricted to food. You can carry slightly more food than appearances would suggest. Mana touched, minor. Mana permeates your body, changing you in some ways. Herculean strength, large. In possession of the ability to exert strength far beyond your peers. Multiplies base strength before passive and active skills by 10. Structured sanity, moderate. A well-structured mind is a strong mind. You are resistant to mind-affecting or altering effects such as fear, charm, hypnosis, magic metal. You have gained the properties of magic metal, mithril. Your body conducts a mana twice at the previous rate. 
your passive manner absorption is now equal to wisdom divided by 5 per minute, instead of wisdom divided by 10 per minute. Your maximum mana is now equal to the intelligence multiplied by 20, instead of intelligence multiplied by 10. Your maximum durability is increased by your maximum mana divided by 100. Your hardness is increased by the maximum mana divided by 100. You have unlocked the hidden potential of your mind. Stat, unlocked, psi, skills. Absorb, advance, racial low, unique, 0.6%. Allows the absorption of energy or substances through the surface of the body or at a distance of int multiplied by wisdom divided by 10 millimeters. Rate of absorption can be controlled, although this ability is magical in nature. As it is a form of mana control and mana is also absorbed, mana cost is zero. Currently, the only form of energy able to be absorbed is mana. Absorbing substances has a minor chance of giving traits, abilities, skills relating to the substance. Mana sight, advanced, high, rare, passive, toggled, 0.75%. You are capable of seeing smaller congregations of mana than before within intelligence multiplied by wisdom divided by 2 meters. Their forms are now more distinct but still blurred. Self-repair basic, low, rare, active, 3.26%. By expending an energy type, you can repair your own durability and recover your original form. Current energy is able to be used mana. Exchange ratio 10 mana to 0.1 durability. Telepathy, basic, mid-rare, active, 0%. Allows one to communicate with other beings in exchange for one psi per second, multiplied by distance between the user and the target in meters, to a maximum range of wisdom times intelligence divided by 10 meters. Currently, only able to communicate emotions. So, I can't talk yet. Damn. Well, at least it gives me something to train on. It would probably be best to practice on small animals and the like, right? Wouldn't want to accidentally cause my stampede of balls or something if accidentally transmitting fear to them, right? Or freak out people carrying me with unexplained fluctuations of emotions. I hope I'm not this unbelievably chatty and distracted when I get to talk to them. Speaking, or rather thinking of that, I should start thinking about what I should or should not say to them. End of chapter. Chapter number 6. Not-so-epic training montage of motionless fork. It's very confusing and you use at first. I can't figure out how to choose my target of communications, for one. After several attempts at mentally shouting telepathy, I want to talk to a squirrel. I find that simply focusing on the low-res representation on my vision connects me to them mentally. And then there's a very confusing for both of us. I feel the animal's curiosity and hunger for a moment before the emotions bleed uncontrollably across the connection, and the feelings I receive turn to confusion and fear. The connection ends a few moments later as it speeds away, leaving me with a half-consumed side pool. But I keep trying with any animal that I can see that's within 15 meters of me, getting used to the ability over time. Of course, there are times when my sigh runs out, many of them, going at a rate of 1.2 per minute. It takes an hour and 44 minutes to fully renew itself. Hey, wait, can't I use that as a way of keeping time? Thank God, I can finally track time even if it's a really annoying method that isn't exact because the gaps of timekeeping when using telepathy. 
I keep training my telepathy for a few days or so, checking the skill later. It has only gained a few percent of proficiency. However long this takes, I will get someone to talk to again. I'm very glad that nobody heard that. On another note, we have moved out of the forest. It's strange to realize that the only landscapes that I've seen in this world are that of trees and a cave. Some nice open plains I see. Or rather, nice for anyone but me. There's long grass everywhere. Did I mention that my vision is a bit blurry? Ah, if I don't focus on the grass, it looks like my group is buried waist-deep and wading through the ground. Very disconcerting. Quite amusing image, actually. I think I'll try and remember that, having a good laugh in the later. When I'm not in a perpetual state of semi-depression, that is. Depression aside, there is a mouse scuttling past and the person whose bag I'm in. A perfect practice opportunity for telepathy. Hello, mouse. Are you suddenly feeling happy? No, this is not suspicious at all. Continue staying in place. Very large, scary people are not dangerous at all. And eat happy fun times. Moving away. Sad, depressing times. Yes, you move back this way. Good mouse. And it's gone. Out of sight. Hey, the ground is undulating weirdly. Never mind, that's the grass blowing in the wind. So, what do I do for the hour and twenty minutes waiting for my side to regenerate? Why, I'm so glad you asked. Ninety-nine bottles of beer on the wall. Ninety-nine bottles of beer. A couple weeks later, I have a good thirty-two percent in proficiency. Why am I talking to myself? Because I'm terribly bored, of course. An hour and twenty of inactivity, then a minute of activity. Rinse and repeat. That means that I spend most of my time doing nothing. I got to eat some more of the it ooze, which boosted the proficiency a bit. Which is nice. I'm only grinding out this proficiency because I have to, after all. If I were a human, or even an animal, I wouldn't be spending so much time on it. Hopefully I'll be able to evolve the skull in about a month or two. The fields of grass are now past, thankfully. They made me dizzy. Not literally, I can't get dizzy, but, well, you know. A month later, and we have reached the civilization. Hooray! And I've gotten a bigger range of food to eat since I've got ya. And that's good. But still, nothing gained by the XP. I'm fairly close to leveling up again, actually. I think that they have a bit of a fight over who would get me. Hey. Now that I think about it, I don't think that I've been washed in a very long time. Have they been uh, eating from a fork that's been held in a cave dwelling midgets, stabbed into people, sat on the ground for who knows how long, and was bound in some old ruin? Ugh, wait. I've been using absorption, aren't I perfectly clean? But they don't know that. Ugh, just kidding, I can't hurl. Not that I miss that part of being a human. Seriously. The monologue after 99 bottles of beer, and still an hour and 20 minutes hasn't passed. I suppose it could be worse. What if there were no animals in the city? What could I do then? Hey, what if I was dropped down a toilet? Not going there, not thinking about it. Hang on a moment, are we heading towards the food stalls? I think we are. Looks like he's hungry. I'm not, but I'll eat anyway, if he is. Assuming the person I'm with is with a he... Yeah, never know. Especially when you can't even tell one person from another. Wonder what the stuff is. Flesh of a level 18 mind flare absorbed. Experience gained 31.48. Durability recovered 2.31. 
exceeds maximum durability, reducing to 0.0. Skill proficiency increased, absorbed by 0.01. Telepathy by 40.01%. Skills gained none. Traits gained none. Window will close in 18 seconds. Level up. You are now level 6. 2.5 stat points gained. Well, that moves up my schedule a lot. I really need to start thinking about what to say. I know I've had a month to think about it already, but what can I say? Procrastination is my finest asset. Now, those stat points, I'm not going to even try evening out the hardness and durability, because they'll just change again whenever I put points into intelligence. Screw it, I'm just going to dump it all into intelligence and wisdom. They're the only ones I use anyway. Status, name none, race, living fork, level 6, experience 330.36 out of 700, gender, none, age, 10th month, local time, allegiance, none, fame, none, strength, 1, becomes 10, intelligence, 14, dexterity, 1, wisdom, 13, charisma, 3, luck, 10.1, hardness, 18.8, durability, 10.4 out of 10.4, Mana, 280 out of 280. Mana regen, 2.6 per minute. Psi, 130 out of 130. Psi regen, 1.4 per minute. Unspent stat points, zero. Titles, traits, and skills unselected. What can I say? I'm the smartest fork in existence. Unless there is a fork somewhere that possessed by a genius. But barring that, smartest fork. Now, let's take a look at how we're doing with our proficiencies. Oh, you have got to be kidding me. Telepathy, basic, mid-rare, active, 97.89. Allows one to communicate with other beings in exchange for one psi per second multiplied by distance between the user and the target in meters, to a maximum range of wisdom times intelligence divided by 10 meters. Currently only available to communicate with emotions. The windows change color, you say? Well, I remembered you could change it, and you may have noticed that I somewhat dislike my current state of monochrome vision. And so I thought to myself, if I can't see color in the world, why not just for the windows? And there you have it. Why blue? Yeah, I don't know either. Seemed fitting. Wait, why? In games, aren't the status windows usually some sort of grey, brown, black, and transparent? Why is blue fitting? Well, whatever, those are dull blue it is. Reminds me of the ocean, good old ocean. Nearly killed me a few times, but hey, that's Kenny's job description. So, let's see what I should say. Should I say that I'm the fork and that it'll get more powerful depending on what you feed me? No, no, definitely not. Shouldn't even tell them I'm a fork. Hey, who believed that anyway? Hey you, yes, this isn't the talking to yourself. I'm the fork, feed me. See? He'd think he's gone bonkers, or there's a demon spirit or something talking to him. Hmm, maybe I can pretend to be a ghost that's haunting him. But what if he just goes to a priest to get me exercised? Wait, is animistic ghosts a friendly animistic ghost? That might work. Might fail terribly as well. But better than a straight out I'm a fork attempt. But what if he still tries to exercise me though? That won't really work, Millant. What if I pretend to be something else? Does he have the little squirrel statue? No, wait, I got an idea. Similar to animistic ghosts, but not. It's, I don't know how to describe it. Ang, I suppose you'll have to wait and see. Wait, who is the you I'm referring to? I hope I'm not going insane again. Well, time for some telepathy training.
And there's a rat right behind the food stalls. Yep, note to self, never eat food from the food stalls. Well, just a couple percentage left. That should take a few days at most. Now, come over here, rat. There's something scary in the opposite direction. Run towards me. Oh, it got stomped. Another rat, then. Telepathy advanced, high rare, active, zero percent. Allows one to communicate with other beings in exchange for 0.5 psi per second multiplied by distance between the user and the target in meters to a maximum range of wisdom times intelligence divided by 5 meters. Allows the user to share emotions and thoughts with the recipient. I can talk! Ish. It's a hell of a lot better than before, at least. Now, to talk with small animals. Of course, gotta test it out first. Oh, you, rat, uh, muffins. I really didn't think that through. It completely ignored me. Well, they can't understand speech after all. I suppose I'll have to find a good time to talk with this person. At night should be best, yeah. I'm getting a bit nervous about this. That night. Should I? When should I? Is now a good time? It's probably a good time, right? What if there'll be a better time? Now that it comes to it, can I muster up the courage to do this? I mean, I was forced, but I haven't talked to anyone for a long time. Oh, come on, Fork, channel the boff. Just do it! Target initiate telepathy. Hello? Uh, can you understand me? Hmm? Someone there? The voice responds in my mind, sounding as if I was thinking in another person's voice. Not that I was doing that, I hope. I try again. Yes, can you hear me? Yes. But who are you? Where are you? The voice comes again, initiating the conversation. Success. Continue the conversation. You can hear me then? Yes. I didn't even know if it was working properly. Um, sorry, I don't know. You don't know? The voice asks. Initiate lying. I don't know who I am, or how I got you, or where here is. What do you know about yourself? He asks. Mix in some true parts. I have mana sight, so I can see you, but I can't hear or feel, and I couldn't talk for a long time. Can you talk with me, please? Sure, but where are you speaking to me from? I think he bought it. Maybe. But just in case. Telepathy. The reason you're the first person I spoke to is that I only recently trained it to a level where that I could transmit my thoughts. As for exactly I am, it doesn't matter. I can't seem to affect the physical plane at all. And I'm invisible. To be blunt, I'm directly in front of you. Telepathy is cheaper than sigh if I'm closer to the target, after all. Amusingly, I see him bolt upright and stare ahead of him for a little while before talking again. Of course, I'm still in his pack, but he doesn't know that. And that pack is leaning against the bed, so being close to him isn't a lie. So, what are you usually doing if you can't talk or hear? He asks. Well, for better or worse, we seem to be on to a conversation. I shouldn't have to lie anymore. Watching, it's all I can do, really. It's somehow boring because I can't tell people apart, but it also keeps me sane. The status window says I'm around 10 months old, and I only became able to use telepathy yesterday. What about you? I'm eager to know. Well, anything really. Anything to make time pass easier. His voice continues sounding in my head, just as I presume mine is sounding in his. Me? Just your average traveler. I go wherever I think I'll find money. 
Not that I'd ever find much, but it's enough to live by. So what's your name? I ask. Ferdinand, I think my parents hope for me to become a knight, because what village boy has a name like Ferdinand? How about you? What's your name? Oops, I forgot to think up a name. I don't have a name. Even the status window just says none, I say. Maybe your name is none, Ferdinand says. That's a name and a half he's got there. Sounds foreign. Wait, everything's foreign here. I'm lucky we speak the same language. No thanks, could you think up something a bit better? Village boy, remember, we don't exactly do creativity. We do practicality. Are you male or female, anyway, he asks. Genderless, but I would prefer a male name than a female one, if it comes to that. I used to be a guy, so I might as well have a male name here, too. He lists out a bunch of names that couldn't sound more boring if he tried. How about Gerald, Harold, or Roy, John, Jack, Alex, Bob, Bill, Donald, or something like that. But it doesn't matter much to me, so I pick the one that sounds best to me. Those sound pretty average and common. Whatever. I'll go with Gerald. Hey, I tried my best, you know. Remembering something, I check my status. Oh, by the way, my sigh is almost gone, so... Well, that was the most fun I've had in this life, depressingly. I'll just talk to him again when he gets up. Wonder if you'll think it was a hallucination or something. One way to find out. But in the meantime, beer doesn't count itself. 13,297 bo- Ah, he's getting up. I could have trained telepathy more during the night, and maybe I should have. At the same time, though, I needed to have enough to talk with him in the morning, and proficiency gain decreases drastically after reaching the advanced level of the skill. Will a single night make a difference? Perhaps. I start to use telepathy again. Good morning, also I assume. I can't tell the difference between night and day. So it wasn't a dream, he says. He stretches out and continues to speak. Yeah, it's morning, first light to be exact. Although I'm surprised you know about that. Didn't you say that you have no memories? Improvise. No, just that I don't know who I am or how I got here. I know some random pieces of information of what I assume is common knowledge for people here. Things about time, the cycle of the day and night, the feeling of the wind blowing. I wish I had a sense of touch. That's harsh. Knowing pleasure but not being able to reach it, Ferdinand said. Do you reckon I could follow you around? I can see through obstacles and such with my man of sight, so I can tell you if you're about to be ambushed and such. I ask, but a bit misleading, since he can't really get rid of me unless I tell him my true identity. But I should ask anyway. That doesn't sound half bad, but what do you get out of it? He sounds a bit suspicious. Someone to talk to. A sense of fulfillment from helping someone. A sense of pride from accomplishing something. Perhaps the first friend that I've ever have. Sounds like a fair trade to me. I say, and this time I am perfectly honest. He looks like he's thinking about it. Now would be a good time to mention that not all thoughts are transmitted via telepathy, only the ones intended to transmit, which is why I haven't accidentally shouted out, Actually, I'm a fork! I was really relieved when I noticed this. After all, do you have total control over your thoughts? No. You always have the occasional straight thoughts that you yourself think are very strange and even disturbing. Meanwhile, sure. Just try not to distract me when I'm around others in combat, he says finally. Can do, I agree. 
only emergency communications in such circumstances. So what's the agenda for today? Agenda? What's that? He asks. Right, education level here is a bit lower than back home. Clearly. What do you plan to do today? I clarify. Find work. What else? Oh, and go to the local smithy to get my equipment repaired. And so we headed out, with him aware of my existence for the first time, watching him walk down the street, content in the knowledge that there is at least one being out there that knows I exist. Strangely, he stops in the middle of the street looking to one side. There's nothing there. Something up? Why'd you stop suddenly? I ask curiously. Just a fortune teller, he says. Probably a fake. You never know. I look again. Nada. I don't see anybody. Either the person there has no manner in his body, or you're seeing an illusion. Either way, get out of there. What? You can't see him. Everyone has manner. It's everywhere. You can't not have it. Maybe there's something out to him after all, he says, confused. A highly suspicious man with no manner. Get out of there. I can't have him dying now, can I? I just met the dude. Come on, we're in the main street. Plenty of people. Besides, I can protect myself. He says, fair point. Fine, but don't blame me if something goes wrong, I say. And so, watched him sit down on an empty alleyway for a while. I keep the telepathic link open, just in case. Not that I'll be able to help much if something does happen. After a few minutes, he gets up and he walks back into the flow of the people in the street. Don't be so sudden. I might lose track of you. Not really. I'm in his bag. Not in any way hopeful, I ask him about what happened. So, anything meaningful? He sounds a bit disappointed. A typical sham, he prattled on about how difficult fortune-telling was. Something about the very act of telling someone their future, altering it drastically to a separate future. Or something like that. Only good thing he was he was didn't ask for money. More detail. Poor dude here. Yeah, but did he actually tell you anything? A single strange cryptic line about how you are, what you eat, and how my future would depend on that. Well, that is strange, I concur. It's a coincidence, right? But then again, first fortune teller I can't see, then him saying something which I can only interpret as a reference to the butterfly effect, then something that sounds suspiciously close to describing my absorbed skill. That's a lot of coincidence. Now, I should keep it a secret, right? As long as nobody knows about my true form, nothing should really occur to me, at least. So, uh, where's the blacksmith? End of chapter. Chapter 7 Oh God, burn it! Burn it! With fork! Lucky for me, I don't need to know, since I'm a hitchhiker. Ferdinand navigates the busy streets of the city until he finds a place that he's looking for. I figure I can train and be practical at the same time. So I keep my telepathic link with him until it gets below 30 psi, and then I'll wait for it to refill before doing it again. Not that I say anything. You know, thinking about it, we need to talk about some sort of signal. I mean, keeping some for emergencies is all well and good, but what if he needs to urgently ask me something? He wouldn't be able to do anything but wait for me to say something. Meanwhile, Ferdinand deposits his equipment into the blacksmith and walks out again. How long will the repair take, I ask, mostly for something to say. 
A few hours. A blacksmith always has work to do, after all. Nearly everyone has a weapon or two, even if they don't have armor, and all that equipment has to get repaired regularly. Not to mention making new equipment for sale, he says. Hey, Ferdinand, I've been thinking. I'm keeping a small amount of my side that I don't use just in case of emergencies. But I got to thinking, what if you need to talk to me and we aren't connected? What, you thinking of some sort of signal that I could do to tell you that I want to talk? Like what? he asks. I don't know. I don't know. What? Don't know? he asks. It's short for don't know, I explain. Oh, how about when I scratch my head? he proposes. Sure, but what about when you actually need to scratch your head? I say skeptically. It doesn't cost you a much sigh for a few seconds to confirm whether I actually need to talk, right? Here's a point there, and it's not like I have anything better to do. True, we'll go with that then. If I can remember, that is, and if I'm not doing anything else that distracts me. So what now? I ask. Food, he says, making sense. It is morning. I wish I could eat. Sorry, he says awkwardly. Don't worry about it. I'm used to it after all. I kinda eat, but I can't taste right now, so I would be happy if I could taste water. Well, it is what it is. We walk out of the open gate. Well, I'm... Is there some sort of adjective for the situation? This explanation is getting repetitive. Anyway, he's joined up with another few people to hunt some monsters that are getting close to a nearby village. By the sounds of it, a common occurrence. The same old ground, the same old grass, the same old figures walking along. That's what it looks like to be. Speaking of manicide, it is slowly gathering proficiency at about 30%. I suppose that's because I have it on all the time. I imagine that even if, say, a human had a manicide, they would rarely use it, because it would overlay on top of their normal vision and make them a bit queasy and confused. They uh, can't turn off the sight, can they? If they could do things like that, if they were fighting an enemy with sound-based attacks, couldn't they just turn off their hearing? That would be strange, but then again, it would be annoying if I got some sort of light-based vision and couldn't turn it off. I would still like to use mana sight, after all. Traveling seems very boring, honestly. All the journeys I've been on so far have looked the same to me. But again, that's due to my vision. Hey, that's not boring. A spider! Wait, how can I see it so easily? How big is... How big is it? Big spider nearby, I shout out into Ferdinand's head. Where and how big, he asks. Look to your right, I shout again. Ferdinand POV. I look to my right and instinctively shiver. Its leg hairs are thicker than my sword. Dear God, why is something like this so close to the city? I have to alert the others. Prepare for battle, giant spider to the right. The archer starts speaking and then at a loss for words as he looks to his right. What? Just a giant? The scout looks casually over and then starts bolting in the opposite direction, shouting behind him, Freck fighting, I'm running! The mage looks over and falls over sideways in a dead faint. Damn, she fainted. We can't fight even if we wanted to anymore. Just run! The last member of the party is a bit better, but he too starts to run, and I call after him. What about her? Forget her, he calls back without returning. I can't just let someone like that die, but uh, I might die too. What do I do? This is no time for hesitation, damn it. 
Hoisting the limp body of the woman over my shoulder, I start running in the opposite direction of the monstrosity. It was a good distance away. Who knows if it saw us? Boom, 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 boom. Echoing rapidly in the distance alongside the sharp sounds of snapping branches, I hear it getting closer. What do I do? What can I do? At that moment, Gerald's voice popped into my head. It's getting closer, fast. How's your throwing arm? Throwing arm? Not bad, but how does that help me? I think back, still furiously running away. You'll have to do everything I say if you want to live, he says. Like he can do anything, he can't even touch anything. Besides, I don't trust the thing one bit. Why should I trust you? I think back, anyway. Unlike me, he's irritatingly calm. You'll die if you don't. Now cut the chit-chat. Put that person down and open up your pack. I don't really have a choice, do I? I drop her on the ground and sling my pack off my back. As I do, he talks again. This will sound crazy, but take out the mithril fork you found in that strange ruin. That does sound crazy. Hey, how did you know I found it in a ruin? It was mithril, I think back. Although I said that, my hands were frantically searching through the bag as the sounds of the thing grew louder and louder. Explain later, just get it out, and this will sound even crazier. But when you find it, I need you to chuck it at its head of that spider, as hard and as accurate as you can, he says quickly. That is crazy. You are crazy, and I am crazy for listening to you. No, I'm not. I even have the title saying how sane I am. What was he even talking about? Ah, there it is. Grabbing the damn fork, I get up and put my arm above my head in preparation to toss the thing. Looking forward again, I can see the monster rushing towards me. Don't they say the bigger ones are slower? Who said that? I want to punch him. Its eyes are the size of my head, taller than the trees. I can see its legs weaving around the trees, not minding the branches, its torso is ripping past and shaving the tops of the trees. This should be close enough, right? Don't mess this up. Dear gods, please let this work. Shouting out a prayer, I throw the fork with it with all my strength. Feverishly, I watch it whirling through the air towards the spider. My body is covered in a cold sweat and my heart is bleating louder than the drums of my village's festivals. My eyes strain as it flies out of sight. The wall of dark hairiness that is a gigantic spider covering most of the scenery in front of me. I brace myself for death. Then it stops. That can't have worked, right? Why would throwing a fork at it stop it? Then it falls over. Its legs curl, looking like the skeleton of some long-dead behemoth. It actually died. How did it die? His voice pops into my head again, sounding a little distracted. I know you want an explanation, and that's fine, but first you have a piece of cloth or something like that. I always carry a few bits of cloth to repair my clothes with. Will that do? I ask, unable to believe what has just happened. Should be fine, I found a long stick, he says. A stick? Why does he only ask for strange things? Looking around, I find one that could almost be a walking stick. Not hard when you're near a bunch of trees. Gerald's voice sounds in my head again. Now again, this will sound strange. The fork you just threw to the spider is currently underneath its head. You can use the stick to get it out from underneath it. 
with some of the liquid dripping down of the spider's head, and it's probably poisonous, so try not to get close to that. It is strange, I shout mentally back, but you saved my life so I can retrieve the fork. I inch closer to the body, wary of any movement. When I reach the corpse, I look under the head of the thing. The spider is so large that its head is a short way off the ground, so I can see the fork and the clear liquid dripping down onto it. I am not stupid enough to think that that's water. Grasping the stick, I use it to scrape the fork along the ground until it is well away from the head. Don't touch it, it's poisonous. Use the piece of cloth to pick it up and wrap it in. And probably don't put it near food. Of course it's poisonous, because poison was just dripping on it. Taking out a scrap of cloth, I use it to pick up the fork, then wrap it around carefully and then tie it up with a piece of twine. Okay, now explain. Gerald's POV. Well, this'll be fun, if only for his reaction. That was one hell of a level up, though. Don't have time to look around now, sadly. Okay, I'll explain, but bear with me, because this'll be the craziest thing that you've ever heard in your entire life. That's a bold claim. Well, get on with it, he says. Well, you know how I said I didn't remember anything. Sorry, I lied, I admit. Okay, still not crazy, he said, taking in as much better than I thought. I just couldn't trust you. I'm not really sure I can, even now, but whatever. I say, continuing. I wasn't lying when I said that my status said that I was eight months old, but that's not the whole truth. I used to be human. Okay, getting stranger, but still not really crazy. People do die and turn into vengeful coasts occasionally. They do. This place is weird. That's not me. For starters, this place I live doesn't seem to be this world. How can you be so sure, he asks. No manna, no monsters, nobody carries weapons. There aren't rats running around the food stalls, I explain. Anyway, I died in that world, and I seem to have been reincarnated in this one. But he seems more core to my first sentence. There are rats running around the food stalls. Seriously? What's reincarnation? He asks. I sigh. Reincarnation is the concept from my previous world. No clue if it's in this one. I wasn't lying when I said to you that you were the first I'd talked to. The concept is that after you die, the deeds that you did in that life would be judged. Your memories would be wiped clean, and depending on how good you were, you would be reborn as another being. Murderers and thieves and such would be reborn as insects or something, while saints, when those who donate to charities, would be reborn in a human body full of potential. Ferdinand says, okay, I think I get it, so how about you? I wasn't the best of people, but I didn't do anything bad. I have no clue what I did to warrant this, I say. What do you mean, what were you reborn as? He asks curiously. This is the crazy part, you're holding me. What? I'm not holding anyone, Ferdinand say confused. No, I'm the fork you're holding. What? I'm not holding anyone, Ferdinand says, confused. Oh great, Ferdinand.exe has stopped responding. Let's try turning it off and on again. The spider woke up. He shone a good meter into the air as he frantically looked back at the spider, understandably facing towards the corpse of a gigantic spider, or resting is not good for your mental health. No, it didn't. Why? Why would you say that? He shouts. You were repeating yourself, I explained. 
Mun, after I said that I'm the fork that you're holding, you kept repeating yourself, I repeat. You can't be serious, he says. I assume he means the fork, not the repetition, because that would be scary if actually dead serious, and I can prove it. I have a skill that lets me absorb substances at a very short distance away from my surface. It's what I use to kill the spider, I explain. The fork could be enchanted to do that, he urges. Fine, I say, you remember that prophecy you got before. What was it? You are what you eat. Yeah, what about it? The other effect of my absorb skill is that I have a small chance of gaining traits and skills from what I absorb. I explain. In other words, I get stronger depending on what I eat. Strangely similar, right? How do I know you aren't making all of this up? He asks suspiciously. Man, this is taking a while. My sight could only hold out for so long because he's holding me, and the distance between us is almost zero. I talked about the ruin where you found me in, right? That should be proof enough. I got my mana sight from a skill from an ooze, my telepathy from an id ooze variant, one of the ones you killed and were eating, by the way, and another boost from my telepathy skill when you ate one of those mind flayer tentacles. Why would I eat a mind flayer tentacle? Ferdinand protested. That's disgusting. They're people too, you know. That is disgusting, I agree. I don't want to eat people. You did eat it, though, just a few days ago at a food stall on the street. Wait, you mean that fresh octopus he was selling was actually... He asks, dreading the answer. Yep. Let me just vomit a bit, he trails off. He vomits a bit. After cleaning himself of a bit, he starts talking to me again. Say I believe you. What then? Nothing really, I say. I'm poisonous now, so you can't use me to eat. But you can still throw me at monsters, when nobody else is around, of course. Why, when nobody else is around? Ferdinand asked. I can't move, therefore those who know about me effectively control what I do, I explained. I would rather be unknown, to be honest. I only talk to you because I was worried that I'd go insane again. What do you mean by again? He asks. Well, if you really wanted to know, do you remember the hole in the cave that let you find the ruin that I was in? I was the one in that cave for at least five months, with not a single other being. Imagine staring at an unmoving picture for five months. I went insane. Recklessly, I absorbed the ground, tunneling down, and luckily managed to land on top of one of those robots in that ruin, which gave me a trait that got me out of insanity. You are weird, very weird, he says. Yes, very. Now, if we're finished here, I'm going to take a look at what I got after killing the spider. Sure. Finally, the anticipation was killing me and the whole conversation, just remembering those windows came up. Brain matter of level 83 spider matriarch absorbed. Gained experience 213.26. Skill proficiency increased absorbed 0.4%. Skill gained, body of deadly poison, basic. Traits gained, poison resistance, huge. Level 83, matriarch killed, experience gained, 57,570. Level up, you are now level 27. 68 stat points gained. Yeah, should it have been that easy? I mean, seriously, that's, what, 21 levels by getting thrown at something. I know, I have absorbed all, but shouldn't there be some sort of counter to that? Wait, there is, I think. I can only absorb mana and matter, so if someone uses another type of energy to attack me, I can't do anything about it. 
68 stat points, such an increase. Let's have a look at my status. Status, name Gerald, race, living fork, level 27, experience 4308.26 out of 5400, gender, none, age, 10 months, local time, allegiance, none, fame, none, strength, 1, becomes 10, intelligence, 14, dexterity, 1, wisdom, 13, charisma, 3, luck, 10.1, Hardness, 17.8. Durability, 10.4 out of 10.4. Mana, 280 out of 280. Mana region, 2.6 per minute. Psi, 130 out of 130. Psi region, 1.4 per minute. Unspent stat points, 68. Titles, traits, and skills unselected. The XP to level up really shot up. So much I can do with these. Okay, first act strength and charisma. I know I don't use them, but uh, I hate leaving them at one. How about I increase them to five each? That leaves me with 58. Half of that is 29. Dump half into intelligence, half into wisdom. Status, name Gerald, race living fork, level 27. Experience 4308.26 out of 5400. Gender, none. Age, 10 months. Allegiance, none. Fame, none. Strength, 5. Becomes 50. Intelligence, 43. Dexterity, 5. Wisdom, 42. Charisma, 5. Luck, 10.1. Hardness, 24.6. Durability, 16.2 out of 16.2. Mana, 160 out of 160. Mana regen, 8.4 per minute. Psi, 420 out of 420. Psi regen, 4.3 per minute. Unspent stats, 0. Titles, traits and skills, unselected. Funny how my effective strength is above my magical stats. That skill is up. Shame I can't put that strength to use. Putting that aside, I wish I had a magic skill. That mana pool is absurd. Am I psi? I can talk for ages now. Really though, this is ridiculous. Look at my stats, look at them! Compare them to before, the difference is crazy, right? I still have an exact same combat potential. Why? Damn it. Well, let's see these new skills and traits. I only have a brief glance earlier. Body of deadly poison, basic. High, rare, passive, 0%. Deadly poison courses throughout your body. So potent is the poison that even touching you will cause a great sickness and partial paralysis for a short period of time. Potency of poison scales a small amount with proficiency. Poison resistance huge. You are completely immune to weak and ordinary poisons. The effect of more potent poisons are greatly reduced. Does that even help me? I am made of metal. I can't be poisoned. And how the heck is there a poison coursing throughout my entire body? Again, solid metal. I can't even begin to be used as a fork like this. Although, thinking about it, that isn't such a bad thing. As long as I'm still with Ferdinand, that is. Anyone else would throw me away after getting poisoned, right? Hmm, I've looked at everything, I think, so back to what's happening. Oh, he's carrying the unconscious person again. Surely that decreases his chances of surviving. Not that I mind him helping people, but can he protect others and himself at the same time? Wait... Is this even a dangerous area? Hey, is this area known to have dangerous monsters? I asked Ferdinand telepathically. He responds a few moments later. 
As long as you don't attract the attention of monster packs, even ordinary person can get through this area if they were careful. Why? No, never mind then, totally fine. So that spider wasn't normal, I asked. If that spider was normal, there wouldn't be anything except monsters living on this world, he said grimly. I try again to lighten the mood a bit. Nah, I'm sure there would be a few who could survive. Desperation can motivate people to do amazing things, you know. Maybe, but desperation can be bad too, he counters. I'm sure there are plenty of people who make terrible decisions because they're desperate, I admit. Anyway, we should probably keep quiet about killing it. Really? Why, haven't we done something amazing, he asks. We sure have, which is why we should stay quiet about it. If people think you killed something strong, they might think that you have some rare item to let you do it. If you have something that is worth anything, there'll be people wanting to take it from you. And the tactic of throwing a fork at them won't work on a human, you know. They'll just dodge it, I say dryly. When you put it like that, there's not much I can say, says Ferdinand. One of the best ways to avoid strong enemies is to make them think that you aren't worth their time, you know. Being low-key isn't such a bad thing, I reassure you. Anyway, onto other matters. I am poisonous for the foreseeable future due to the passive skill I just got. Best be careful about that. Oh, and now what do we do? We probably go back to town? The group will have to share the fee of failing the commission, and I suppose that the other members will get there before us and report about the spider, he says in resignation. Okay then. Now let's see, how far can I see? Uh, 43 times 42 equals 43 times 42 plus 43 times 2 equals 1720 plus 86 equals 1806. Divided by 2 equals 903. 903 meters. Wait, that can't be right. Let me do the calculation again. No, 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 it's right. I can now see almost a kilometer. Seriously, seriously. That's up as hell. If I could move, the things that I could do. End of forking chapter. Chapter number 8. Halfway there and back and there and back again. It's a slow progress. What with him carrying someone? How is he going to deal with that anyway? The person could wake up at any time, and they'll most definitely panic being slung over someone's shoulder. Even if they don't, we'll get questioned by the city guards. Carrying an unconscious person, not a good look. Okay, I'm stumped. We should set the person down and wake them up, but that would be super awkward too. Hey, solution! Dump them somewhere without sight out of the city. Yeah, perfect plan. I activate telepathy and start chatting. Yo, Ferdinand, what are you going to do with that guy on your back? She's a woman actually, Ferdinand corrects me, and what do you mean? No wonder you didn't want to leave her behind. <clears throat> You just can't go into the city with an unconscious woman slung over your shoulder, can you? I asked. I watched as his hand shoot forward in a spectacular yet completely silent face bomb. You didn't think about that, huh? I asked rhetorically. No. It'll be fine if I just wake her up, right? He asked. Sure, if you're happy to have an extended conversation about how you did not steal her possessions and or do dirty things with her unconscious body. I say sarcastically.
He does another brilliant attempt at a telepathic sigh. No, I assume, then, did you have another plan? Hardly a plan, I say. Just leave us somewhere within eyesight of the city. Ferdinand asks, what if she doesn't wake up or gets attacked by monsters? You did say yourself that monsters are rare here. I can only see about four weak-looking monsters right now. As for her not waking up, let me check something for a moment, I say. Telepathy info, please. Telepathy. Advanced, high, rare, active, 0.00%. Allows one to communicate with other beings in exchange for 0.5 psi per second. Multiply by distance between user and target in meters. To a maximum range of wisdom multiplied by intelligence divided by 5 meters. Allow the user to share emotions and thoughts within the recipient. Wisdom times int divided by 5, huh? That's um, 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 yeah, 361 meters. At a maximum distance, 180.5 psi per second usage. Current size at 420. That's a bit over 2 seconds. This could work. Okay, I can wake her up from 300 meters away. Probably, I say confidently. How far is 300 meters? Ferdinand asks. We can figure that out when we're close enough to the city, I answer. Now I need to be saving up my sigh for this, so I'll be silent until we get there. Okay, bye then, he says. I hadn't thought of it like that, but I suppose that is accurate. I mean, we're physically close, but communication is impossible, so it might as well be a goodbye. Hmm? So, my plan is to telepathically real at her from 300 meters away. At a distance of 300 meters, we shouldn't be any more than a dot on the horizon. Is that right? I've been so long since I had human sight. I hardly remember how distance works. Ten months. Hasn't really been that long. Thinking back, hardly anything at all happening during that time. It's really a miracle that I held on for so long, isn't it? Why do I keep thinking like this? Come on, man. It's all gotten so much better. You've got a friend you can talk to. You're helping him out, getting stronger. Ish. After that, I just watched the road, as it were, for reference. We have traveled a couple hours to go outside of the town. I have no idea how far that translates into distance, but it was surely a fair way. Some intermediate period of time later, the city is on the edge of my vision. Give me the signal when you can see the city, okay? I can see it for a while now, he replies. Oh, okay, put it down somewhere then, I say, cutting off the link. The dude must be tired, hauling her all this way. He lowers the girl to the ground, and then he see him scratching his head. Oh, right, that's the signal thing. What's up? I ask. Are we really just leaving her like this? He asks hesitantly. Yeah, I'll wake her up once we're far enough away. Don't worry. Plus, I can see everything within the range of my mana sight skill, and there are no monsters anywhere near here right now. I reassure him. And so we head off towards the city. It's about now that I realize that no, 361 is not half of 903. Yeah, oops. We was planning to do it once we were halfway between her and the city, but duh, that'd be 450 meters away. Whatever. How far are we from her? About a third of the way from the city? Yep, and sounds good. I create a telepathic link with her and start sending obnoxiously loud alarm sounds through it.
What? You thought I can only transmit real words? Nah. Words are just combination of sounds, after all. And if I can transmit ordered packets of sound, I can transmit distorted packets of sound, mentally, with no actual sound being generated in either end. My psychic stuff is weird. It gives me a bit of amusement watching her bolt upright and look around wildly. That makes me pause. When was the last time I felt amused? Since I'd gotten to this world. Everything had been a chore, if anything was happening at all. Meal after meal, ball of manna after ball of manna. Communicating with small animal after animal. I didn't do it for fun, to while away the hours, or even because I had to. No, I would have sat there on the floor of the cave forever, without doing a thing, slowly drifting into insanity for forever. I did it because I thought it might make things better for me. Eventually, perhaps it will. Perhaps it has. Perhaps it won't. But things aren't likely to get better if I do nothing. Or rather, they definitely won't. Sometimes you have friends, family, someone that is willing to help you and make things better, even if you do nothing. I don't. I have Vodanan, but our relationship is tenuous at best. If I start communicating with him, helping him, he might just throw me away. Actually, given what I know of him, he might very well try to help me anyway. But why should I risk that? Besides, how pathetic would that be? For me to rely completely on him without doing anything at all. And we're ready in the city. I really need to get rid of the sidetracking habit. I mean... It was a bit of a defensive mechanism from back then to prevent me from going insane. But I need to focus on the present now. There I go again. Sheesh. So, uh, right now we're in a biggish building with lots of people in it. This'd be one of them adventurer guilds, right? Or something like that, at least. I kind of want to figure out what's going on here, but I don't want to distract him. Eight people aren't looking at him right now. Let's give him some advice. If they ask you anything about the spider, just say you're too busy running away. Works every time. Not now, busy, he replied shortly. That brings back some bad memories. There's a time and a place for everything, but not now. The amount of times the message appeared on his screen made me want to stop playing that game. For a while, it's just the people moving around, and then he finally leaves the place. So, what's happening? I ask. Well, the other members of the party got here way before us, and they told the girl about what happened. Naturally, they just couldn't believe what they were saying, so they sent out a few scouts. They should be back in a few hours. Then, we'll see what happens. Sounds riveting. In the meantime... Not sure. Relax a bit, train a bit, normal things, he replies. Sounds boring, just like my life. Oh, sick burn, myself. Stop being depressing, self. Nothing much interesting happening, huh? Suppose I'll talk to the rats again. Boy, tiny mammal thing, rats and mice are mammals, right? You see that food you're about to eat? Highly poisonous. Yep, you'll kill over dead in mere moments if you eat that stuff. Better not. The rat completely ignores me and begins to eat it. A few moments later, it begins to twitch and then falls on its back, dead. What did I tell you? I tried to warn you about the rat poison, but no. 
The voice in your head obviously knows nothing. It has nothing at all to do with what animals don't understand English. Nope, that's ridiculous. Hey, could I manipulate animals to do my bidding, like the Pied Piper, with telepathy? That might not be too far-fetched, maybe. Well, let's try it out. Or maybe not. I'm out of sigh. Later, then. In the meantime, uh, what do I do? Oh, there are another 99 bottles of beer on the wall. Those songs. Infinitely long songs. I got a song that'll get on your nerves. There's no one to annoy. Wait, 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 wait. What if, in the middle of the battle, I used telepathy on an enemy to start singing that? That would totally throw them off. This telepathy is great. I would also make them angry. But hey, if they're going to kill us, who cares? Although, it would probably only be useful against humans. But if we assume a melee battle, that would probably have the enemy within a range or two meters at all costs. And at a cost of one side per sec, that would be 420 seconds or seven minutes. Mentally yelling at someone for seven minutes, that could make a difference. And better yet, I don't have to worry about my voice getting tired. Because I don't have vocal cords. But, um, what do I do in the meantime? I has no Google. Google, no. What'll I do? Another boring day of alternating telepathy and looking around blankly. I suppose... It takes around 98 seconds to regen my sign now. Wait, no, it's in minutes, an hour and 38 minutes. That's even longer than before. But if I leave a good 50 sigh in the pool at all times, it's only an hour and 25 minutes. That's still longer than before. Well, at least it leaves me with as much more time to use. It really does look like I'm going to have to go back to the bottle song. Wait a sec. The ants go marching one by one, hurrah, hurrah. The ants go marching one by one, hurrah. The next day, he goes back to the same building as before. A bit later, he walks out with a group of people. So, what's happening, I ask. Well, they found the corpses, no surprise there. It was huge. They questioned us some more, but you were right. That excuse does work well. Out of consideration for the unusual circumstances, we won't be considered as having failed the commission. That is, as long as we still complete it, he explains. So, you're going out again? Yes, as long as we don't have any terrible luck, we shouldn't run into something like that again. Yeah, I don't think we're lucky enough for that to work a second time, I said wryly. The trip was completely uneventful, unlike last time. Thank God for that. I don't know if I would have coped if that was what was defined as normal. Well, now that you have a play-by-play out trip here and we can go on, it's a pretty small village. It has a few paddocks, a few farms, a smattering of buildings around the place. They look pretty simple. Only a couple rooms in each, a fireplace, a chimney, that sort of stuff. As for the villagers... They're fighting a bunch of beasts in one of the paddocks, the livestock huddled in the corner away from the conflict. The beasts look like some sort of canine, but that could mean anything from a dog to a wolf to a hyena to a dingo. And we, we are on the other side of the village. If I were to notify Ferdinand now, it would look unnatural to the others. 
So what can I do? Just the usual. Absolutely nothing. Can any of my skills help? Absorb? Nope. Telepathy? Nope. The fight is out of my range. Mana sight? Not more than it's currently doing. Body of deadly poison. Poison resistance? Nope, nope. Self-repair? Almost forgot I had that skill. Doesn't help me here, though. So, all I can do is watch as a group searches through the village a bit, before finally noticing something rushing off into the distance of the fight. The farmers, although likely rippling with muscle from their life of hard labor, have no armor or effective weapons. Armed with hoes, pitchforks, shovels, and other farming instruments, they have a tough fight on their hands with a group of eight villagers against a pack of twenty-odd beasts. In time it takes for the group to get to the scene, one farmer has fallen to the ground, unmoving. With a flash of white, an arrow of white flies at the beasts, striking one dead. Interesting, since I could see the entirety of the arrow, as well as the bright white color, as opposed to the dim white of normal materials. I assume that it was magic. Nice! Wish I could do that. I would be the greatest magical fork in the world has ever seen. Hey, don't talk back to me. Just because I would be the only magical fork in the world has ever seen doesn't mean that I wouldn't be amazing. <clears throat> I really wish I could say more about the combat, but apart from the magic I can't see much of what is happening. In terms of movement of weapons, I can see the beast's attacks, of course, but sometimes they stop dead in the air in front of someone, or be knocked aside in mid-charge by some invisible force. It is very disconcerting. I would go on, but uh, you've heard it all before. A few remaining beasts flee, jumping over the wooden fence and running off into the woods. Why are there woods everywhere? Well, I suppose it's not a bad thing. I mean, we need to breathe, right? Oh, wait, I don't. Is the request finished with that? Let's check. Trees, trees, more trees. What's that tall bushy thing? Ah, just another tree. Newsflash! Lots of trees in the local forest. Birds, bees, bird nest. Ugh. Wait, I can't get stung anymore. Yeah. More birds. Looks like a few deer. A few roaming bulls. Nothing the farmers can't deal with. Great. Of course, I wouldn't have told Ferdinand the precise location if there were any. I just recommend that he suggest that they do a brief search of the forest, just in case. Can't be too careful in cases like these. Actually, you can, but I think I've gone into that too. That'd be a whole sit in the one spot doing nothing forever gig. Hey, now, I have my self-repair and I'm able to repair any damage taken, whether from force or degradation of materials I'm composed of. Doesn't that make me functionally immortal? Huh. Humans lusted after immortality for so many generations. Turns out all you need to do is to be a uh, fork. Let's ignore the various other things I needed to do to achieve the pseudo-immortality. It's purely due to me being a fork. Yep. So, it's over. It looks over. Is it over? Yeah, no thanks to you. Why didn't you tell me that was happening? He sounds angry. I thought it would be too suspicious if you went straight to the combat, so I didn't tell you. I tried to explain. Someone died because we didn't get there fast enough, Gerald. You're right about that. Perhaps if I told you, you would have been able to save him. 
But what if that led to me being exposed? We could both die, and then we wouldn't be able to save anyone, I reason. And how would someone noticing a battle a bit earlier than others lead to somebody thinking, he must have a telepathic sentient fork in him, I should kill him for it. I could just say that I heard something in that direction of the fight, and we could just check it out, and nobody would think it was strange, he said angrily. He's right. Perhaps I was being too careful, even while thinking that I could be more careful. How ironic. I suppose I was just afraid that I would suddenly die, like last time. Should I explain that? No, it would sound like an excuse. It always sounds like an excuse. At least, they always take it like that. Why do people have to be that way? Why do they assume the worst, and ignore almost anything else you say? Why? Nevertheless, I should say something, and if I can't explain, there is only one thing I can say, even if it means nothing to people. Again, why? They all tell us to say it when we do something wrong, and in turn around and say that we don't mean it when we do say it. I'm sorry, I should have at least told you about it. As long as you're aware of it, it's alright. Is this guy seriously okay with that? That's way too lenient. I met you only a couple days ago, you know. I know I saved your life and all, but still, forget being a knight. With that attitude, you could be a monk or a priest. Thank you. I mean it, you know. Did I mess up? Sure. It could have caused suspicion, but it was unlikely. And even if it did, what are the chances that someone would remember that suspicion when we got back, and then tell it to others? and the chances that someone would listen to the weak suspicion, he heard something I didn't, and I can hear real good. Altogether, the chances are lower than Tartarus. I was being paranoid, but what do you expect? I am a being that can't move, hear, speak, or see properly. Of course, I'll be afraid of being discovered. <clears throat> I mean, I suppose I could get back to watching the surroundings. Looks like we're almost on our way again. This has been an eventful few days. I made a friend kill the giant spider, got some skills, leveled up a bunch. I hope it stays like this for a good while. Ah, for my sake and yours, here's my full status. I haven't gained EXP because of the whole poison thing. Huh? Who am I referring to as you? Why, that's me! Not insane. Got the title. Status. Name Gerald. Living Fork. Level 27. Experience 4308.26 out of 5400. Gender, none. Age, 10 months local time. Allegiance, none. Fame, none. Strength, 5 becomes 50. Intelligence, 43. Dexterity, 5. Wisdom, 42. Charisma, 5. Luck, 10.1. Hardness, 24.6. Durability, 16.2 out of 16.2. Mana, 860 out of 860, mana regen 8.4 per minute, psi 420 out of 420, psi regen 4.3 per minute, unspent stat points 0. End of chapter. Chapter 9. Bodenland Farmer, Adventurer, Holder of Fork. POV Ferdinand. There isn't much to talk about when it comes to my life. I grew up in a small village, the son of farmers. My friends were cows and sheep, and the fields were my playground. 
an extraordinarily simple life, some would say, and yet it was satisfying knowing that you would always have food on the table, things to do, and people who cared for you. I can say with confidence that those years were the happiest in my life. I felt safe, content with my life. There were monster attacks occasionally, but there was a retired adventurer who lived in the village that protected us. For twenty years I lived in bliss, but it ended all of a sudden when the famine struck. Our herd grew sick and more dropped by the day. The crops withered and blew away. In the course of a single month our entire livelihood had disappeared, and we weren't the only ones affected. The village grew quiet as people left or died of hunger and disease. I helped bury the coffins of men I had grown up with, known my entire life. The only reason we survived that long was the dwindling supply of grain that we had stored. I remember when a travelling merchant came to our village, everyone flocked towards him, holding their entire life savings, but he had already sold all his food in the previous village. He was chased out of the village by a mob of people who weren't much more than the skin and bones. Shortly after, my parents gave me a sword. They must have bought it from the merchant because it was brand new. Then they sent me away with the rest of the food and money. So, how in the world did I end up wandering adventurer, accompanied by a talking fork? Why me? I'm not anything special. Even after a few years of this, I'm only at a level 18. Look at my status. Just look at it. Status. Name Ferdinand. Race human. Level 18. Experienced 317.1 out of 2,600. Male, gender, age 23. Allegiance, none. Name, none. Strength, 30.1. Intelligence, 8.1. Dexterity, 30.7. Wisdom, 8.0. Charisma, 8. Luck, 37.8. Endurance, 20.4. Health, 204 out of 204. Health regen, 2.04 per minute. Stamina, 307 out of 307. Stamina regen, 3.07 per minute. Mana, 81 out of 81. Mana regen, 0.8 per minute. Unspent stat points, zero. Titles. Living. You are living being as such. The energies of life heal you and the energies of death damage you. Trait. Average life energy absorption. Trait. Average death energy weakness. Trait. Minute life affinity. Trait. A negative minute death affinity. Human. Most of your ancestors were human, or so you are too. The only advantages humans have over other species are the prolificity and the creativity. Other than that, they have subpar biological features apart from their thumbs. Trait, average prolificity. Trait, average creativity. Trait, minor light-based vision. Trait, minor vibration-based hearing. Trait, minute chemical-based sense of smell. Trait, minor sense of pain touch. Trait, minute chemical-based sense of taste. Trait, being of flesh and blood, minor. Insect bane, killer. Of many creepy crawlies, you can instinctively sense nearby insects, especially those harmful to you. All stats increase by one when attacking insects. Traits, life energy absorption, average. Life energy heals you, causing you to regain health. Death energy weakness, average. Death energy damages you, reducing your health. Life affinity minute. You find it easier to gain life-related skills and proficiencies than if you did not have this trait. Negative death affinity minute. You find it harder to gain death-related skills and proficiencies than if you did not have this trait. 
Prolificity, average, you are very good at making babies. Creativity, average, you have a higher chance to imagine, invent and create things. Light-based vision, minor, your vision is based on light. Your civilization is not advanced enough to view more detailed information. Vibration-based hearing, minor, your hearing is based on vibrations. Your civilization is not advanced enough to view more detailed information. Chemical-based sense of smell, minute. Your sense of smell is based on chemical reactions. Your civilization is not advanced enough to view more detailed information. Chemical-based sense of taste, minute. Your sense of taste is based on your chemical reactions. Your civilization is not advanced enough to view more detailed information. Sense of pain, touch, minor. You have a sense of pain and touch. Your civilization is not advanced enough to know more details. Being of flesh and blood, minor. Your life essence is independent of your body, which consists loosely of the aforementioned materials. Without enough of these, you die. You are also reliant on the consumption of foods edible to your species. Skills. Farming. Expert. High, common, passive, 21.28%. You have extensive knowledge and tools of the trade of farming. You instinctively know the fertility of the land that you are standing on and the current season. You also have an increased weather prediction ability. Herbalism advanced, high, common, passive, 47.34. You know well how to care for plants and herbs. You can easily tell what common herbs and plants are and what they do. You don't know much about the rarer herbs, but your experience means that you will instinctively know if a plant is poisonous, as long as it isn't too rare. Increased ability to notice rare herbs. Sowing, basic, low, common, passive, 76.93%. You have a basic level of knowledge in how to sew. Allows you to notice loose threads and fraying material easier. This slightly increased your ability to differentiate the quality of the thread and cloth. Tool repair, basic, low, common, passive, 46.11. You can repair basic tools, but you might want to consider a replacement instead. Or allows you to notice damage to tools easier. Logging, advanced, mild, common, passive, 9.78%. You can wield an axe with skill if your opponent is a tree. Increased strength and reduced stamina usage when cutting trees. Increased ability to notice wood quality and damage. Common language spoken, advanced, low common, passive, 13.01%. You can speak common fluently, but you don't have many longer or rarely used words. Common language written. Basic. Mid common, passive, 49.32%. You can read and write, but don't expect a good calligraphy. You read and write slowly and will make frequent errors. Digging, advanced, mid-common, passive, 83%. You are no dwarf, but you can sure dig a hole. You also know the difference between a shovel, a spade, and a trowel. Increased the skill when wielding a shovel, spade, or trowel. Increased ability to determine soil hardness. Small instinctive ability to avoid buried stones or find them if needed. Cooking, advanced, low, common, passive, 17.28%. You can cook, but you're no gourmet chef. Minute increase to taste of cooked dishes, according to your preferences. Hunting, basic, low, common, passive, 92.3%. You have learned the basics of hunting, increased the ability to conceal yourself in the forest and the area with much greenery. Slightly increases the senses when hunting. Minute instinctive ability to sense danger. Slightly increased with tracking ability. Tracking, basic, low, common, passive, 64.11%. You can recognize some of the basic signs left behind by innocuous beings, minutely increasing the ability to conceal yourself from your target. 
Concealment Basic, Mid-Common, Passive, 23.22%. You know a few tricks to hide yourself. When concealed, your basic senses are minutely increased. Ranged Weaponry, Bow, Basic, Mid-Common, Passive, 42.42%. You are capable of using a bow and arrow at a basic level. Wind, target movement and other distractions hinder your accuracy greatly. Minutely increases vision when aiming at an enemy. Plus 0.5 strength and dexterity when using a bow. Range Weapon Sling Advanced Mid-Common Passive 30.31 You are experienced at using slings and stones. Slightly increased ability to find stones or other items suitable for ammunition. Plus 1 to strength and dexterity when using a sling. Melee Weaponry Staff Basic Low Common Passive 5.64% You have used the staff in a fight a few times, but you still don't know how to use it correctly. Melee Weapon Club Basic Low Common Passive 38.2% You have a small amount of experience using a simple blunt weapons, plus one strength when using a club. Melee Weapon Sword Long Sword Basic Mud Common Passive 76.89% You have some experience using a standard long sword, minutely increases grip strength when wielding this weapon, and 0.5% to strength and dexterity while wielding this weapon. Magic Edge Basic Low Common Passive 13.28% You've discovered how to clad the edge of your blade in magic power, increasing the power of your strikes. However, you have little experience in such use all your mana in a single powerful strike. That's right, my only acquired skill title is Insect Bane. Insect Bane. It's particularly useless. And my best skill is only Low Uncommon. Skills go from common to uncommon to rare to unique, which each bringing further divided into low, mid, and high. And my best is four steps up from the bottom. It is still useful, even so. I have had a few times where that has saved my life, even if it has left me drained of mana for hours afterwards. But I'm almost jealous of Gerald. The ability he talked about has to be at least rare, maybe a unique. The gods are fair, I suppose. Gerald couldn't do anything but use that ability in the beginning, from what I understand. A unique ability in exchange for my entire body and all my senses. No thanks. Thinking of what Gerald has lost makes me appreciate sights like this even more. Surrounding the path in a sea of uncountable flowers and a sea of colors shifting with the wind. As we walk along I breathe in deeply through my nose, smelling the sweet scent of flowers gave off. What is even better about this place is that the mix of aromas offends the sensitive noses of wolves, so it is extremely rare to be attacked by monsters here. Gerald's voice sounds in my head. Twelve small four-legged creatures heading towards you from the right. Okay, thanks, I reply. But of course, we get attacked anyway. Looking over the shoulder of the man walking next to me, I see the approaching, barely visible above the flowers. Sigh, I alert the rest of the party. Cats approaching from the right. Oh, cats, where? I love cats, exclaims Mary, the maid. What's the like about cats? They're smutty, attack you if you get too close and steal food. Metal wasps around me as everyone draws their weapons. I draw my own and we spread out into a line and face the incoming attacks. Even Luke the archer of the group has drawn his blade. Accurate as he is, with such small and fast-moving targets and with such a close range, he has no chance of hitting them. Why are we attacking them? They're so cute, Mary protests. I beg to differ. Fur matted with mud, scars forming a network of lighter fur crossing their bodies. They are indeed the opposite of cute. 
They hissed loudly and they streaked towards us. Tony tries to explain to her, We aren't attacking them, Mary, they're attacking us. Get out a weapon, it'll be hard to hit them with magic. As he finished talking, they were upon us, a brief fight consisting of many scratches and quite a few missed sword swings later, and we have some dead cats, and a sad maid. But why did they attack us? Tony sighs. They're animals, we wandered into their territory, or they were running away from something. Doesn't really matter. She lapses into silence. It really is a bit awkward, walking alongside someone you saved the life of, but they don't know a thing. I still want to tell her, really. But although Gerald may be too careful, what he says makes sense, sometimes. I still wonder if he's mad despite what he says. I mean, there isn't a title for being sane. Wait, there isn't, right? It's a smooth trip back to the city after that, and we show our adventurer licenses through the guards, and we each pay copper coin. Since adventurers, in a way, help protect the city by killing nearby monsters, we get a discount on the entrance fee. After going into the city, we head straight into the adventurer's guild, handing the proof of completion that the villagers had given us to the receptionist. We receive our pay, ten silvers. It's an even split of two silvers per party member. And then we head our separate ways. Our party was only temporary. They asked me to join them because they weren't sure if they could take on the monsters that can threaten a village with only four people. They needed to have bothered, it seems, and they probably regret missing out on a bit of money. As I took my newly earned wealth, I frowned. Ten silvers. It isn't much for city folk, but for farmers in a small village, requesting this probably cost half their savings, maybe less, if they share the cost and considering that the girl pays a portion for what the requests. But still, it is a large cost. In the end, the adventurer's girl wasn't a charity. They won't pay the whole quest reward. There isn't anything that I can do to help. Not now, at least. Wandering over to the request board, I have a look at it. It is unlikely that there will be anything new since this morning, but I should at least check it. It hasn't changed. It is mostly repeatable quests, the type that anyone could do at any amount of times. These are generally simple, such as hunt a certain number of monsters or collect a certain number of herbs from the area which monsters roam in. Alchemists always need herbs, and monsters need to be few as possible to increase the safety of farmers and merchants traveling to the city with their ways. Leaving the adventurous guild, I look to the sky and see how late it is. The sun shines on the horizon as its bottom edge sinks slowly below the edge of the world. Glancing further up, Terok looks back down at me with perpetual sneer. Almost night. May as well get some food and go to sleep. Eating a simple but filling meal at an eatery. I head to bed. Another tiring day has passed. And then Gerald starts talking again. Hey, just to break a flag or two, if anyone ever claims to have killed that spider matriarch, you just ignore them. If pressed, just say that what everyone else is saying, even if it isn't true. And you're sure that you aren't crazy. What have flags got to do with somebody lying about killing the spider matriarch? Was that what it was called? I replied. Yeah, don't worry about it. Just saying that just in case. The flags thing is a term from my past, so don't mind not making sense, he says. You completely ignored the crazy question, I pointed out. Yes, it was called Spider Matriarch, he replies. Sounds like it was an important in the spider world. Do Arachne exist in this world? Hope we don't get chased by spider ladies, or spider men for that matter. Yes, but you're ignoring it again, I press. 
Just joking with you, I'm not crazy. I won't refute weird or strange, but I'm not crazy. Well, good night. Oi! A steady beep, beep, beep rings out in my head before disappearing entirely. His idea of a joke, I'm sure. It might be funnier if I actually understood what those beeps were. Or maybe not. Who knows with that guy? End of chapter. Chapter 10. Epiphany and Fork Party. Beep, beep, beep. Dang, he won't even get the joke, will he? Bad things about being in from another world is that I can't even use jokes or references that I know because they use modern terminology. Probably can't even use Dr. Doctor jokes. It depends on how advanced they are, I suppose. I mean, when you think fantasy and magic, you think all sorts of medieval era, but it might not be. And doctors in the medieval era, from what I hear, weren't very effective to say the so, back to training telepathy while he steeps, since there is no better thing to do. I wonder, can I absorb myself? Wait, if I could, that would be damn up. Up as all heck. Now, I know what you're thinking. How does the ability to eat yourself make you up? Are you crazy? I may or may not be crazy, but think back on the abilities I have. Mana sight, absorb telepathy, body of deadly poison, and self-repair. That's right, self-repair, not one of my only skills to consume mana, which heals me, and if I can use it to absorb myself, I can heal myself, then my proficiency for both skills will go up, and I'll have a useful mana, finally. Okay, so let's try this baby out. Absorb. Metal of level 27, living fork absorbed. Durability recovered, negative 4.2. Skill proficiency increased, absorbed 0.01. Titles gained, Ouroboros. Window will close in 29 seconds. Huh, it actually worked. I didn't expect it to, but hey, I'll exploit this glitch to the high heavens. So, that title? Ouroboros, like the serpent of legend, you bit your own tail. And then you ate it, weirdo. Stat, luck plus two, charisma plus one, wisdom minus one, wisdom plus two. Hey, if I'm eating myself makes me stronger, I'll do it. Don't call me weird. It's not like I'm eating my own leg or something. I can barely even tell the difference from before that I took the few centimeters off my handle. And what do you mean by wisdom minus one plus two? It's insulting my intelligence. I think it's insulting my intelligence. Just take another look at my status. Whoa, at the whole thing. I really need to remember to close the tabs. Status, name Gerald. Race, living fork, level 27. Experience, 4,308 out of 5,400. Gender, none. Age, 10 months, local time. Allegiance, none. Fame, none. Strength, 5.0 becomes 50. Intelligence, 43. Dexterity, 5. Wisdom, 43. Charisma, 6. Luck, 12.1. Hardness, 24.6. Durability, 12.0. Out of 14.2. Mana, 860. Out of 860. Mana regen, 8.6 per minute. Psi, 430. Out of 430. Regen, 4.3 per minute. Zero stat points. Titles, traits, and skills unselected. Neato! They even out my wisdom stat. 
You know, thinking about it, I need a regen more than my max pool. Then again, Psy regen is in 10 mana regen as was. So, I should do the same thing as always, unless I focus on one. And I want that telepathy, but I'd really like to be able to repair myself cheaper and increase absorb proficiency. And in the end, absorb as my base, what I rely on. So, I should focus on wisdom next, so that I can do the self-harm repair cycle more often. Speaking of, let's take another look at that since I haven't used it in ages. Self-repair, basic, low-rare, active, 3.33%. By expanding an energy type, you can repair your own durability and recover your original form. Current energies are able to be used mana exchange ratio 10 mana to 0.1 durability. So, 4.2 durability is 420 mana. Hey, that's almost half my max mana. What the heck is all of these coincidences? Well, let's start blazing through the mana pile, shall we? Self-repair gained 4.2 durability. Metal of level 27 living fork absorbed. Durability negative 4.2. Skill proficiency increased. Absorb 0.01. Window will close in 29 seconds. Self-repair gained 4.2 durability. And it's gone. Proficiency is at self-repair basic low rare active 11.73%. By expanding an energy type, you can repair your own durability and recover your original form. Current energy is able to be used mana exchange ratio 10 mana to 0.1 durability. Back to training telepathy for 20 seconds and then like uh, an hour and a half wait until my mana and psi regenerate. This new training reduces my free time by about uh, 5 seconds. It's great and all and I can train so quickly, but this is just ridiculous. It takes so much mana and psi to level these skills. I don't want more skills to use them right now. But I do really want some offensive magic. Is there anything I can do to pass the time? Hey, Status, you got any games installed? Games, Minesweeper or Checkers? It took me a long time to think about asking for this. A whole ten months. I am dumb. You got Minesweeper? Oh, hells yeah! Minesweeper all night. Damn, this version has a custom up to 10,000 widths and height, and 40 million mines max. This solves my problems. Hallelujah! Insanity creeps upon me no more. This is what I spend my time on from now on. Range, don't fail me now. No, damn it! Two spaces, and neither could be a mine. That, not both. Not a single clue telling me which one it is. Screw it, I'm guessing it. Click, boom, boom. An hour later, I finished watching every single mine on the page explode. All 50 million of them. I got up to 40 mines flagged, and I could have kept going elsewhere. But I would have had to go back to it eventually. So better fail sooner than later. And start again. Click, click, click. Oh, he's up. Can I minimize this window? Pause. Is. It worked! Whoever made this UI, his status system was thorough. Good morning, assuming the reason you woke up wasn't to go for a midnight pee. 
He replies blearily a moment later. Ah, oh, good morning. Do you really have to say something the moment I wake up? Not at all, I answer happily, but I do anyway, because it's either conversation with you or Minesweeper, and conversation sounds much more interesting after hours of mind-numbing games. Minesweeper. Something to do with a maid? He asks uncertainly. You don't know about it, huh? Just ask the status of four games, and then click on Minesweeper 1. It has nothing to do with maids, I explain. No, okay. What in the world are you with all these blue squares? I explain the rules, and a moment later he tells me he died already. Not count out for this sort of thing, eh? Strange. I thought Minesweeper was fairly easy. Well, on with the day. I do wonder if there's anything that I can do to help Ferdinand get a bit stronger. The stronger he is, the stronger things he can kill, the stronger things I can eat, the stronger skills I can get. On average, that is. I don't doubt that strong people also have trashy skills. What is there? Does a party system exist? Create party, yes or no? Sure. Would you like to name the party, yes or no? Sure. What would you like to name it? The Hacking Dope Masters? No, that's stupid. La Societe de Dank Meme. Let's forget that was something I came up with. The fork is mightier than the sword. Not bad. Yeah, we'll go with that. Would you like to invite anyone to the party? The fork is mightier than the sword. One more status. Hey, Ferdinand, you know about the party system, right? I ask him. Of course, he replies. Why? Can you be in multiple? I ask. Sure, but your XP gain will be split so many ways that it's not worth it. Invite that dude right there to the party. I'm not sure what to say to this. Yes, I prompt. Mine, he replies. Ferdinand, level 18, has joined the party. The fork is mightier than the sword. So, what's this about, he asks. One moment, I say. Are party options a thing? Oh, they are indeed. Party options. Experience sharing options. Gerald, party leader, 75%. Ferdinand, party member, 25%. Titles gained, excluding racial and unique titles, shared, yes. Promote member to party leader. You'll lose the party leader status. Ferdinand, party member. First of all, can I glitch this? Change his EXP to 100%, while mine went down to 0. 1000% down to 100. Well, set mine to 5 and he's to 95. Okay, you probably got a notification or something, but I set the experience sharing for 95% to you and 5 to me, I explain. But why, he asks. Because right now I don't need experience. More stat points don't make me stronger at all. I need skills and skill proficiency. To do that, you need to be stronger, and the best way to do that is to basically throw me at things and kill them. You'll get the XP and I can get to absorb things, I say. Okay, but how are we going to do that? You're still poisonous, right? How am I going to be able to wield you safely? Ah, uh, good question. I've had a few ideas about that, but I'm still not entirely sure. Simplest way is to probably wrap my handle in a bit of cloth and tie it there, and then avoid touching the business end. And no poison will uh, seep through, he asked hesitantly. I double-checked the skill description. Shouldn't do, and even if it does, it won't kill you. 
How reassuring, he says. Let's hurry it up. I can't wait to get a bunch of useless skills that I'll never use or look at again, in all likelihood. What was happening before this conversation? Oh yeah, he was just waking up. Welp, onto adventure, in the immediate vicinity of the city, of course. And so, here are my gains for the past few days. Three bicorn balls at level 13, 15, and 16 netted me a total of 97.25 experience. No skills or traits. One level 11 wild gazelle 16.75 EXP gave me an interesting but ultimately useless skill, aptly named Flea. It increases my dexterity by 1.5 times over, but only when running away from something. It cancels if any offensive action is taken. Maybe one day, physical stats, related skills. Maybe one day. Twelve rabbit rats, all level 5, from 1 to level 6, and 1 at level 4. A pitiful 45.25 experience. What's worse, they gave me the trait flea bitten, minor. That makes me track fleas. I wonder what level fleas are, and if I can give me any XP. Then there was a whopping 23 oozes. 8, level 7, 3, level 8, 4, level 9, and 2, level 5, 5, level 11, and 1, level 13. And all that still only gets me 263.5 XP. Got one trait here that's useful. Physical damage reduction minute. And a skill that is not so useful. Body of weak acid. So now I'm not only highly poisonous, I also slowly, ex excruciatingly slowly, dissolve soft substances that come into contact with me. I am the only fork in this world that has better use as a weapon than as cutlery. But then again, do I really want to be put in people's mouths? Probably not. What's worse, saliva and half-eaten food and blood and guts. I can't even decide. Well, that's another use for absorb, I guess. Removing strange substances from my surface. That EXP gain really is abysmal, though, now that I only get 5% of it. 422.75 EXP, after all. A mere 7.8% of the EXP I need to level. But at least I got a single useful trait. Then there's the experience I got from absorbing some of the flesh of the monsters, around 90.27. And it might be a bit obvious, but the number of monsters attacking in this area would normally be absurd. Normally, they don't have a certain fork telepathically directing them. I'm getting good at this. And with my sight now having a range of 871 meters, a boost of 100 meters with a few stat points, my god, and telepathy range of almost 350 meters, it wasn't hard to draw a few extra monsters and keep the others away while we were occupied. I may have gone too far, though. He took a bit of damage. Shame, he doesn't have a self-repair. Another thing of note is that my self-repair skill has skyrocketed in proficiency, and it is now advanced. It just takes me slightly more efficient, taking 8 mana instead of 10. But thanks to that, I can do it once every hour and 20 minutes, instead of every hour and 40 minutes. And that again has increased the rate at which I gain proficiency. Even the proficiency gain was 4.2 durability repaired and reduced from 4.2% down to 1.05, which makes it a bit less overall. But still, good progress. I want to see what's beyond advanced. I could just ask Ferdinand. Come on, where's the fun in that? And in circumstances like this, I need some fun. The Minesweeper is good though. 
But perhaps the best, or at least most exciting gain, was a neat little skill called Magic Edge. That's right, Magic Edge. I can finally use magic. Okay, it is very basic and still pretty much useless, but magic, guys, magic. Ferdinand uses it a couple of times, and when I ask about it, he taught it to me. After studying the fluctuations of his manner a bit, I managed to figure out how to move my own. Yay! Magic. POV Ferdinand. Throw, miss. Pick up, throw, miss. Pick up, throw, miss. Turns out it is much easier to hit a target with a thrown fork when the target is bigger than the city gates than it is to hit animals that are running around wildly. Grasping at the cloth-wrapped handle and highly lethal fork, I toss it again. Hey! It hit this time. It just the handle hit it. It glances in disdain at me for a brief moment before it resumes grazing. Why, you little... Not a sound rude, but maybe you should just use your sword. Not like the things I have to be alive for me to absorb them, after all. Gerald interjects. Somewhat frustrated, I ask, then why are we doing this in the first place? Dunno. Training, he replies blandly. I mean, if something strong comes again, throwing me at it will have a much better chance of working than going up against and stabbing into it. You mean something I could be doing when I'm not in combat? He asked. Yeah, that sounds about right. Grabbing him between thumb and forefinger, I flick him down towards the ground and draw the weapon I can properly use. My sword. Swinging down at the gazelle, I catch it in the shoulder, tearing a deep gash and causing it to collapse on the ground, the injured limb uselessly twitching as it thrashes around in an attempt to become upright once more and run away. Before, I had thought so little of me that it didn't even run away, as I hit everything in the vicinity with the fork except for the gazelle itself, for a solid ten minutes. Damn gazelle, I'll show you who's the weak one. Ha! Plunging my sword into its chest, I end its pain. A glance and a thought dismisses the window describing my experience gain. It wasn't an expert swordsman by any definition, least of all the statuses. I wasn't even at an advanced level, which was a milestone for all professions and skills that meant that you were no longer a novice. In other words, I'm still a novice at a sword, but I'm getting there. Perhaps eventually I'll get to the expert level. But that will take a long, long time. Getting from a basic to advanced level alone for most skills takes years of practice in it. Getting to expert usually takes at least a decade of experience. At least, it did for me getting expert in farming. That sure was a happy day. My parents specially bought some meat from the local hunter and cooked it over a low flame. The very memory of how tender and tasty that meat was would make me salivate, if it wasn't such a bitter memory for me now. The tears escape my eye. I instantly become alert as the sound of snuffling coming from a nearby. Glancing left and right, it doesn't take me long to spot the beast slowly trotting towards me. Above its large snout, a long, straight horn jutted out, and above that, another. A bicorn boar! Cursing softly under my breath and reflexively apologizing to my late mother, I hold my sword at the ready in anticipation for the imminent combat. 
The bicorn boars are known as rookie killers, their sharp horns and the considerable bulk made for a deadly charge, and they were surprisingly fast on their feet for a creature with so much fat lining its belly. I had killed them before, but it had been a long time since I'd last gone solo, and I was still getting used to not having anyone laying down covering fire, magic spells or taking out the brunt of the assault. The easiest way to finish this combat would be to preemptive strike. Kicking off, I run at the ball, startling it. I recognize the sounds that it's currently making as warnings, and the ball glares at me as it scrapes the dirt and lowers its meaty head. Preparation for a charge that would be very painful for me. Tensing, I wait until the last second to leap to the side. Lucky for me, I have some experience against balls from the times that they attacked the farm animals, and I knew that they can't turn quickly. I should just brush past- Ah! Turns out I've underestimated the monster. The thing's horns are long enough that a tilt of its head was enough to put me in the way of harm, and the tip traced a line across my upper thigh. I'll need to treat that later, but right now I'm killing the damn thing. As it struggles to loop around the charge at me, my mana floods into my sword, forming a glowing edge over the edge of my blade. I can only maintain the skill for a few seconds, so I charge and I slash down at its side, leaving a brilliant afterglow behind the sword and slashing halfway through the ball's torso. A window comes up confirming the ball's death. Quickly sitting down, I take a moment to catch my breath. Because of that, on the wounded leg, it is now throbbing with pain, and I have lost a bit of blood. Worse, I am now completely out of mana and feeling a bit light-headed. Not a condition you want to be in under the threat of roaming monsters. Grimacing against the pain, I take off my pack and search through it. My fingers pause briefly over a bottle of red liquid before passing over and grabbing a bottle of cheap alcohol. Nasty stuff, but useful sometimes, like now. Pulling down my pants and gritting my teeth, I pour the booze on my open wound, washing it clean but increasing the pain tenfold, drawing a hiss of pain from me. Searching again through my pack and I pick out a clean strip of cloth and wrap it tightly around the wound. A reddish color starts to replace the pale gray. I tie it off. Should be fine as long as I don't put too much weight on it. I start to reseal the alcohol bottle and then take a swig. Blech. Yep, terrible. Hopefully it'll take a bit of the edge off. Any adventurer worthy salt has supplies for treating wounds, or at least someone in his party who does. Pulling up my pens again, I stand a bit unsteady and start looking for the fork. I find it standing perfectly straight, tines down. Really, the only time I hit something right and it's when it wasn't trying. Irritated, I pick it up and put it in my pack and start walking back to town. Can't fight like this. But wait, I can't stop there. I would be too easy, wouldn't it? After the gazelle, a boar, and after the boar, there are rats. Strangely, they've been coming at one after the other instead of all at once. But that's better for me. Rats are only a pain in groups since they are weak individually. And because they are coming at me one by one, I can focus on a single rat and swipe at it calmly. In a very awkward underarm swing, quite like using a broom really, well, not quite. The hilt of my sword isn't that long. By the time they are all dead, I'm even more tired than before. Scratching my head, I resume my walk towards town. Hey, what's up? Gerald asks. 
What sort of question is that? The sky, of course, I reply in confusion. Can't see it, but that's not what I meant. What's up is similar to how are you where I'm from, he explains. Oh, pretty bad then. Got my injured leg. Constantly attacked by monsters in the area where monsters are rare. Pretty much couldn't get worse, I sigh. Gerald doesn't respond for a moment. I see I have much to teach you. Now, you see, Ferdinand, you shouldn't have said that. You never, ever, ever say something that couldn't get worse. It's a serious jinx. Jinx? What's that? I ask. It's basically when you say, using definite terms like can't or won't, that something is or isn't going to happen. Mostly when you say something positive is going to happen or something negative isn't. It's serious bad luck, man. Trust me, he says seriously. Usually when somebody says, I can't get any worse, it starts to rain. Monsters attack or someone dies. Or all of them happen. Usually all of them. Taken aback slightly, I reply, okay. My luck stat is pretty high though, so shouldn't we be safe? Oh, so that's what rain looks like to me. Huh, it looks like the light falling from the sky. How beautiful, he says. Yeah? Holding up my arms, I don't feel anything. There are some dark clouds, but, uh... It's not raining, is it? I ask. My vision goes up over 800 meters. Give it a few seconds. Three, two, one... And... impact. My face, which is still facing the sky, is moistened as the drops fall upon it. Now, I really feel miserable. Well, Nick... I start before Gerald interrupts me. Oi! What did I just tell you? I try again. At least the- Gerald interrupts me again. Also bad. What can I say then? Usually someone says a person who jinxed it originally. You just had to say that, didn't you? And then there wouldn't be a conversation. Um, I shouldn't have said that, should I? Works, I think. He says, sounding slightly unsure of himself. Your world is very weird, I say. Or is it just you? Both, he replies. Ha, <laughs> ha. Well, let's go back to town before I get drenched. Oh, too late. At least the rain makes it hard for monsters to smell me. I somehow managed to get back with town without collapsing into the mud. Trudging into my room, in the end dripping with water, I collapse into my chair. Could I be any wetter, even if I were to take a bath? I doubt it. The only thing I can do is change into my spare set of clothes, so that's what I do. My bandage is sopping wet, so I change that too. The wet, bloody bandage is useless to me. I'll burn it when wood is flammable again. Now that it's just me and not my clothes as well, I should get some food. Limping to the front door, I look out. Pelting down. Just great. Shouldn't you be grabbing an umbrella? Gerald asks. Umbrella? What's that? I ask in reply. You don't have umbrellas. How do you say dry when it rains? I say sadly, we don't. And with that, I stride out into the rain to find something hot to eat. Maybe I shouldn't have changed. I don't believe it was possible, but it was. The next couple of days are even worse. Do you know how hard it is to fight on muddy ground? Very. Pretty much everyone except mages rely on good footing. Without good footing, I'm not able to put as much strength into my swings as I could normally. And dodging now is far away dream. Running, you say? What? Are you crazy as my fork? 
That sounded considerably crazy, but you're more likely to faceplant and build up any speed. What else is bad about those days? Oozes. Oozes everywhere. Everywhere. I spot one grazing on a tree. Roll over a rotted tree trunk. There's an ooze underneath it. I think I drank part of an ooze when I stopped at the stream to drink, because it tastes funny and I have a stomach pains for hours afterwards. Then there are all those oozes that are just mudding about in the mud. Normally, you just give them a good few stomps and they fall apart, but with all the mud and my bad leg, that is somewhat difficult. I still managed to kill quite a few, even so. At least the rain has stopped overnight, and the monsters seem to have been impeded by the difficult terrain as I am. The bicorn balls slip onto their sides when they attempt to charge at me. It's so pitiful that I start wondering whether I should kill them or not. They are just monsters, I suppose, and easy experience is just too good to give up. Then there are the rats, even filthier than usual. There isn't even a farmer out there who doesn't detest rats, I think. They rotten things gnaw their way into bags of grain and produce, spilling them all over the floor and spoiling them. I don't hesitate to put them down. Gerald asks me to poke him through some dead monsters. The flesh around him just, uh, vanishes. Is there anything that he can't do that isn't weird? And as a result of all this, here I am, having leveled up three times in as many days. It's the difference in experience gain really this high when you aren't in a party. To guarantee my safety since heading out from home, I always made a point to be in a party of at least four people. And I, as an adventurer, didn't have a specialty. I can't block enemy attacks, I can't attack from a range, I can't cast magic, and I don't know how to detect or set traps. Most of the time, this led me to being the glorified baggage carrier, which a very low experience share in the party. But three levels so fast? That's crazy. I'm... I'm over level 20 now. I'll get much more stats per level, and I'll get much stronger. Now to allocate my stats. I have 10, so I'll put 2 in endurance and make me a bit tougher and split the rest between dexterity and strength. As I allocate the points, I can feel my muscles and skin growing tougher, sturdier, and faster. My sword had never felt heavy in my hand, probably because of all the long hours spent hacking at the ground in my childhood, but now it felt light. Too light, perhaps. Shifting my feet into a simple stance, I do a few practice swings, creating a satisfying hiss as my blade cuts through the air. It's louder than before I leveled up, I think, but it doesn't feel as, uh, satisfying. It's almost felt like when I was a kid, swinging around a stick. It made the sound, but it couldn't hit things with it, but it never felt like a weapon. Maybe I should focus more on dexterity until I can afford a better weapon. Looking down at myself, dried mud is clinging to my clothes, hair, almost everywhere. I really need to change that bandage again. It would not be pleasant if the wound were to fester. The thing has nearly solidified into a single chunk of mud and cloth, and I have to use a knife to cut it loose. The flesh underneath, thankfully, has no signs or strange colors or smells, and is starting to develop a scab. But it won't be safe until the scab is fully formed, so I take out yet another stretch of clean cloth and tie it around. I'm nearly out, so I'll have to buy some more soon. 
Changing into my newly washed set of clothes that is now dry, I fall into bed. Maybe I should just take it easy for a few days to let those crazy monsters calm down a bit. End of chapter. Chapter 11. I forked it up again. POV Ferdinand. The next day, when I head down to the guild, I can't help but notice people are giving me strange looks. Can't imagine why, unless the guild has somehow discovered that I was involved in the death of the spider matriarch. But that's impossible, surely. There was nobody around, and I didn't say anything suspicious. Ignoring them, I glance over to the quest board and notice the ooze subjugation quest. With the amount of oozes that attacked me in the last few days, this should be easy money. Walking to the counter, I'm about to ask the register for the quest when the female staff there cuts me off. So, are you? I'm completely throws me. If it's about a Snyder matriarch, wouldn't it be more was it you question? If it isn't about that, what could it be about? Am I what? Cursed. Okay, what? Why would I be cursed? She raises her eyes and eyebrows as if I'm the one saying something strange. The last few days we received reports of monsters near the city were moving one by one in the same direction. When we investigated, we saw you surrounded by the corpses of those same monsters. Do you have a skill or an item on you that allows you to attract monsters? So it was only happening to me? How strange. No, I don't know why all those monsters attacked me. She nods. Then, I'm sorry to say you'll have to leave the city. We can't risk strong monsters being attracted to the city. But I'm not cursed, am I? I've hardly done anything meriting such a curse of any god, right? Oh, come on. It can't be because of the spider matriarch, right? Right. Can I at least take the escort mission to another city? She nods. Go ahead, and you may only return to the city in the future if you find yourself evidence that you are not cursed. I head back to the request board since I'd been planning on staying in the city a little longer. I hadn't paid much attention to the escort quests. Escort quests, in my humble opinion, are great. It means you don't have to travel alone. You have someone with a map and fighting force of a reasonable size. All things should have when you're traveling. Now, let's see... Meston, too far. Hector, monsters too powerful. Port Acton, eh? That should do. Can I register for the quest for the Port Acton? She looks down at some documents in front of her, writing something of one of them. Done. It leaves this afternoon, Westgate. If you don't go with them, the guards will forcibly evict you from the city. My days are going well, aren't they? It seems to be trend now, really. First the spider matriarch, and then all those monsters attacking me. Now, this... I should collect my things from the inn, I suppose. Gerald POV. You know, this minesweeper is starting to get on my nerves. Do you have any idea how many times I've been going well, only to have an entire area enclosed by a circle of vines? Or stuck that start with a small rectangle of ones and twos? Too many. But anyways, we seem to be going somewhere. Hey, what's happening this time? I asked Ferdinand. I'm being forced to move cities because the guild thinks I'm cursed. He replies glumly. That's bad, right? That sounds bad. Cursed? Surely you'd be able to see it in your status somewhere. Normally, yes, he replies. But if you were cursed by a god or a goddess, they can make you unable to see it if they want to. 
So if somebody can see it, how do they know you're cursed? They don't. But apparently most of the monsters in the area are being attracted to me somehow over the past few days. It would sure explain how a few dozen monsters attack me in an area where most monsters are supposed to be rare. He sighs. Wait. That was me, wasn't it? That was totally me. Um, I definitely screwed up. I got the guy kicked out of a city. He'll be angry if I tell him. The problem is, he'll be way more angry if I don't tell him and he finds out later. Um, what should I do? Oh well, I suppose I was getting too attached to the city anyway. About time I moved, he says with resignation. Okay, not as bad now, but still. So, I tell him, what's the worst case scenario? Let's see, he cannot touch me because of acid and poison. But what if he swung his sword at me? I think I could absorb it, but what if he uses magic edge? I can absorb the ambient mana, but what if it's controlled by someone else? It doesn't specify, but uh, it does specify things like that everywhere else, so I should be able to. He can't take any offensive action then, worst case he drops me. Which would be an annoyance, sure, but with my level of telepathy, I could sort something out, eventually. Now, best case scenario, he gets angry, yells at me a bit, and ultimately forgives me. Putting it that way makes it seem the obvious choice. Well, here goes nothing. Um, Ferdinand, I don't think you're cursed. The monsters getting attracted to you was my doing. I was practicing telepathy, and I thought at the time that it would be good for both of us if the more monsters came. I should have asked you first. I'm sorry. Come to think of it. Didn't I say something similar the last time? Crap. You know what? I'm just going to ignore you doing this again and be thankful that I'm not actually cursed. He sighs again, this time half in relief and half out of frustration. Thank g- Actually, I don't want to do anything about the gods. Better hold off on that. I wonder if the capital G for God or if it's just the title or something. And wait, you can attract monsters. Then can you repel them as well? He asked curiously. Sure, if even more reliable than attracting, but why would you want to, I replied. Because my leg is still injured and I want an easy trip, he states. Oh, yeah, there was that. I realized to some surprise. I forgot about things like that sometimes, since I have a skill which allows me to repair myself. Thinking back, certain things have become much easier since I've become a fork. You really should pay more attention to those sorts of things if you want to interact with other people in the future. I can hear some exasperation in his voice. What do you call it when neither of us are speaking? Voice. Yeah, let's keep it simple. It is telepathy skill slowly allowing us to use more complex tones. Yay, for higher proficiencies. Yeah, if only I could get a memory skill, it would be better, much easier. Wait, I don't have a brain. So how am I remembering and forgetting things? Am I forgetting things? I reach an epiphany mid-sentence. Looking through my memories, I can see them all with an extreme clarity, playing them back like a live movie in my mind, for want of a better word, crazy. Turns out I can't forget things, I say with some excitement. So, that happened, I don't suppose you know of any monsters with skills that could allow me to move. Something like levitation, flight, telekinesis. Yet, you get weirder by day by day. You know that, by the day... He emphasizes. Movement, huh? 
I know a few with those abilities, a few types of elementals levitate or fly, but they're extremely rare and powerful. I don't know much about psychic abilities, sadly, so I can't help you there. Recalling what he had mentioned earlier on, I say, Oh well, now what's this about the gods and goddesses? I don't think we had them back in my world. They're beings of unimaginable power. Each of them rules over a certain aspect of the world, which they know everything about, and are unrivaled within, he says in all. And there are a lot of them, so I won't bore you with their names. I don't even know half of them myself. Well, I suppose that technically Earth had a huge host of gods and goddesses as well, if one first assumes that all religions, gods, goddesses are real. Huh. Well, I'll go on to repelling all the monsters that wander near us. That would be great, he confirms. Note to self, definitely ask next time I arbitrarily decide to do something that will affect Ferdinand. Now, monsters, monsters, one, two, three, three. Only three monsters within 780 meters. No wonder they say that they're rare in this area. How on earth are people supposed to level up in this area? It's not an earth anymore, is it? I should ask the same point what this planet is called. If it is a planet, who knows when the magic is involved? Not to mention psychic powers. And whatever else there is would be crazy world. Oh, on those bicorn balls are wandering towards us. Scary things this way, food that way, shoo, shoo! Big scary, what eats pigs? Uh, a lion, could eat a pig, right? Big scary lion this way. Yep, I'm a genius. It's working wonderfully. The thing about attracting them is you can only really promise them food. If you make them afraid of something, they might just ignore you and keep running, or panic and desperately attack you. Or, I think that's how it is. Not like I've tested it. I may be stupid sometimes, but I'm not that stupid. But if you want one of them gone, what do you do to care about the rampaging? And of course, if you make it think that there's also food in the opposite direction, why wouldn't they dash over? Of course, I might ignore food in its panic, but then one of them will surely work. Man is back up to full, may myself heal, may myself heal, up to 79.83%, getting really close. In the meantime, tap, 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 Ferdinand POV. It's very relaxing, just walking along and appreciating the views around me. As we get further away from Idaro City, the flat grasslands and plains turn into rolling hills, sparsely dotted with trees. Without my worries about being cursed weighing me down, I feel the light of a carefree as a wind elemental. There has been a lot of time to think. With all this traveling and after some contemplation, I have truly come to terms with being forced to leave the city. I went there because I heard the monsters there were weak, but it was even more ridiculously quiet than I'd thought. There were some days where I would spend all day looking for monsters and wouldn't find them. or I would find was a few rats. Thinking back, staying there for as long as I did would cause my level to stay the same for almost a year. Only a tiny amount of experience for so long. In a way, the horde of monsters yesterday was a shock that I needed to break out of my rut. My injury has even healed over the duration of the journey, turning my slight limp into a comfortable walk. Honestly, I'm not sure anything could... That's a jinx as well, Gerald suddenly interrupts my train of thought. What? How? Are you psychic? Oh wait, I guess you are. My jinx senses were tingling, he says triumphantly.
What in the world are jinx sensors? I retort. A joke. I just popped in to say that because I was getting bored. Speaking of the world, what is this one called? Let's see, I think it was Odwea. Why? Just curious, I don't know much about this world after all. And what's with the system? We didn't have one back in my home world. How strange. Wait, his world didn't have a system? Then how did you survive the monsters? No monsters on my world, he replies. Find out how strong you are, I asked. Uh, trial and error, he explains. We mostly base physical ability on how much you can lift or how fast you can run. Those sorts of things. See how much health you have left? We have some people who were trained to be able to see how healthy you were. So some people had the ability to see health, even without a system. How strange. Could they see stamina too? Not that it matters because I will never go there. So, the system, he asks again. I think back for a moment before realizing I know next to nothing about the status outside the obvious. How should I know anything about it? From what I've heard, people have always had access to the status and skills. And you all just take it for granted, he asks in disbelief. I mean, the system makes you stronger the more you kill things. That promotes conflict, whether that be causing a farmer to turn to banditry or an extra incentive for war. Generally, I tend to be skeptical about things that like people to kill other people. The concept strikes me, causing my footsteps to falter for a moment. Now that I think about it, the system does cause conflict. How strange. But surely it isn't anything to worry about. After all, everything's been fine for years, I reason. Gerald doesn't respond for a second. Ferdinand, if I ever become able to write, the first thing I'll write will be called 101 horrific jinxes that you should never, ever say. What? Did I say something again? His obsession with these things was unusual. Oh, you just increased the chances of a worldwide catastrophe from happening in the near future. Nothing big, he says with a false nonchalance. Unfortunately, I don't quite understand what he said. Cat has a trophy. What does that mean? Everyone gets cat trophies. That's just stupid. Words with similar meanings include, but are not limited to, disaster, calamity, and cataclysm, he says dryly. I'll take the cat trophy, thanks. I immediately heed my words. Just try not to say things like that in the future, else my heart won't be able to, uh... I don't have a heart anymore, do I? Well, both die, probably. I'll rather not die, he says, before Riley adding, again. Wow, he really takes those jinxes things seriously. I really hope that it's just him overreacting. What did he say it was? Worldwide cat has a trophy. That sounds bad. Ah, he ruined my good mood, darn it. Now I'm not going to enjoy this trip as much. Gerald POV. Note to self, importance, maximum, prioritized learning abilities that could allow self to write. Impeding doom possible, otherwise. Write Ferdinand a book on what or not to say at the earliest opportunity. He unknowingly says things that quite often, doesn't he? Heck, I believe in the curse that I didn't know better. Oh, well... Nothing I can do about it. Exhaustively chew to him? Ain't nobody got time for that. Wait, I do. Should I? Nah, I shouldn't be that serious. Ferdinand POV. The smell of salt grows heavier in the wind as we come ever closer to the shore. I take a deep breath in through my nose. Ah, the scent of the ocean. Why did I ever leave the coast? 
A nagging voice in the back of my head starts listening in on various reasons, but I ignore it. I won't be staying long enough for those to be a problem, anyway. Perhaps a month, then move on to another city. Still, I should take care of some not to repeat my past mistakes. The wheels of the cart trundle along, and a low, continuous crunch against the dirt road, accompanied by the haphazard footfalls of the other escorts, punctuated by the heavier steps of the mule pulling the cart. It tosses its head to shoe off a lingering fly, plodding on slowly but unceasingly with the behest of its driver. Thankfully, the weather is calm today, all clear skies and the occasional drifting cloud. Vast contrast from the sky only a couple days ago. Still, clear skies today doesn't mean warm waters tomorrow. As a former farmer, I pay great attention to the weather. A habit I formed over many years. The walls of the port slowly increase in size and stature from little more than a haze in the horizon to a towering, fortified construction sprawling out against the coast in front of us. What, with the complete lack of monsters or bandit attacks, this has been the easiest and most comfortable escort mission I've ever done. And I'll get paid for it, too. Walking under the open gates, I take in the sights around me. The smell of fish assails my nostrils. You can't get away from that here. Still, there are much more pleasant aromas drifting around as well. By the side of the road, a street vendor roasts some small fish with a portable grill. They are gradually replaced by passers-bys by one with an easy meal, and the smile of the old man's face slowly growing along with the weight of his purse. Well, I have been walking all day, may as well get some grub. Walking over, I wave my hand at him. Hello, Richard, how are you these days? His face crinkles as he squints at me. I do hope he hasn't forgotten about me. It's been over a year, after all. But then his face cracks into a smile again, bringing me some relief. Ah, yes, very well, thank you. I almost didn't recognize you. You've let your hair grow out recently. I see. Terribly sorry. What was your name again? All those tumbles I took my youth aren't catching up to me now, I'm afraid. Yeah, so he did forget, but that's hardly a surprise. Ferdinand, sir, I helped you out once when your catch was too heavy for you to carry. It was enormous and I could barely see underneath the towering mass of fish and nets. His expression became pensive as he struggled to recall his memory. Yes, yes, now I remember, Ferdinand. He pauses for a moment, mulling it over. When was it that you left for the port? I, I can't seem to quite remember. Over a year and a half ago, sir. He shakes his head in amazement. A year and a half? Has it really been so long? Yes, yes, I suppose it has. Strange how short the years feel now. His eyes wander off into the horizon, lost in memory. I remember that they used to stretch on forever, when I was a lad. Now, now it seems like every time I stop to think, another month has passed. His words trail off. I cough lightly and his gaze gets back to me. But you don't want to hear me ramble, do you? Here, have a fish. Careful, it's hot. Thank you, sir. I give him a few coins in exchange for the skewered fish, blowing lightly on it. Good to see you again, sir. I plan to stay in the port for at least a few weeks, so don't hesitate to ask if you need any help. He smiles and waves me away. No need, my friend. My mind may be starting to fail me, but my body is still as strong as an ox. To my amusement, he flexes, and the muscles that show through his top are no joke. He may look like it is now, but if half the stories he told me were true, 
He spent more years steering ships through troubled waters and fending off sea monsters than I've spent alive. Now, to find a way to stay for the night. Gerald POV. Tap, 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 tap. Damn! You know things are going to be bad elsewhere when a massive area is revealed at the start of the game of Minesweeper. Stop screwing me over, RNG. 84.03% proficiency. Getting there. In other news, gaming Minesweeper Advanced Low Rare Passive 97.28%. You've sunk way too much time into this game. And despite the statistics saying zero wins, 276 losses, you are way better at this than most other people. I think I might reach the next proficiency level in the nest first. My sense of tension is now completely gone. End of chapter. Chapter 12. Forking Sand Slimes. Well, I can now say without no qualms that I am an expert at Minesweeper. Gaming Minesweeper Expert Mid-Rare Passive 12.98% You have sunk way too much time into this game, and despite the statistics saying zero wins, 304 losses, you are way better at this than most everyone else. Slightly increased analytical abilities, slight increased ability in correctly guessing the outcome of a 50-50 gamble. And there's another above expert by the looks of things, so that's cool. Meanwhile, self-repair is at 98.73. Seriously, just one more repetition left and it'll go to the next level of proficiency. Still, it won't be long now. An hour or two is nothing to me as of this waiting. Especially now that I'll have surroundings to distract me. People are starting to wake up, moving around the city, and of course I can see everything that's currently happening in the city. If I could see a bit finer detail, I would be able to see who did what, when, and I can see things happening now. Ish. But I don't specifically keep track of someone I won't be able to tell them from the rest of the city. It's quite surreal though. It took me quite some time to realize that when somebody looks like they're doing a very weird punch and stops very short of someone's body, causing them to fall over, that it's actually them getting stabbed. Not being able to see metal makes things surprisingly difficult. But I can see the sea now, and it looks super weird. It's mostly empty space to me, but there are little dots of mana and regular intervals, which bob up and down with the waves. If I were human, looking at this would make me nauseous. Then there's all the fish, flitting about here and there. A few sea monsters too, by the size of them. All in all, quite the mesmerizing sight. Still, mana sight is getting around half a percent of proficiency per day, so it'll be like a third of a year until that gets you there. Hopefully, that'll allow me to see much greater detail, although by then I'll ideally have a better way to see. Who knows? Now, on to Ferdinand's hunting show. Ferdinand POV Yawning, I get out of bed. I wish I could sleep longer, but having this awesome dream where I was riding a dragon. Still, if I sleep all the time, I'll never get anything done. After getting dressed and having some breakfast, I head down to the Adventurer's Guild. Unlike the Adventurer's in, uh, what was that place again? E-E-Etra? Where was it? Wait, no, 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 it wasn't. 
Unlike the adventurers there, our ones here often look like sailors, because many of them are. As a port city like this, there are many trading ships and transport vessels coming and going, all of which needed defenses against monster attacks. And pirates, vessels from enemy kingdoms, mutinies. The average adventurer, a rommer of mainland, simply doesn't have to require set of skills. But adventurers at the port often specialize in these areas. And if you don't, well, there is still the occasional land-based monsters in the area, as well as some of the other miscellaneous requests. So, it isn't like this place is completely dominated by seafaring adventurers. As for me, I barely have my sea legs. That one time I went on a ship, my legs still quake at the mere memory. Mundane land quests are good. I like mundane. Not much mundane lately. It'll be good to have some in my life again. Perhaps a few sand slimes, a giant crab or two. I might be able to get a nice crab shield made with the cash that I have on me. Or maybe not. A shade of red. I don't know if I wouldn't want to be carrying around something right around with me. A nice, relaxing walk in the beach, a refreshing breeze and gentle crashing waves. Level 6 sand slime kill, experience 99.75. I love how you can kill these things by taking a walk, sometimes. They can be extremely annoying if you accidentally sit down on one, but otherwise they are mostly harmless. Cresting a small ridge of sand, I instantly crouched too low to the ground, trying to be stealthy. I just ignore the large sheet of sand crumbling away in my wake. It must be my lucky day. Giant crab doesn't notice me at all. Now, if I could just sneak up on it. Slowly, slowly, slow. Level 6 sand slime killed. Experience gained 99.75. What on earth? I didn't notice. Phew, step, and with mighty muscles, I shall flip the beast. With a great exertion, I succeed in almost flipping it. Never mind, with the fork of mine, I shall cut through the beast's carapace. Wait, my best cutting tool is a fork. <laughs> uh, I just wanted mundane. Why can't I have mundane anymore? Level 16 sand crab killed. Experience gained 745.75. Now I have to lug this thing back to town. Woe is me. Panting heavily, a figure slowly traipses along the beach, hauling a massive crab behind him with a rope. A reddish-orange color, the creature has a strange hole in its underside, and a light crusting of sand covers parts dragging along the ground. And I'm so exhausted that I'm thinking of myself in the third person. Great. This would be so much lighter if I took a part back there. But then I would be impossible to carry. If only I had one of those bags of holding. A long time passes in silence just as a soft shuffling of sand beneath my feet and the considerably louder grinding of sand from the crab moving over it. Nothing but me, the sand, the waves, and the guy over there. The sand, more sand, lots of sand. So much sand. I'll never get the sand out of my shoes. Why the sand? All the sand. Level 5 Sand Slime Killed. Experience gained 71.25. I stop for a moment and then continue on. Just leave me alone, please. Breathing heavily, I sit next to the corpse of a giant crab near the entrance of the city. Just a bit more and I'll be able to be at the guild. 
if not for how tasty this stuff is and how much it sells for. I wouldn't be doing all of this. A few minutes and a lot of huffing and puffing later, and I've dragged it back to the girls' materials warehouse. Now, to dismantle it. I could hire someone else to dismantle it, and there are few people hanging around the warehouse for that purpose. But that will decrease my earnings a bit. So I decide to do it myself. After a good twenty slippery minutes of going with the knife, cutting myself not a few times on the sharp edges of the armor, I successfully separate the flesh from the rest of the body. I sell most of it to the guild, but a chunk here is mine. I can't start a fire in the middle of the town, and I don't have a dwelling in here where I can do the same. So, I head out of town again, just where I can gather some sticks and some dry grasses from around the area and start a small fire with my flint and steel. Taking out a pot and filling it with water from the nearby stream, I set the crab meat to boil. A while later, it was done and I had myself a delicious meal. Now, that is relaxing. Standing up and scratching, I, uh, level 6 sand killed, experience 99.75. Stop harassing me! Darn it! My good mood is instantly gone. Then I hear a voice in my head. Oh, great. Hey, what's up? Gerald POV. Hey, what's up? I'm in a good mood right now. My self-repair skill has gotten to the next proficiency level. And with the reduced cost, I can now do three repetitions in my current mana pool. Self-repair, expert, high, rare, active, 2.48%. By expanding any type of mana energy available to you, you can repair your own durability and recover your original form. Current energy is able to be used. Mana. Exchange ratio 6 mana to 0.1 durability. The XP gain has dropped severely down from 0.05 per 1 durability. This means that I'll have to repair the equivalent of 2000 durability to get to the next level or a bit over 158 cycles of three repetitions, which will take me around 10 days. Seriously, only 10 days? It gets to be the level above expert. Hacks, I call hacks. Admins, fix this exploit. Not really, please don't. I love it, don't. So, yes, I'm in a good mood. Not in the mood, Gerald. He isn't in a good mood. Why? What's happening? These sand slimes won't let me take a break. Yeah, I noticed the EXP slowly trickling in. He was walking around and I couldn't even tell when he killed them. Sounds like you need to relax. I know a few brothels in town. Do you want me to find and direct you to one of them? What? No. How do you even know where they are? I see you all and know all. That, and it's pretty hard to ignore all those shapes flopping away at each other over in the one building. Mana sight. Speaking of which, I saw another place which might be good for relaxing. But where we killed the crab, there was a seaside cliff nearby. And there's this big cave facing the ocean in it. No people or big monsters in it at all. That I could see. You know what? That actually does sound alright. As long as it doesn't some kind of pirate cove. Eh... Uh, if it is, no one was there, and if it is, and no one is still there, you can take all their stuff safely. With my current length of vision, I can easily alert you to anyone approaching. As long as they don't come from the ocean, then they might see you coming out. That is, if they exist at all.
relaxation and a slight possibility of easy treasure. Sounds good to me. Not that I saw any treasure in there, but uh, I can't see metal, so there could be golden coins littering the floor for all I know. POV Ferdinand As if all of the time I took to get from here to there in the city was a lie, it only takes me about 20 minutes to get there. Well, I was pulling a giant crab before. Anyways, how am I going to get into this cove? There is no path or anything. I suppose I'll just walk around in the water. It is shallow enough. Just so you know, there's little nobody there and nobody in the area. Great, thanks. Pulling off my boots and socks, I hold them as I walk through the water around the edge of the cliff. Sure enough, there it was, a nice little cave, sunny and sandy. Now, the real challenge is putting my boots back on without getting sand on my feet, and ideally drying them a bit. That boulder should do. Sitting down on it, I carefully shake the water off my feet and put my boots back on. Damp, but it'll do. I'll have to do this again to get back out. Now, I get a better look at the place. Sand, rock, sand, rocks, more sand, boulder, sand, hermit crab, hermit crab. I scratch my head furiously, crouching low on the ground. A moment later, there is this weird feeling that means Gerald has connected to me. What is it? Why didn't you mention the hermit crab? Why would I mention the hermit crab? Why wouldn't you mention the hermit crab? Are we talking about the same thing here? Small, slow, completely harmless, that hermit crab? No, I'm talking about the small, fast, potentially deadly hermit crab. This world is weird. Back on mine, we kept those little things as pets. Boring pets. That's why I didn't mention it. Besides, I could only tell that it was something really small. Basically, it looks the same as a rock to me. Fair enough. Still, I don't think I can win in combat with one of these. Okay, I don't suppose you have a plan. In fact, I do. Oh, what plan do I have? I have wanted to use this plan all the time since I've been hunting. But we haven't met any enemy small enough. Just throw me somewhere near it. Not that it. Just, I'll do the rest. Do what? You can't move. What need is there to move? It'll be coming towards me. And with that, he severs the link. Great plan, but could you tell me a bit more detail? Like, anything? So, I just throw him and hope he knows what he's doing. I mean, really. He should just tell me the whole plan. It isn't that hard. Whatever, he's on his own head if this goes wrong. Fetching him out of the pouch, I toss him near the boulder the hermit crab is on. It doesn't twitch. I don't know if that's good or bad for the plan of his. So I wait. And nothing really happens. I wait some more. Still nothing. And, oh, something's happening. It's wandering down the side of the boulder. It's on uh, towards Gerald. Very slowly, too. Are things I heard about them lies? I've never seen one before, since they're so rare. Not only that, I heard that most of the time they only move for food and combat. Otherwise, they just sit in secluded areas, like on a rock in a secluded cave. It slowly crawls over towards Gerald and then starts to crawl over him. Strange, it has all happening in an instant. They make their moves almost simultaneously. One fork, 
One hermit crab. In one moment it was moving on top of him, the next it's falling, somehow, it almost seems as if it's sinking into its body. I didn't think his absorb skill was that powerful. In that moment I think it's already over, he surely won with that move. But then, there's a loud sound of explosion, and the ground around Gerald caves in, sending sand flying at the speed of an arrow in flight, stinging against my arms as I raised him to protect my face. And over it all, a clear snap. When I feel the sand stop pelting my arms, I am able to take a clear look. My eyes widen in shock. Where there used to be a flat sand, there is now a crater, and about half as deep as I am high. The boulder that was sitting in the sand, although withered by age, was still a sturdy rock of considerable size. Now it's a crumbling before my eyes, sheets of stone rolling off like a snake shedding its skin. At that moment, level 32 hermit crab killed, experience gained 4094.5. Level up, you are now level 22, 4 stat points gained. Stat points can wait. Where is Gerald? Looking down from the edge of the crater, I spot him at the bottom of the crater, split in two pieces. What's left of him is warped beyond recognition. POV Gerald Level 32 Helmet Crab killed. Experience gained 215.5. Level 32 Helmet Crab absorbed. Experience gained 4310. Durability recovered 0.7. Skill proficiency increased absorb 1.1%. Skills gained Key Blast and Meditation Basic. Traits gained Key Practitioner. This window will close in 29 seconds. You have leveled up. You are now level 28. Four stat points gained. If I had nerves right now, I would be in serious pain. Wait, no. I think that I would be unconscious. Definitely unconscious. And perhaps killed by the shock. Durability, 2.3 out of 16.2. Probably dead. This level of damage converted to a human body would be... Uh, all limbs broken, internal organs ruptured, I think. Not to mention that this is after being repaired by Absorb. Good thing I am not human. No. Oh yeah, he's probably thinking I'm dead right now. Hey, I'm fine, just so you know. Currently extremely glad I have no sense of pain. But fine, all the same. I get a reply instantly. He really must have been concerned. That's great, but seriously... How are you not dead? You're still thinking like a biological, that's why. You have to think like a fork to become a true fork. Wait, he's not a fork. Because I'm a fork, not a human. Humans would bled to death right now, but they don't die instantly. I'm a fork, so I just got bent. Give me a few hours and I'll be healed right up. Great, but did you have to be that reckless? I didn't know it was that powerful. Still, although I wouldn't try this again, at least it ended well. Now, I still need a moment to check my status, if you don't mind. Me too. I leveled up from that. Oh, congratulations! Thanks. Now, what are all these cool-sounding things I got? Let's see from the traits. E-Practitioner, you have gained the ability to control the energy within you, and to reinforce it with the energy around you enabling you to perform far beyond the normal limits of your body. 
Stat unlocked key. Okay, but my body limits are zero. Why does that give me one? Out of the two skills, the most interesting is the one called Key Blast, so let's leave that to last. Meditation, basic, low rare, active, zero percent. Enter into a state of unburdened by worries of the physical world. There is only you and your thoughts that exist in this world. While in this state, mana regeneration multiplied by 1.5 and psi regeneration multiplied by 1.5. Key regeneration multiplied by 10 times the normal rate. Ah, you mocking me. You're mocking me, aren't you? Stuff you too, then status. Still, that's wicked cool. Double regen for mana and psi. It's cool enough, but why is key a crazy ten times? Let's see, status, key, key, aha! That's why. Key regen, 2.07, 20.7 per day. 20.7 per day? That's not much. Wait, if I convert mana per day, it's almost freaking 12k. Madness, madness! This is fork. <clears throat> Still, there are limits to how much key I can have at one time, as well as 20,750, or 100 days. That is a while. Key Blast Basic Low Rare Active 0% Expel key from your body in a concentrated blast. Power varies with key infusement. With your lack of experience, you are not able to accurately control the amount of key you infuse into the skill. It may vary by up to 20 points. Boring. But what if I infuse my whole body into a key into it? Hey, that's probably what the crab did. That really did pack a pun. Hey, I'm in a crater. Huh. That's powerful. I wonder, could I use tiny key blasts to propel myself around? Better not try that until I'm back to fuel durability. Anyway... It doesn't look like I'll be able to play Minesweeper much if I'm using meditation to boost my growth rate. Too bad, I think I was getting somewhere with my last game. But it's not like playing it is actually useful for anything but passing time. With all of that said and done, I've done what I wanted to do, so I connect with Ferdinand again. Hey, sorry about that, that really didn't work out like I'd hoped. Still, at least nothing happened to you. That would be more difficult to repair. It takes a few moments for him to reply, and he seems a bit absent-minded. It's alright, like you said. It ended with no lasting harm done. What's up? You sound distracted. Another pause. I'm not sure where to put my stat points. I used to focus on all my points into strength and dexterity, with a bit of focus and endurance. But that was when I never thought that I'd get so much stronger. But now I'm getting all these levels so quickly. I'm not sure what to do. What's endurance? I don't have that one. It relates to your body's toughness and stamina. Okay, that makes this easy. What weapons do you like to use in the future? Just a sword, a sword and a shield, or perhaps a great sword? Perhaps a great sword. They look powerful. Then you'll probably want to focus on strength first, endurance second, and dexterity third. If you've already been focusing on dexterity in the past, just ignore it for a while until your endurance catches up. You'll probably want to learn this key stuff too. Looks pretty powerful. Okay, that sounds reasonable. Wait, 
You have key now. What don't you have? The ability to move, hear, speak, smell, taste, and touch. But apart from that, I seem to have a bit of everything. Um, ugh, sorry. Don't worry about it. I've been living like this for ages now. I'm used to it. Besides, this telepathy is a big improvement of what I had before. So, um, what now? I'm going to go back to the city before something else happens. That's another jinx, but uh, what makes you assume nothing will happen in the city? A long pause. Oh, holy gods of mercy, kindness and peace, protect me in this grim world from the terrors that seek to destroy my daily life. I implore you that my days will return again to the most simple of hunts, without great danger and insane events occurring around me. I ask thee of the gods. He continued on like that for a long time. I eventually just cut the link. Well, all in all, it was a successful day. Oh, and the stat points, I'll chuck a bit into strength for lols, and then 1.5 into wisdom, 1 into intelligence, 1.5 into strength, and with that, I have nothing to do again. Let's try out this meditation skill. End of chapter. Chapter 13 A sailor went to the sea, 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 to see what he could see, sea, sea. But all that he could see, 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 was a giant forking monster. Ferdinand POV After all that, I'm not in the mood for relaxing on the beach. I'll probably just end up being swarmed by sand slimes, or something worse. So I head back to the city for a second time today. At least this time, I won't be dragging along a giant crab. Another lengthy traipse across the shore later, and I'm back at the city gates. Walking through them, I consider what I should do for the rest of my day. I definitely don't feel like going out and getting monsters again, but just sitting around is a waste of the day. Back on the farm, this wasn't a problem. Work, day in and day out. There was always something to do. Too many, in fact, to do in a single day. It was painful, hard work. How I miss those days. Hello, would you like to become one of our Lord and Savior? A voice came from my right. Without even moving my head, I say, no thanks. His voice came again. If you ever change your mind, we'll be here. I stood back. I can't believe the same guy is still standing here. He was there when I first came to the city, saying that same line every time someone passed by. Every day. I've never seen him move so much from there. I have no idea who he worships, but just the way he says, become one gives me an off feeling. Still, he's not causing any trouble, so the guards leave him alone. Frankly, I think he just creeps them out, too. Most people here just ignore him. Now, perhaps some light training will relax me. Yeah, that sounds good, but after that... You know, how about I finally try out fishing? That should be relaxing. Yes, that's great. Feeling better already, I start whistling a tune as I walk off to the city. That night, near the gates, a man totters as he walks slowly along the road, model in hand. A voice calls out to him, Hello, would you like to become one with our Lord and Savior? The drunkard stops. Blinking blarily as his eyes try to focus on the man standing in front of him. 
slurring his words, he speaks, Blurt, what's that? The man stands there, his eyes staring in without flickering of movement at the drunkard. He doesn't blink, he stares again. Hello, would you like to become one with our lord and saviour? The drunkard scratches his head and takes another swig of the bottle, tilting his head far back and taking deep gulps. Then he looks into it and turns the bottle completely upside down, but nary a drop spools from the opening. Is Ismente? He tosses it aside, it doesn't matter, but clatters loudly against the paved road. The only sound apart from that and the ever-present wind was waves. He looks back at the man who is still looking at him, unblinking. What's that mean? he said. The man smiles, and the drunkard smiles back. Were he sober, he would see that the man's smile was only a movement of his mouth, almost as if it were just his imagination of a smile. I'm glad you asked. There are two options for those who wish to join our lord. He raises one arm, sticking up two fingers. The rest of his body is completely still. The first is the most popular. If you're not ready, you will be raised to level 20. On top of this, each of your stats will be permanently buffed by five. As a payout, however, 80% of all your experience you gain from now on will be given to our lord. And if you ever, ever be in a deadly situation, you will be automatically changed to a second option. He speaks in a pleasant but flat voice. He starts to continue, but is interrupted by the drunkard. That, that's crazy. Like, um, where do I sign up? The man continues to look at him. Are you sure? He says. Yes, yes, I am poor fisherman. Level 20. Level 20. What, what do I have to do? The man's smile grows wider, and he holds out his hand. Just shake my hand, the buff will take effect in half an hour. As for the levels, just keep pressing yes. The junkard shakes his hand, and a few seconds later, a message appears in front of his eyes. You have been invited to the party. Do you accept? Yes or no? Dubiously, he hits yes. Then another one comes up, and then another, then another, then another, and then many, many more. Every one of them are party invitations. He frantically hits yes on all of them. Then other notifications appear, this time four enemies killed in. Level up, you are now level 9, 2.5 stats gained. Level up, you are now level 10, 2.5 stat points gained. Level up, you are now 3.0 stat points gained. Level up, you are now level 20. 3.0 stamp points gained. The man stares back in shock as he's seeing, rubs his eyes and looks again. Pinches himself, looks again. It's still there. Then more messages come flooding in. You have been kicked from party. And many more like it. Level 20 within just a few minutes. You are now one of us. Enjoy your strength. Fervently, he thanks the man and then happily walks off, pondering where he put all his points. He never did find out what the second option was. Gerald B.O.V. You know, it has come to my attention that I am not utilizing my status as a fork sufficiently in humor. And as we all know, that is just unforkivable. Ha! 
<laughs> Thus, I will forthwith be adding lame fork funds to my list of priorities. Anyways, I should stop procrastinating. It's been seven days. Well, technically six and a half since the incident with the hermit crab. Not much major happened during that time. A bit of training, a lot of meditation. It's pretty much like how I am normally, except my manner sight becomes a sort of like a background. I stop noticing it, and I feel more focused on what I'm thinking. Shame, I have nothing constructive to really think of. I only took me a day to get the advanced, and now it is bordering on expert. Meditation, advanced, mid-rare, active, 83.17%. Enter into a state unburdened by the worries of physical world. There is only you and your thoughts that exist in this world. While in this state, mana regeneration is multiplied by two, psi regeneration is multiplied by two, and key regeneration is multiplied by fifteen, the normal rate. My stored key is around 2.5k by now, but I haven't gotten an opportunity to test it out. So, I'm looking forward to that. Ferdinand has been hunting on and off, of course. Unfortunately, my luck seems to have run out because the things I've been getting have been mostly useless. Waterproof, minor, water, and many water-based fluids will slip from your surface with great ease. Featherweight, minute. You feel lighter as a feather, a feather that weighs slightly less than you ordinarily did. That is, 1% weight reduction. So, yeah, and the amount of EXP I've gotten is minuscule with a grand total of 233. But on the plus side, since I've got that regeneration boost from meditation, self-repair went up a bit faster than I'd previously anticipated. Self-repair master low unique at active, 8.85%. By expanding a type of energy available to you, you can repair your own durability and recover your original form. Current energy is able to be used mana, psi, and key. Exchange ratio 5 mana to 0.1 durability, 10 psi to 0.1 durability, and 10 key to 0.1 durability. So, uh, I can repair myself with mana, psi, or key now. But since I want to stockpile key until it maxes out, I need Psy for telepathy. I only real boon for me right now is the slightly decreased cost. They really are being stingy with that now. And my experience gain has dropped even further to 0.01% pure durability. I have nothing better to do, so the math of that, long story short, is 20 days. Okay, this is more than just a bug. This is a game-breaking bug. This is like farming iron daggers for Smith's living Skyrim. One of those dupe glitches in Minecraft, or using an angel goat to compete against your friends, getting the most points within the time limit and goatsome. But, since I'm benefiting me, I don't really care. One last thing of note before self-repair. It is slightly reduced cost allows me to do four repetitions in a cycle. How does that affect anything? It doesn't really, but hey, it means that I can repair more in one go. In fact, I can now repair more in one go than I have durability. So, that's nice. Since what happened in the last city, I haven't been attracting monsters. 
Instead, I've been screwing around with small animals in the city, driving them away from food carts, wells, and that sort of thing. Now that I think about it, I'm probably reducing the levels of sickness and disease in the city. You're welcome, people who don't know I exist. Now, I think it's about time to utilize my epic fork psychic powers to wake up Sleeping Beauty over there. Judging by all the people getting up, it should be morning. B.O.B. Ferdinand Today is the day I get over my fear of boats. Richard is very well known in the fishing community here. He has found out almost instantly that I have started trying my hand at fishing. In one of his rare moments of clarity, he actually recognized that his friends were talking about me. So he invited me to go fishing with him. On his galleon, he has a galleon. And a full crew that he takes with him every time he goes fishing. Why doesn't he just use a smaller boat? I have no clue. As I walk up the gangplanks onto the deck, I feel it rolling slowly beneath my feet. My stomach begins to churn, and I begin to wonder why I agreed to this in the first place. All right, I wanted to learn how to fish better. Walking up behind me, Richard claps me on the back, just as the deck shifts beneath me. I fall to the floor where Richard looks at me in surprise. Don't have your sea legs yet. What have you been doing during your time here if not sailing, Frederick? He stretches out a hand to help me up as I grab it. I notice that his grip is incredibly strong, and when he hoists me up to my feet, he doesn't budge an inch even on the rolling deck, as if he were made of stone. Ferdinand, sir, I've been hunting monsters around the city, since I'm not used to being on ships. He laughs. It's about time for you to get used to it, then. There's no better crew anywhere in this area, and most of them have been my shipmates for decades. You're in the best of hands, Ferdinand. Relax and enjoy the sea, in all of its beauty. He walks to the prow and spreads his hands, but all I see is water. It's salt water too, so it can't even be drunk or used to water grumps. Not feeling it yet, you will. The seas are an entirely different world to the land, with their own rules and rulers. Whatever that means, this is sure to be an interesting trip, one way or another. Dozens of men, most of them with the hair that were graying and a pure white, clamber about the rigging, unfurling sails, tying ropes, and whatever else sailors do with twice the vigor of men half their age. Why do you take a galleon out to fish? I ask. Surely it would be easier with a smaller vessel. He stroked his beard with one hand and caressed the ship's carved trailing with another. I watched the ship, the sea dragon, being built. I've traveled across the seas on her, fought alongside her. He turned to me. This ship is almost as close to me as my wife used to be. I can't move on to another woman, and even if it would be easier, and I can't sail another ship. I can scarcely recognize him from the forgetful old man, selling fish in a stall by the side of the road. He looks alive, almost as if he's grown a few years younger, just by being on the ship. The sea is mysterious indeed. The sailors untie the mooring and the uh, put up the anchors and row our way out of the harbor and into the sea. We are off. Now, if you excuse me, I need to empty my stomach. 
violently. A galleon bobs up and down on the waters as smooth as a sheet of glass. Looking around at the sea is like looking into the sky. It seems as if one will fall for eternity if they fall overboard. A cloud drifts slowly across the sky, blocking the sun. A gargantuan shadow slowly shifts across the surface of the sea, providing shelter for the working sailors. Meanwhile, several men sit at one end of the ship, poles held loosely in a net of strings and drapes down into the water, causing a tiny ripples on the otherwise smooth surface where they meet with it. The men are quiet, still, relaxed, but watchful as they wait for a bite. The oldest one there speaks quietly to the youngest there. You have patience. Usually men at your age are rushing about here and there, but you seem content to sit. I like that. If a man won't wait to live, they won't wait to die. There is no point in rushing when you don't need to move in the first place. Exceeding, Ferdinand replies, completely relaxed. I used to be a farmer. Plants could take months to grow if you lack the patience and the harvest before its time, or you would get a chaff. A farmer without patience is a poor farmer. After that, a certain silence, the only sounds of the occasional splash of the fish being pulled out from the water, accompanied by the warm smile of its catcher. Most of the fish are caught by Richard, and very few are caught by Ferdinand. Still, the fact that he catches any at all says something about both his talent in fishing and Richard's skill as a teacher. And it can't be forgotten that they are in a location picked by Richard himself. With his experience and skills, picking a location rich in fish is a matter of course. As the day draws on and the buckets grow fuller, Ferdinand opens his mouth again. Thank you for bringing me with you today, sir. I really appreciate it. Richard smiled very fondly. Don't worry about it, lad. Old men like us, we feel happy just having someone to talk to. That's why we all go fishing together so often. Right, men? Yes, sir. Now, who caught the biggest fish? You did, sir. That's right. I did. The shadow moves over the surface of the water again just like any of the other times the cloud passed over the sun. But this time, Richard's gaze suddenly browsed sharp, and he throws the pole to one side where the clacks and rolls against the edge of the deck, falling with a plop into the sea. Standing, he roars, Maddle stations, it's a big one! All the sailors rush about, loading shot and powder into the cannons, fetching bows and ammunitions, closing and latching doors and hatches, Meanwhile, the surface of the water near the ship bulges upwards, waves surging outwards at something enormous surfaces, complete with a glassy orb of the size of a human head. Target the eye, Richard yelled, preparing his own weapons. A volley of arrows fly out with impeccable accuracy, going directly towards the eye of the beast. In a motion that looks almost ponderous due to its size, it slides its eyes shut and the arrows bounce off the rubbery flesh. A low boom echoes out and a chunk of flesh is torn from the eyelid, the beast issuing a wailing shriek as the cannonball continues into the eye behind it. Cut me a path, men! Richard's voice booms once more, clear even over the deafening screams of the beast. 
Another volley is loosed, but the difference between this and the first is akin to that of a lake and an ocean. Lying in perfect arrowhead formation, each arrow glows with a blue light, emitting a sharp sound as they cut through the air. But they never pierce the beast. No, they never even touch it. For as they approach, the flesh of the beast distorts and tears before them, each moving and creating deep trenches in the body of the beast. They pass by the beast, continuing into the water behind. The water parts at their behest, and they vanish into the abyss. Boom! Another cannon blast rings out, and another beast reels in pain, water and blood slipping from it and the sea below, creating waves and staining on the area around it in red. Even this cannonball glows as it powers through the air, but due to its size, it is even more eye-catching. The cannon was fired from the opposite end of the ship as the archers, but due to the angle, they both hit at the same area. Another, even larger furrow is carved into the flesh of the sea monster, leaving its set of cuts, and one small spot where they all intersect, leaving a particularly deep wound. My turn. With a savage grin, Richard grips his weapon and takes a bounding leap overboard, sending him soaring ten. No, perhaps even twenty meters above the surface of the water, leaving him directly above the beast. <laughs> Tensing all his muscles, both weapons and wielder began to glow dimly as he stretches with the breaking point. Then he flings it down, and the weapon disappears amidst the massive shockwave that radiates even through the surface of the water and creates a series of ripples. Where one on the ship they would only be able to hear the final scream of the beast as it dies. Richard, however, has a perfect view as it falls. His harpoon bores the bloody hole into it until it reaches the heart of the beast, killing it. Or it would die after the last bit of blood of its heart is pumped out and lost its oxygen, which will be very soon. In the meantime, Richard spins in the air, entering a smooth dive. When he hits the water... He slips into the smoothly as a fish, with nary a splash. Beneath the water, he swims faster than many can run, moving around as easily as a hawk in the high winds. He moves towards slowly sinking beast, diving into a hole created by the harpoon, now filling with last vestiges of its blood. With a titanic pull, he wrenches his weapon from the heart of the beast and swims back to the surface. Grabbing a rope ladder, he climbs up quickly and effortlessly. Reaching the deck, he raises the bloody harpoon high and proclaims his victory. POV Ferdinand When that thing fixed its gaze on me, we, that glossy, emotionless eye, I honestly thought that we were dead. But the way they dealt with it, they almost made it look weak. And while all of them were out fighting, all I could do was keep my footing. With all the rocking the boat was doing, this amounted and tilted. How did it not capsize? I wonder if one day I'll be able to fight like that too. I just don't think it's possible. Richard walks over to me, breathing heavily. All right there, lad. Your first sea battle. That was a doozy, he said. But I didn't do anything, I said, ashamed. I could bear to keep myself aboard. 
But you did, he laughs, and that's more than most people can say, I can assure you. I think you'd do well as a sailor, in fact. I lift my head, happy at the praise, and yet unsure if it really is something praiseworthy. Ow, my back, my back, he suddenly, and he bends over, thumping himself on his back with his fist. I really am getting old to be having such trouble with a child like that. My eyes bulged. A child? It was bigger than the ship. He glanced at me. Oh, sure, adult killer whales can grow to twice that size. Now, if you'll excuse me, I need to steer us clear of these waters before one of the parents come along. I follow him with my eyes in disbelief. The sea really is a different world. That thing was even bigger than a spider matriarch, and it's only a child. Still, I don't expect its level was that high. That would be insane. POV Richard Shifting the wheel in one hand, I glance at the notification hovering in my vision. Level 42, was it? It must have been a very young one indeed. Dismissing it, I focus back on the water. It is only here, out in the deeps, that I feel truly alive. It's partly because of my skills, I'm sure, but even so, just breathing in the sea breeze reminds me of better days. Days when my son stood beside me at the home as I taught him the ropes. Days when I held his hand in the water as I taught him to swim. Days when we sat around the table in the mess and ate together. If only I could reverse the timepiece. But no, that would be an insult to my comrades, an insult to their resolve, to their courage, to their sacrifice. If I could do such a thing, I would not, could not use it. Those times have passed, however much I wish for it not to be so. <sighs> the sea, calm and deep, welcoming and warm, yet how terrible a mistress is she, Men enter, but never leave. Ships sail, never to be heard from again. Perhaps one day, but not today. However cruel she treats me, yet I just can't leave her be. For if I ever loved a woman, I love three. My beautiful wife, God's rest her soul. My ship, her faithful companion. And the sea, hated and loved in equal measure. My hand moves of their own as I stare into the depths. I let them, and they never steered me wrong before. And my men won't tell me if they ever did. Captain, ship sighted. A holler comes down from the crow's nest. Drawing a deep breath, I bellow back, Any markings? In reply, he tosses down the spyglass. I'm not so old as to miss this. I reach out and grab it as it tumbles through the air. Extending it again, I follow the man's outstretched arm and focus on the horizon. My skill telescopic vision increases my vision threefold when using a spyglass, allowing me to easily spot the vessel. I pan around, and the more I look, the more I frown. No markings on the sails, no flags, no ensigns, a completely unmarked vessel. On the open sea, that can only mean bad things for us. To be on the safe side, we should retreat to the harbor. Just as I'm about to put the spyglass down, I catch sight of a figure on the prow of the ship. Perhaps this will give a clue as to the intentions of the vessel. I twist the spyglass, increasing the magnification and allowing me to clearly see the man's face. The spyglass drops from my hands, clattering on the deck. I'm too shocked. 
to care. It's impossible, absolutely, completely impossible. I saw his corpse, I buried it. Why is my son on that ship? End of chapter. Chapter 14. Finally, a useful ability. Fork, no longer? B.O.V. Ferdinand. I watch as Richard looks through the eyeglass at the ship on the horizon. He drops it in shock, turns and roars at his crew to pursue it. He turns to me almost as an afterthought and apologizes. I'm sorry this happened while you were on board, lad. But it's likely there's going to be a fight in a bit. Best you stay below decks for a while. I stood rooted in place for a second and then slowly to wound to walk to my bunk in the ship. This was just a normal fishing ship a minute ago. Why did it have to turn into a battle again? I look out of one of the thick windows in the hull as we drift over to the waves, going faster than we had been before. The ship on the horizon increases in size as we move towards it. Every wave of our ship crests, bringing us one step closer to combat. So why are we heading towards another ship? I thought this was just a fishing trip. Gerald's voice pops into my mind suddenly, and his light-hearted voice was only worsening my grim mood. I don't know, I say sadly, but it looks like we'll be fighting it, or rather, the others will. No, he said, and then says nothing more for a short while, making me wonder if he's still there. Then his voice comes back and is considerably more serious. You might want to know that many of the things on that ship aren't humanoids, then. They aren't humanoids? They don't look anything like a human. Lots of things with more than two arms or legs or both. A few blobs and a few tiny things. And that's not even counting all the tails and horns that I'm seeing. Heck, there's only one thing on that ship that looks normal. If that's the case, if that's the case, then Richard needs to know immediately. I get up from the window and quickly move towards the stairs and the deck. Gerald's voice comes out again. Oh, there. How are you going to explain knowing this? He has a point, but I can't just not warn a friend about something like that. I struggle for a moment to think up a suitable solution and then realize that I don't have to. If they all die because they don't know this, we will be dying along with them. What point would there be to have some caution? You're right, but stop anyway. I'll tell him with telepathy, that way, at least, he won't know where to start looking. It was a reasonable suggestion, and besides, Gerald knew more than I could tell them. He speaks again. He's the one with the steering wheel, right? Right, I think back. Then he is gone again, leaving me to wonder what I should do now. I go back to the window, peering through it at the approaching ship. It's close enough now that I can see the sails and rigging. Strangely, I can't see any figures moving about, and it's a strange ghost ship. I shiver at the sight. That wasn't one of those jinxes, was it? All right, I'm done. He was surprisingly talkative for someone so angry. Gerald's voice came out of nowhere again. I'll never get used to that. Angry, I thought in reply. Why would he be angry? Yeah, angry. Not at me, but I could feel it from the way he talked. He was incredibly angry, and even more sad. You have any idea of why that would be? How strange, I thought. This was just some pirate ship, but now it looks like it might be something else. 
No, it was perfectly fine before that ship showed up. I have no clue why he would be like that. Distracted, I look out the window and see the first cannonball come speeding towards me. POV Gerald Now the first thing I should mention, the ship is a fucking awesome. Whatever it's made of has a lot of mana in it. Not only that, there are some badass spell formations all over the hull. How do I know that they're all spell formations? Dunno. They're magic and they're circles, and I have all this neat cursive script and stuff. Not much else that it could be. Then that cannonball sped towards Ferdinand. I must admit, I freaked out a little bit. I could protect myself from that, but anybody else was way outside of my abilities. So, I was pretty darn glad when the ball just bounced off the window. I think Ferdinand almost fainted though. Don't blame him, we both thought he was a dead meat there. And honestly, there was pretty much another that I could do to contribute to this battle, besides a bit of info that I gave the captain of the ship. Which sucks. I really need to get some long-range attacks, like, you know, some magic, or perhaps some magic. Magic would be nice too. Just give me magic already, will you? Looks like I'm combat has broken out now. I mean, duh. Cannons have been fired already. But now people are jumping from deck to deck, whacking each other with their weapons. Which I can actually see this time. Yay. Must be made from mithril or something. Still, at the speeds that they are going, I can't even see their fights. Perhaps I should distribute a few more points into dexterity. Meh. Another level is still a bit off. I enjoyed what little I could see, however. In fact, I was so engrossed that I barely noticed Ferdinand wandering up the stairs. Are you suicidal? I asked him. What? No. He sounds confused. Then why are you wandering into a battlefield that's probably and entirely populated with people that are higher levels than you are? I asked. The battle is finished, right? Now he sounds even more confused, which makes me confused. No, everyone's still fighting. I can't hear anything or see anything out the window, he says uncertainly. I sigh internally, and I can see everything. They're still fighting. Talking about fighting, you should get away from the stairs, like now. He's confused, but he backs up quick enough. Something is dripping down on the stairs, falling into a puddle below them. Now normally I would think that this was blood or water, but that stuff doesn't have the concentration of mana. Also, they don't stick together to make some sort of slime. Apparently, Ferdinand here hadn't noticed anything, so I tell him that there's an enemy a few meters in front of him. That makes him get out his weapon real fast. It's some sort of slime. A sword isn't going to cut it. Literally, I said to him, unintentionally making a pun halfway through. All right, I'll try throwing you at it then. Now he's getting it. The puddle below the stairs wobbles and draws itself up into a vaguely humanoid shape, walking through the stairs as if there weren't any there to begin with. Then Ferdinand hurls me right at its head. Nice shot, man. Sadly, the slime reforms its head and leaves a massive gap for my path to travel. Crap. I land on the floorboards behind it, and it starts walking towards Ferdinand. 
I suppose he's currently trying to slash at it, but he just keeps changing its shape, the blade completely unable to touch it, I think. Meanwhile, here I am on the floor, trying to get the hang of moving around with key blasts. Even a small amount of key, we could say five, can make me move around a small amount. I'm trying to increase my next attempt by a small amount. All of a sudden, I'm speeding towards the slime, sinking slowly into its head. I feel the strange, viscous substance that is its body is made up of molding around me, exerting a light pressure. This is weird. I must have really surprised the being because it takes a second before it starts trying to dissolve me. Being mithril, I'm quite resistant against acid, but it's still doing some damage. Then I flip on absorb and the thing's head disappears. You know, I only remembered recently, but my absorb skills range is intelligence and wisdom, as it is right now. My range is sitting at a neat 19.5 centimeters. What this meant is that, provided that I'm at the center of it, I can absorb a whole basketball in one go. Not that I will ever do that. But now that I'm midair and good old gravity takes a hold to help me out, I start falling. As I fall, I continue to absorb the gelatinous stuff that the body as this particular creature is composed of. When nearing the floor, I hurriedly retract the absorption scale from below. I don't want to leave some strange hole in the ship. When I hit the deck, I can just imagine a light clink. Sound that I'm making an expression on Ferdinand's face. There is a bit of a goo smattered around the floor, remnants outside of my range of absorption, but it is definitely dead. And holy crap, I've got something awesome. Wait, multiple awesomes! Level 34, Mimic Slime Killed, Experience Gained 252.5 Fluid, Level 34, Mimic Slime Absorbed, Experience Gained 5050 Durability, Recovered 0.31 Skill Proficiency Increased, Absorb 0.21% Mana Sight 62.38% Exceeds 100% Reduced to 43.29%. Skills gained. Mana Sight Expert. War Manipulation Self Basic. Traits None. You have leveled up to level 29. Four stat points gained. Well, stick me in a cereal and call me a spoon. I think it's my lucky day. Finally, though, with the use of my form Manipulation Self, I can transform myself into a true master race of cutlery. A spork. <laughs> eh, eh, well, maybe not. But perhaps even more useful is to upgrade my mana sight. Three, two, one. The world explodes in HD. Now that's what I'm talking about. It is no substitute for true color vision, but now I can see approximately the vision of someone who is completely colorblind. Can a person be completely colorblind? Eh, who know what I mean? That being said, I can finally look at the people's faces, a whole heap of other things too, but faces are important. So, I take a glance over at Ferdinand, who is currently looking at me with eyes and mouth wide open. Hey, is it just me, or is actually? I know this may sound weird, being a gentler, sentient fork who sexually identifies as a straight male. 
but I think he may be reasonably handsome. Meh, since when have I cared about other people's looks anyway? Another thing I notice is that now I can see tiny specks of manna drifting around the air. I can see individual drops of water, the grain of the wood, and hey, I can now see Ferdinand's sword. And oh, how I missed this clarity. More importantly, with these four stat points, my whiz entails sitting at a nice 45. Sweet. Now, details of the skills, you say? Don't mind if I do. Manasite expert. Low, unique, passive, toggled, 0%. You are capable of seeing smaller congregations of mana than before within intelligence multiplied by wisdom divided by 1.75 meters. Their forms are now distinct. You can now differentiate mana by type. Let me see here. 1.12 kilometers. Meh. Okay, then. Feeling a bit overwhelmed with my number, I just open up the next one. Form manipulation, self, basic, high, rare, active, 0.0%. Through the use of mana, you can manipulate your own form at will, albeit slowly and roughly. Cannot change density or mass. Costs 5 mana per second while changing form. Costs 10 mana per minute while in the form or not your original form. Warning. Do not use this ability if you are a race with aspects that could result in death if you were to change them. For example, internal organs, mana pathways, etc. Yeah, let me just manipulate my brain to make it bigger. How stupid do you think I am? I don't have a brain, though. Let's take this baby out for a test drive, shall we? Activating the skill, I strive to mold it myself into the desired form. It's unlike anything I've ever felt before, but just the sensation of being able to just move something after so long gives me an inexplicable sense of bliss. It isn't like stretching an arm or a leg, and I can't exactly feel, per se. No, it's more like my existence itself is stretching. Like, if you close your eyes and you put your hand near your face, you can still tell how far away it is. That is stretching. And boy, does that feel strange. I only have three good minutes of this in me, so I try and hurry it up. It isn't very successful. It feels as if I've moved like treacle. It's moving, but it's not fast. Still, treacle speed is way better than solid metal speed. And eventually, I transform into a slightly misshapen knife with a thin blade. There isn't much to me, after all. Underweight is an understatement. Not much I can do to change into. Still, just looking at this ability is enough to kick my imagination into hyperdrive. But things like that are best left for later. At the current consumption of the skill, coupled with my regeneration, I am losing one mana per minute. With 300-odd mana, I lost just there. That gives me 10 hours. I think that that should suffice for a battle or two. POV Richard My harpoon embeds itself in the black heart of another demon, this infernal whale cut short as it starts coughing up blood. The coughs shortly turn to a mad laughter as it grabs the length of my harpoon, pulling itself closer to me as the red eyes glow with rage. You think I don't know you have two hearts, foul one? 
I say, the hand dropping from my waist and retrieving the knife that I keep there, before stabbing it on the other side of the chest. It draws one final pain breath, uttering the last words, I curse you. Black blood streamed from the deep wounds of its body, writhing towards me and imprinting evil patterns on my skin. I feel my strength and stamina being sapped away before it returns in a surge. The golden ring on my hand glints slightly as I fall through the air towards the deck of the enemy ship. I knew buying this ring of weak curse immunity would pay off one day, but I never expected it to be here. Demons and monsters this close to human lands are those young fools slacking off on their patrols again. Bloody idiots. Don't they know that even if there hasn't been an incident in a decade, it doesn't mean that there won't be one tomorrow. Landing heavily on the deck and the boards break under my feet. For the second time in this battle, there was one enemy that managed to slip through to our ship. So I went back, but it was already taken care of before I got there. So I came straight back, nailing a passing demon as I went. Half a dozen enemies surround me, already closing in and swinging weapons. Before they can get close to me, I lift my head up into the sky and let loose a roar that blasts across the battlefield, even causing the surface of the water to churn. The sounds of the waves and beasts in the sea themselves are roaring with me. Voice of the Ocean Fighting Spirit Plus Ten Demon and monsters alike were sent stumbling back, and those are just the ones on the opposite end of the ship. The ones near me have collapsed with ears leaking blood, if they have them. Meanwhile, my men have received a boost in fighting spirit and strength for a short time. With ease, I dispatch those around me and stride deeper into the ship. Who dares to use the face of my son? Who dares to blaspheme his memory? Fighting Spirit Plus Twenty That bastard had fled below decks as soon as combat started, and nobody had seen him since. I'm about to make sure that nobody ever sees him again. Striding through the corridor, I feel the locations of the enemies below me. Rarely I'm so enraged that I can use this skill, since hostiles. It allows me to feel the position of anything that wishes me or those in my party with me harm within a hundred meters. I use it to find them. He's the only enemy left below decks. The position should be the hold. For the amount of ships that I've been on, it doesn't take me long to find it. I step cautiously, since hostiles can't detect any traps. When I enter, I can't help but gag for a moment at the smell. Bloody monsters. Fighting spirit plus twenty. The hold is littered with corpses of various races. At a glance, I can spot humans, elves, dwarves, halflings, and lizardmen. The list goes on. No one of the corpses are intact. I begin stepping in between the broken limbs and the limp bodies, avoiding the pools of blood as possible, and my boots are gradually bathed in the gore as I walked. The red glow comes from ahead. The archway of twisting bodies has been erected in a pile of corpses, and demonic runes are scrawled across their skin. 
An ominous portal twists darkly within the arch. The front of it stands with one face of my son, standing on the bank face of a dead man as he looks at me, smiling gently. Seeing my son's face again, his smile, any other place, it would bring Tim a tear to my eye. Here, surrounded by death and cruelty, it just brings a chill to my spine. Hello again, it says. It's been a long time. However, I'm afraid. He turns around and walks towards the portal. I really must be leaving now. It waves a hand in farewell. Fighting spirit, plus twenty. My vision shakes, washed with a red fury. Without a word, I hurl my harpoon at him. But in a world the portal and him are gone with it. My harpoon pierces through the hull of the ship and into the water, slicing a trail of the waves as it speeds off into the distance. It comes back howled in the mouth of a sea dragon, gripping the edges of the hull. I tear into the hull. I wrench open a path with a mighty crack. Taking my weapon back, I sit on the scaly torso of the dragon. Let's go back, Nauvoo. Despite just being a child, it's more than strong enough to carry me along as it slithers across the surface of the water. Behind us, the hole I left flickers with flames, which spread slowly but surely along the ship. It's all I could do to lay their troubled souls to rest. End of chapter Chapter 15 Reminiscence Ferdinand POV in the past couple weeks, a lot of strange things have happened, most of them relating to Gerald. At the start, he was a telepathic fork that could see mana, and now is strange enough. But then, as things went on, it just got weirder. He became able to attract and repel monsters, became poisonous, able to repair himself, use key, and who knows what else. But after a while, I had finally resigned myself to the fact that I simply couldn't use normal logic on him. So, when his, uh, body, as it were, started distorting and changing shape, I wasn't shocked. Okay, maybe a little. In fact, I was more surprised that the dagger he turned into was a blunt as slightly misshapen. I suppose even Gerald can't master new abilities instantly. Well, it was more normal weapon than a fork, at least. Even with the usability, it was barely increased. On another note, I'd level up from the combat. Getting things way above your level really does do wonders. A shame it's such a completely unreliable method. It's only because of that freakishly powerful skill Gerald has, not that we can do it reliably. Honestly, doesn't that skill have to have any limitations? Range, it seems to be the only real limit it has. I wish I had that skill. A short while after the slime died, Gerald told me that the fight was over. Actually over this time. I still have no clue why I couldn't see anything happening before. But with any luck, we should be heading back to land now. I walked over to the staircase and started to climb it. The next moment the ground beneath me tilts and I trip on the stairs. Ouch! This time I hold onto the railing as I climb up the stairs. When I reach the deck, I am instantly jostled by someone moving past me. Looking around, I saw everyone is doing something, carrying something, fixing something. Shaking my way through the flurry of activity, I make it to the helm where Richard usually is when not fishing or fighting. 
He is trying something to the leg of a bird, which then throws up into the air. It flies away. Noticing me, he says, Just a messenger, bird. Some people need to know about what happened here, and birds fly faster than we sail. What happened? After the beginning of the battle, I couldn't see anything happening, I asked. Richard nods. One of the majors must have cast a spell to prevent surveillance. There are some magicians who watch the oceans from afar, so only those with similar spells can escape detection. He turns his head, and I follow suit. The burning hull of the other ship greets my eyes. As for who they were, he continues, they were demons and monsters. Smart ones, not your everyday beasts. We weren't able to find out what they were after, but I doubt that these few will be the end of it. Richard looks back at me and then claps me on the back. But you don't need to bother yourself over that. Once we've finished cleaning up the ship again, we'll be heading back to shore. I am left standing there, more confused than when it all started. Gerald POV Now that we've been here for, what, ten months, I suppose I should have stats explained, courtesy and the help function. Name, race, gender, age, level, experience speak for themselves, so I'll not get into that. Allegiance is much what it sounds like. It's the list of organizations and factions you consider yourself as being a part of. Fame is more interesting. Let me just get up the entry for reference. Okay, so for every hundred people who know about you and view you positively, it is increased by one. And for every hundred people who view you negatively, it is decreased by one. Seems like it isn't a very reliable way of determining whether someone is a good or bad. Say, you have this really nice guy, but he's angered at a massive dark organization, and so they set up an internal bounty for him. Boom! You have minus 50 fame. Although, if in this situation you didn't know about it, wouldn't the sudden negative fame boost be a pretty big indicator to GTFO of there? I take back the negative comment. Strength represents the amount of force that one can exert, of course. It means nothing to being like me who has no muscles or other way to exert force. Still, physical stats like these really bring up some questions in a realistic situation. Say, your human does increasing the strength stat affect your appearance. Do you become more buff? And is that number of flat measurement of strength that is equal to every muscle in your body? or more a multiplier of your base strength. Dexterity is a useful stat for anyone in combat situations, I think. If strength improves your muscles, dexterity improves the control over them, and your body in general. On top of that, it increases your motion, perception, and thought speed. Well, even if you have perfect control over your body, there is no use in your body is weak. So it is not that dex is a prime stat or something. Still, I imagine it would be increasingly important for any job that requires precision. Craftsmen, snipers, scribes, acrobats, and so on. Intelligence increases the calculation speed, as well as the ability to think outside of common sense and question the norm. It also improves information retention, memory, not that it affects me. If intelligence tells you how to build a railgun, wisdom tells you that you didn't even need a pistol like that to kill the slime. It reduces superfluous actions and improves decision-making abilities, almost like a mental version of dexterity. It also increases your self-control, which is always nice. 
charisma, enhances empathy and acting talent, as well as subtly improving your appearance based on your own preferences. I'm guessing that this is within reasonable bounds, like you can't grow horns or something, but this system, after all, who knows what is included as a feature or not. Hardness, simply a number relating to the required force to do a certain amount of damage on an object. Any increases or decreases in the stat outside of changes in material do not affect their density or appearance. Durability is a measure of how much damage an object can take before ceasing to function as an object. And luck. Now this stat, and I quote, increases luck. Now what the heck is that supposed to mean? Ah well, the rest of the stats mana, psyche, well, it's not hard to guess, just measures your maximum capacity of those energies, as well as your current amount, regen, well, that's the name, right? And as a brief recap on other things, skills, I don't know if there's a rank below uncommon, because I've never gotten one, <laughs> from what I could tell, it goes, maybe, something below uncommon, uncommon, rare, unique, with each being broken up further into low, mid and high. Proficiencies go from basic, advanced, expert, master, something above master, probably. Traits, I'm not really sure about these. I've got a minute, minor, small, average, of moderate, large and huge. I think that's the order, but I could be wrong. Also, I've got a plus one attached to one of them. And what's with that? After all, the kerfuffle ended and the ship turned around and started heading back to port. In the meantime, I amused myself by familiarizing myself with the appearance of the many members of the crew. Walking around, climbing on the rigging, sleeping, this doesn't feel strange at all. Totally normal. You know, getting mana sight to expert proficiency has had some unexpected effects. Case in point, that man over there, I can see through his body, to some of his internal organs, lung, stomach, and a couple others. The hollow ones, I guess, rather off-putting. Well, I get used to it eventually. Ignoring that, though, the trip is a peaceful one. I watch people chatting, wishing for upteenth time that I could hear what they were saying. Then I realize I may not be able to hear what they are saying, but maybe I can see what they are saying. Time for this fork to learn how to lip-read. Richard P.O.V. The voyage back home is without incident. We must have used up a year's worth of bad luck in the last few days. If anything more happens, the world has gone mad. I see Ferdinand off at the box, laughing as he stumbles around for the first few minutes. After I organize everything on the ship, I step down on the gangplank onto the pier. My strength drains away, thoughts moving slow as if I was in taffy. An ache pulses dully through my lower back. It feels as if I've aged ten years in ten seconds. This is the worst part of sailing for me, I think. The landing, the loss of vitality, of usefulness. This is how I am on land. Old. And this is why I go fishing so much. With my blessing of the sea skull, I can feel young again at sea. With a sigh, I step slowly towards my house. It wasn't always like this. Cradling my newborn child, I gazed at him lovingly. Hearing the hoarse whispers behind me, I crouched down behind my wife, placing him gently in her tired arms. 
As she held him, I saw in her eyes a love so deep and pure that my heart could not help but skip a beat. He still exhausted from the labor, she spoke softly. He's a boy. His father should name him. I had been thinking of names for weeks, months even, and her words had still turned my mind into a mess as I frantically tried to remember them. Harold? No. Richard? That's a good name. Wait, no. That's my name. After about a minute of looking like I was carefully thinking, but really being in a panicked frenzy of thought, I finally managed to remember the name. How about Rodney? I said softly. She mulled it over for a moment and said, Rodney, I like that. You know, I half thought you might name him something ridiculous, like Richard Jr. I would never do something like that, I protested as I dropped a sweat ran down the back of my neck. For a while, we just sat there in silence watching the adorably cute sleeping face of our baby. Father, father, you're back! A small figure took running leap into my arms, laughing as I spun him around in a tight hug. Setting Rodney down, I took him a moment to recover his breath. Father, when will you take me out into one of your trips? He asked, hopefully, sending a wave of sadness through me. I had wished I could be home more often, but at that time, pirates were coming out of the woodwork. Smugglers and slave ships seemed to have been increasing recently as well. Something must be happening. Discarding my rampant thoughts, I looked at his expectant grace and smiled. When you become strong enough to defend yourself, Rodney, the sea is not a safe place, and you are only eight years old. Crestfallen, he looked sadly at his feet. But, I continued, making him perk up adorably, if you train hard enough, I might be able to arrange something for your tenth birthday. His face dropped again. But father, that's nearly two years away. I ran my rough hand through his sand-colored hair and pulled him into another hug. Yes, son, it is, but if you train every day, it won't seem so long. Besides, if we're both gone all the time, your mother would be sad. He nodded a bit uncertainly. Okay, father, I'll try my best. That's my boy, I said, setting him back down on his feet. Now, how about we both go and give your mother a big hug? Smiling, he nodded and we ran off laughing into the house. I had watched as Rodney fought to the death with the pirate. No longer a child, he stood only a bit shorter than the rest of us at age fifteen, and the muscles on his arms bulged visibly as he swung his spear to parry the slash from the pirate's cutlass. Even if I hadn't been home much throughout his childhood, I could tell from his technique that he hadn't snacked off on training. Smooth and clean, the movements were instinctive to him, able to execute them flawlessly with barely a thought. I had felt a surge of pride as I saw him narrowly dodge a cut to the stomach. Truly, he was a better son than I deserved. There was one thing holding him back, however. He had never been in a real fight. Hence why I arranged that. The pirate was from a small-time crew of twenty, barely worth our time. We left only one alive and promised him safety if he could defeat my son. And then, despite the fact that the pirate couldn't even touch him, Rodney's counterattacks were lackluster, slowing down dramatically as they neared his opponent. Just imagine him as a training dummy, Rodney. He's about as skilled as one, after all, I encouraged him. 
a small smile flitted across his otherwise tense face, and I saw him relax slightly. Visibly frustrated, the pirate sent a strong thrust towards Rodney, but without a proper stance, not such an action can leave Hewton terribly off-balance and vulnerable to a counter-attack if it does not succeed. And so it did, as Rodney avoided the blow with a swift movement, simultaneously he spun his spear, whacking the end of it into the sword hand of the pirate. With a brief explanation of pain and shock, the pirate dropped the sword, and in the next moment the blade of Rodney's spear gleamed in the pirate's throat. I let out a sigh. So he couldn't finish it after all. Sternly, but gently, I said, Kill him, Rodney! But his unarmed father, he said, head turning towards me. His grip on the spear relaxed slightly, and the tip lowered a few centimeters. The pirate's eyes gleamed. An unarmed man who was just about to wrench your spear from your hands to kill you with it, yes, I admonished. Startled, he looked back at the pirate, whose hands had stopped inching away from the haft of the spear. Rodney grimaced. Resolving himself, he gritted his teeth and thrust forward eyes closing slightly to prevent himself from seeing it. It won't work. You'll just feel the sensation of the spear piercing the body even more. The lifeless body of the pirate slumped to the floor at the same time Rodney dropped his spear, staring numbly at his hands. Good job, Rodney. We'd have to correct the habit of closing his eyes at some point, but years of experience with rookies had told me that that wasn't the time. I was shuffling through the reports in front of me, analyzing them for possible deeper meaning as I sat at my desk in our family's mansion. My days in the Navy hadn't been without the benefits. There was a knock on the door. Come in, I said. The door swung lightly open and I looked up to see my visitor. Standing there was Rodney. Strangely, he was in plain clothing that day, usually. You wouldn't see him without his Navy colors but I suppose we had been home for a few weeks. He looked around stiffly and said, Sorry, wrong room, and turned around and walked out. A thought crossed my mind and I voiced it to Rodney. You're almost twenty-five now. Perhaps you should think about starting your own family soon. He stopped and briefly turned his head back. I'll keep that in mind, he said, and then left quickly as he came, shutting the door behind him. How strange... Shaking my head, I resumed my work. Judging by the timepiece on my desk, it was about twenty minutes later that I heard the scream. Naturally, I couldn't ignore something like that, so I had rushed to the source of the scream. At the time, I didn't even notice that it was Rodney's room that I had rushed into. My heart had felt as if it had fallen into the depths of the ocean at that moment. It still feels heavy whenever I remember it. A maid was frantically trying to stop the blood flow coming from Rodney's chest with hands. As he lay on the bed, unsuccessfully, she was in a state of hysteria as I pushed her aside. Looking back, it must have been the first time the poor girl had witnessed such a brutal death. I checked him over. My blood ran cold that day. Dead. I hastily remembered shouting to the guards to find whoever had done it. My wife's wail of sadness as she saw what had happened. We must have sat there for hours, hugging each other and sobbing. The guards never found anything, and I had not seen a trace of anything that could have been related to his death since then. Until now. Gerald P.O.V.
I've mentioned this before, <laughs> but I can see it a lot more now with my expert mana sight. And now that we're back in the city, I'm noticing a lot more things. For starters, not everyone is human. There are a lot of furred bipedal beings that I'm guessing, but of a stretch, I know, a beastmen and woman of some sort. Some scaled-tailed people with clawed feet, probably lizard men, and a scarce few elves. While I think so, they have pointy ears and fair features, at least. Another thing I'm noticing is, uh, I really can see almost anything. And right now, I am once again extremely glad for having no hormones affecting my mental state. If you know what I mean. Then, there's the few people in chains or cages. Yeah, slavery's a thing here. Somehow, that makes me a little angry. Of course, exactly how bad it is for slaves depends entirely on the sorts of laws that there may or may not exist to protect them, and the personalities of their masters. But overall, it's just not okay. And the last thing, damn, I can see everything. And what I'm seeing is making me legitimately contemplate turning off mana sight. Men not controlling their desires in alleyways, thefts in the streets, a murder at the docks, and a group of underground that is currently beating up people. It's maddening that they're just blatantly doing it all in the open. I mean, yeah, they're not exactly out in the open, and doing it in secret is arguably worse, but what is this sort of thing happening 24-7? I am going to be angry all the freaking time. What's worse is that I can't do diddly squat. The voice in your head thing might work in a situation like before, but if a voice just pops into a god's head saying there is a criminal X direction, they're just going to think that their mind is making random things up. And this is not like Ferdinand is strong enough to do it all himself. Yet. So all I can do is ignore it and train in self-form manipulation. I was kind of wondering what the level above master is, but that'll have to wait. And now the fork changes into various strange shape show. End of chapter. Chapter 16. Father and son imposter face off. A metallic whitish blue fork flips madly into the air. After a few moments, gravity takes a hold and it begins falling once again. With a slight poof, the moving air and unseen force pushes it back up, causing it to dance on the wind. It falls again, rises again, falls again, rises, barely half a centimeter before falling again. The elemental randomness of this key brass makes it incredibly difficult to do accurate movement with it, especially since it receives so little to move me, so a difference of 5 points, let alone 20, is a large increase in power. But increasing the proficiency to rectify that problem requires me to use it. So here I am, flipping away. Still, movement is pleasant new experience, even if it is a bit randomized. Keyblast Basic has evolved into Keyblast Advanced due to 100% proficiency. Keyblast Advanced Mid-Rare Active 0% Expel Key from your body in a concentrated blast. Power varies with key infused. With your lack of experience, you are not able to accurately control the amount of key you infuse into the skill. It may vary for up to 10 points. Better, 
I want zero variation. I can't trust range. Well, back to it, I suppose. I seem to be stuck. I really should have guessed that I might fall times first. Let's see. How about twenty key? I activate my skill again, and I'm propelled out the hole and into the air again. And then my tires neatly slip back into the earth. Well, all righty then. I check my status briefly. Good timing. My mana is back to maximum. Activating the manipulation itself, I first bend most of my body into a flat to the ground, and then draw my tines out of the ground. After that, I form myself into a ball. A very small wonky ball, but a ball nonetheless. Ha! Let's see me get stuck into the ground like this. I fall into the crevice. Well, whatever. With a simultaneous utilization of key blast and absorb, I can cut a path back to the surface, and another key blast horizontally keeps me from out of the way with both hole and crevice. Key blasts in the midair aren't as effective motion-wise as ones from solid surface, but they still work, albeit to a lesser degree. I am currently around two kilometers out of the city. There's nobody within range of my vision. And at this distance, it would be strange if somebody does notice me than if they don't. I am very small, after all, and seeing something with a size measured in centimeters from a distance of over a kilometer would require some pretty serious visual acuity. Not to mention luck. Well, it's not like people with abilities like that won't exist in this world. I mean, look at me. I'm just ten months old and I can do all of this. All right, I may be a bit of a bad example. You get my drift. There are always anomalies. Ferdinand is off hunting nearby. I worry a bit when he doesn't have me to make sure that he doesn't get KO'd by some powerful monster that walks along. But there's none of them around here. Besides, it's not good for him to rely overly on my protection. Not that I won't rush over there if something serious happens, of course. I wonder, now that I can move, should I do some hunting of my own? Days pass as we leisurely train and hunt. It almost seems as if though all the crazy events of the past week or two were all a dream. Until... Richard P.O.V. I walk down a familiar hallway, old memories swirling to the surface of my mind through the thick haze of age. Despite all the friends and triumphs I had here, my countenance is grim and unchanging. I have come back to the headquarters of the Empire's Navy for one purpose, and one purpose only, to find whatever it was that I saw that day. It is doubtful that they would have any intelligence on it precisely, but uh, I think back to the piles of corpses I saw in the hold of the ship, that many people don't go missing without people noticing. After asking a few old buddies, it turns out that the current head of information department is a navy of the past student of mine. Stepping into his office, I wrap my knuckles under the door. I hear someone within the room get up and walking to the door. It opens a moment later. He looks at me quizzically for a second and then his eyes widen in recognition as he snaps to attention, saluting. When I finally manage to recall his name, I open my mouth. I am an admiral no longer, Harry. You don't have to salute me. He relaxes, smiling abashedly. It's reflex by now. I can't exactly stop doing it, sir. But rather than that, why have you come back? 
I sigh and explain the bare minimum. When I was fishing the other week, I came across another ship. It was full of demons and monsters and corpses. Harry tenses, looking furtively down the corridor, seeing the complete lack of any other people. He sighs briefly in relief and beckons me inside. I step in, and he quickly closes the door behind me. I frown. Why all the secrecy? Harry sits down at the neatly arranged desk, hurriedly taking out a few documents. If I'm right, this could involve some very powerful people. Do you remember the old abandoned mansion out west? I think for a moment and then give up. No. He frowns. This little grave family mansion thought to be haunted by almost a century. Anyway, someone recently bought up the land and paid the priests to come out and purify the whole place. Couple of months later... Our contacts in the underworld tell us the same person has bought out almost all the slave supply. How bizarre. Something like this would take a hefty chunk out of anyone's coffers. Gulping, that's the only thing we know and that could account for such a large number of people going missing. Give me a map that shows me where the mansion is, I said flatly. He hesitates and then takes a piece of paper out of the drawer of his desk, handing it to me. If anyone asks, I didn't say anything, he said in a similar tone. Sure, it shows enough detail of the surrounding area for me to find it, so I stand and turn to leave. Sir, I turn back to him. He sits there, opening and closing his mouth for a few seconds, but he doesn't say anything. Finally, Harry gathers himself and says, Just uh, be careful, sir. With a slight nod, I leave. After Richard leaves, Harry closes the door behind him and slowly sinks into his chair. He looks down at his hands. They are trembling violently. He tries gasping at the desk, taking a swig of a flask of wine. Nothing works. They never told me it would be you, he mumbles, holding his head in his hands. For the first time in his life, Harry finds himself wishing that he had disobeyed orders. Damn it, he swears rushing up to the door and opening it again, but Richard has already left. Closing the door, he quietly takes out a flask again, taking several long drinks from it. In all likelihood, he won't be able to sleep tonight. Shuffling some papers around, he looks at the document hidden under all the rest. Orders from the top brass. Not that anyone would know the page was unmarked and unsigned. It was strange when he first saw it, a stranger still when he looked at it now. It simply stated that if anyone were to come to him inquiring of missing people, demons, monsters, or monitored vessels, he must describe to them the points outlined, namely that the old mansion being bought and purified recently, and the purchase of large sums of slaves by the same person. He must then provide them with a map attached, and should thereafter in no manner disclose this information to any other party. The situation outlined by the orders was ridiculous in and of itself. After all, if someone wanted information, would they not ask one of his many subordinates first? Not just anyone could walk to the door of his office unannounced. In fact, only his superiors and a few old friends could. The realization strikes him heavier than a whale. It wasn't just that Richard happened to be the one asking. No, the entire situation was created so that he would be the only one who could ask. Following the path out through the conclusion makes him break out in a cold sweat. 
Harry coughed small wine from his flask, emptying it completely. He definitely isn't getting any sleep tonight. Meanwhile, Richard is overlooking the land from the top of a rocky cliff. Compared to the prominent landscape features of the map, having reconfirmed the direction he has to take, he makes his way down the cliff again. In his youngest days, he might have just jumped down, but his age is catching up to him, and wasting energy now would be simply foolish. Normally, even walking around would be to use a dull pain to radiate from his bones, but not today. His fighting spirit has been steadily increasing since the moment he left the Navy headquarters, and it causes the pain to become meaningless, forgotten amidst the anticipation of battle. So he walks, and walks, for hours he walks, stopping only to check the map, eat and drink. When the run-down mansion is finally in sight, the sun has already begun to set on the horizon, and night is swiftly approaching. Caution struggles internally against the thrill of fighting spirit coursing through him, as well as the intense desire to find out precisely who, or what, it was that had taken the appearance of his late son. Caution prevails. There are many beings of evil that grow in strength at night, and he already knows that demons are involved. On land, he is already bereft of the advantage provided to him by the sea. Why disadvantage himself further? Richard settles himself down on a stone, keeping a vigil watch on the property. If anything escapes during the night, he doesn't know if it will be able to forgive himself, not when he was so close. The last vestiges of the sun slip over the horizon, and the world is blanketed in the darkness once more. Stars speckle the night sky, interrupted occasionally by dark clouds. A common sight for any of this world's denizens, no doubt. But were Gerald able to see this, he would be startled, and very, very confused. For where Earth's night sky was innumerable stars of different colors and brightnesses populating it, Adria's skyline was vastly different. While there were still many stars in the sky, they numbered in the hundreds, not the thousands. What stranger still was that every star had the same color, the same size, and a vast majority of them had the same brightness, with some few numbering in the lower tens outclassing the splendor of the rest by an order of magnitude. But perhaps the strangest of all of these each star is one that looks closely enough, has a specific shape. Indeed, there is one shape like a sword, another like a bow, yet another like an anvil. Nevertheless, Richard does not seem astounded by this irregular vista, remaining on the lookout unblinkingly. Time wears on beneath his patient gaze, and fatigue begins to tug at him gently, enticing Richard into a sleet sleep. Only the steady burn of the frightening spirits coursing through him even now keeps him awake. Terok, ponderously tracing his way across the sky, eventually reaches the peak of his orbit. It is the moment that Richard's eyes gleam, standing almost instantly, while his hand shoots towards the harpoon holstered on his back. A silhouette exits from the dilapidated mansion's front entrance, walking leisurely towards Richard. One hand still in his harpoon, the other moves towards his pouch at his side, drawing from it a vial of translucent, colorless liquid. Without taking his eyes off the advancing figure, he pops the cork and downs the contents in a single gulp. After a moment, Richard's eyes begin to glow so softly that it would be impossible to notice in daylight. In the darkness, however, they emit a mystical brightness. 
Any alchemist worth his salt can concoct a night vision potion, provided that they have the ingredients. But the huge demand by adventurers, guards, thieves, and many others keeps the price high nonetheless. If you can't see in the dark, such things are indispensable. Richard's eyes sharpen, focusing on the figure. It's him again. His body is concealed by the voluminous cloak, but the face is unmistakable. Richard hates everything about the situation. He is going to be completely blind, metaphorically speaking. He doesn't know his enemy's fighting capabilities. He doesn't know if they have allies in the hiding. Hell, he doesn't even know what his enemies are. The ground is completely bare without a single blade of grass covering the baldness. The dry ground grates against his boots as he calmly takes a stance, taking care that his every muscle and tendon are exactly as they should be. It is silent, completely unnaturally so. The only sound for miles around is the slowly approaching footsteps of the imposter and the steady breaths of Richard as he composes himself for the inevitable conflict. A small circle of dust is stained with a dark brown with a sound softer than that of a feather landing. The spot is joined by another just a step away. And then another. Then thousands as the rain begins in earnest. Richard doesn't flinch and the moisture cursing down his body. If anything, he welcomes its touch to an old friend. Water holds no secrets for the long-time man of the sea, and it does not hinder him in the slightest. The two grow closer, two hundred meters, then one hundred, eighty, fifty, thirty, twenty. Again, Richard Hands shoots out a noose pouch and then forward, sending four shapes streaking out towards his opponent. With a flash and a series of dings, the imposter skillfully deflects the projectiles, a spear held relaxedly in his hands. Is that how you treated your son? How terrible, he drawls, his voice smothered heavily in the roaring downpour. Richard hears the clear as day, and he says softly, What are you? As much as a question as it was a probe of his opponent's abilities. The imposter raises his hands to his shoulder height on either side of him, shrugging and shaking his head as a spear lulls dangerously in his grip. Now that would be telling, suffice to say. I'm not your son. He looked Richard in the eye, smiling. But you wouldn't believe me even if I said I was, would you? Richard doesn't reply, but neither does he break eye contact. His hand moves yet again to his pouch. This again! The imposter laughs. He's readies himself for combat. Richard tosses another string of blades. So slow. With a slight tremble, Richard disappears from where he had been standing momentarily, leaving a space void of rain, and he reappears behind the imposter, sending a flurry of stabs towards him. Almost contemptuously, the imposter deflects each strike with a twirl of his spear, smiling gloatingly as he brushes the last one aside. An instant later, his smile freezes and he quickly dodges to the side. Frowning, he picks a dagger up from what is lodged in his back. Clever, but it won't do you any good. Shedding his coat reveals the black leathery armor that hugs his body. Flames flicker in and out of existence all along the surface of it, creating a constant hiss as the contestants against the rain. Do you like it? I personally killed the nightmare this was made from. 
Then they are at it again, whirling in a swarm of thrusts and slashes, their feet moving almost as fast as their weapons, send water flying in the puddles around the ground as they shuffle about, each trying to get an advantage of the other. Richard's eyes widen slightly, then become even more determined as he utilizes a heavy kick to blow the imposter backwards. He is unharmed, but he skids backwards over a dozen meters into the slippery soil. In the meantime, Richard quickly assesses his pouch again, drawing from it a vial after vial of colored liquid, each of which he downs with careful haste. Some he drinks simultaneously, tossing empty vials aside. He barely downs the last one when the imposter darts in with another attack. Tossing the last few vials at his face, the shatters them with a backhand, sending glassy shrapnel flying. Leaning to one side to avoid the cloud of projectiles, the imposter stabs forward at Richard's stomach, but hurried twist of the harpoon by Richard deflects it. But not enough. The sharp spearhead pierces through the air towards Richard's side, but after cutting through his clothes, it skids across the empty air. Caught in Richard's shirt, the spear tears a gaping hole into the coarse fabric as it returns to his side, revealing a scaly armor underneath it. Do you like it? Richard grins savagely. I personally killed the giant sea serpent that this was made from. The imposter curses. Bastard! How about we get serious now? Richard's eyes narrow. Gladly. Try not to die too quickly if you can. Both jump back from the melee and both Richard's hands move into his pouch with the imposter tensors. A bloody aura leaking from his body and condensing upon his weapon painting it crimson. The imposter leaps back into battle soon after, and Richard's hands return from his pouch, now garbed in a pair of scale gloves. Spreading his hands out into the sky, ten glints of light fly out. The airborne harpoon tilts midair, shooting towards the imposter. He slams it away, but it curves around back again. Eyes widening in desperation, the imposter jumps backwards in a graceful arc landing on his hands and flipping backwards again onto his feet. The harpoon embeds itself in the ground, wire uncoiling from its shaft. You're bloody joking! The wires arc towards him through the air, cutting off all paths of escape. Gritting his teeth, the imposter mists a burst of key, blasting the wires backwards. But a moment later they correct the course once more, streaming towards him uncannily, unable to repeat the burst so quickly. All he can do is dash to one side, warding off a few of what he can with his spear. The imposter feels the light impact, as if something hit his armor, and then he suddenly feels as if he was hit with a hammer, and something digs through the armor and into his skin. Yanking it out, he looks at it incredulously for a moment. A fishing hook. Then the hook slips from his grasp, flying at his face. Hurriedly, he lets go of the sharp wire now slicing across his armored palm and dodges the best of his ability. The hook misses him, but it turns yet again and a hook into the back of his neck. Another impact leaves it embedded there, causing the imposter to gasp for breath before again creating a burst of key which expels it from his body and repels the other nine wires almost upon him. Desperate to close the gap, the imposter sprints towards him. Strangely, although he was not moved to step, 
Richard is breathing heavily as he manipulates the wires streaming from his fingertips to twist into the air again and form a wall of wires in front of him. Eager to decrease Richard's fighting ability, the imposter slashes at the wire with his blood spear. This particular wire suddenly loses its mysterious flight capabilities, falling to the ground and rendering the strike completely ineffective. The remaining wires close in on the position yet again, him seeing completely helpless before the impossible range of movement. Just as they are about to latch onto the imposter and slice him into ribbons, hundreds of bones rise from the ground to create a barrier in front of him. A moment later, a horde of skeletons emerge from the mud behind Richard, wielding nothing but rusted swords. They are a little danger individually, but in numbers they can be a threat to those much stronger than them. Suddenly, forced to split his attention between two directions, the effective battle power Richard can exert in either direction is less than half the strength that he could originally. One hand points forward, one back, and the wires whip around the horde of skeletons, shattering thousands of bone fragments and the wind and covering the ground there in white. On the other side, the imposter is fending off five wires attacking him as he moves slowly towards Richard. A series of bone spears flies towards Richard, his attention on so many different things. Richard is barely able to avoid the bolts, and for a moment his wires start falling from the air before they again latch onto his many opponents. Within the skeletal army, two dark shapes rise from the ground, snorting steam rises from the nostrils of the two dark horses, and the stench of death surrounding them despite their apparent life. Upon each of them seated an armored warrior wielding one hand and a large sword and the other holding aloft a severed heads. They charge towards Richard without a care for whether the mud or their fellow skeletons that is crushed beneath their hooves. Pressured more with every passing second, he has no choice but to take a risk. With an explosion of steam and air and the wire stashes out and blinding speed towards the skeletal foes, bisecting every skeleton in its path. The wire swiftly reaches the two dual hands. The first blazes its blade in an attempt to block, but the wire cuts straight through the sword. The dual hand itself and its deed fall in one motion, before continuing on to the next dual hand. It also raises its blade, and this time it looks as if it is successful. The wire cuts through half the width of the weapon, and then moves no further. But in another rush of motion, the wire starts moving again, cutting through the second Dullahan as well. Richard Mouth curves into an exhausted smile, then his face freezes, and he looks clumsily down at the spear protruding from his stomach. His face distorts in pain. Roaring, he clenches his teeth, making perhaps the final movement. Still impaled by the spear, he reaches down with his pouch and upends it completely. Clothes, food, various items spill from the opening endlessly without any regard for the laws of space. Potions also fall out. Tens upon tens of potions kept on raining for days. With a final breath, Richard steps on the vials, crushing them and causing the contents to mix uncontrollably. Oh, the imposter doesn't even wait to finish his words before rushing backwards as the alchemical mixture starts pulsing with light exploding in a massive green fireball. After the initial detonation, the fire keeps burning on the ground, unrelenting even under the heavy rain and without fuel to feed the blaze. 
the impostor slowly gets up from the mud where he was thrown by the blast. His face was a horrific mess of burnt flesh, and even some parts of his armor don't escape unscathed. Taking off his armor piece by piece, he reaches into his garments and fetching a vial of red liquid. Downing it, he grimaces as the liquid traces across the scorched flesh and the lips and throat. His lesser wounds heal and he stops bleeding, but his face is still torturously painful. He downs another, then having used up all his healing potions, yells out, Old man, do you have any healing potions on you? Of course not. Don't you know they only hurt the undead? The voice came from the cloaked figure wielding the tall wooden staff that looked as though he'd been burned black. And why the hell didn't you help more? The imposter screams. The cloaked man says amiably, Every skeleton that dies is a terrible loss to me, you know. It'll take me a while to train some new doula hands. The imposter sneers at the cloaked man. The expression, almost the stuff of nightmares due to the partially formed, partially burned skin on his face. Yeah, right, you wanted me to die so that you could take all the credit. The cloaked man chuckled happily as the pouring rain washed away the last vestiges of blood and ash, and all that was left on the battlefield is a single harpoon stuck in the ground. POV Gerald Until one day, two weeks later, after the events on the ship, one of the members of Rich's crew bumps into Ferdinand as he makes his way through the city. They start chatting and eventually he breaks the bad news. The ship's crew has a few magic casters and one of them had given the captain a notebook before he left. The notebook was magically linked to his own so that they could exchange messages across great distances. The notebook had spontaneously turned to ash the other day, which means that Richard... I suppose that you'll want to find out who did this, I asked Ferdinand telepathically. He looks somewhat despondent, but I can tell that he'll be able to come back from this. Yes, yes I will. He was an old friend of mine and much higher level than me. I can't imagine who could have. He pauses for a moment. But even if we could find out who did it, there's nothing we can do. I shrug internally. Perhaps, perhaps not. I think it's time to get serious in my training. Training all day, every day isn't serious, he retorts. Indeed, it is time to stop treating the system like a game. End of chapter Chapter 17 Fork Gets Skills Gerald P.O.V. At first glance, the status window looks like a menu in a game, at second and third glance too. But the thing about a game, you see, is that everything is pre-programmed. Sure, there are AIs and all of that, but even they are limited. In their search options, the different animations and how they act looked at the time long enough, and things begin to repeat. Now, I'm not about to say that the people here are AIs or something. That'd be stupid. But menus are the same way as well. All your stats have limits, upper and lower ones, and there are a limited range of skills and abilities you can obtain. The titles are generally only obtained from quests or by performing special feats. Also, they are pre-programmed, and the descriptions and skills themselves are programmed to do certain things. Now, while well, in a game says there's a fireball spell and a firebolt spell, generally you can get one without the other, and the only relation between the two is a similar effect. 
Here, though, everything is caused by something. It's not just cast X skill, Y manner deducted. The manner actually goes somewhere and carries out the skill. And the descriptions, some of them almost real tailor-made from specifically me. Yeah, enough of that. What I'm getting at here is that the energies, mana, psi, ki, they all go do something when I use telepathy skill or key blast skill or whatever, and that's mostly automatic. But it doesn't have to be. I can cancel it or direct it however I want, and if I'm going to do that, doesn't it mean that I'm manipulating the energies themselves? And if I can manipulate those energies... Why the heck am I restricted to the few skills I know? It's not like the first mages got taught magic, or the warriors were born with their skills. So here I am, trying to figure out how to use my energies in a different way, as my skills dictate. Right now, I'm trying to get a feel for how telepathy works, to sense how the psi moves when I use it. I can feel almost like an energy between me and Ferdinand, I can't control it, but something I do disrupts the skill, and with little I can sense is faint. Well, right now there's only one way I can think of using Psy. Brute force for the win. I grab some Psy and I push it out, controlling it and push it against the back of the wooden chair. Skill gain telekinesis basic. Through using a powerful energy and a highly developed mind like some savage barbarian, you have learned how to push things with your mind. Force generated various with psi used, currently very inefficient. See what I mean? That description can't be pre-written. I should have used less psi. The chair is currently lying on the ground, a few cracks running through it. Maybe I should do the other tests for the great outdoors. Sitting, or rather, lying on the ground, I begin my test. Now, onto Key. Key Blast just shoves a bunch of Key out in all the body, and then it just runs wild. Now, what if I try and control it after ejecting it? This time, I start small. Ten points of Key should be fine. I control it to rise to the surface of my body. So far, so good. Then I push it beyond, and the strain instantly magnifies twentyfold. I barely managed to handle on it, but I can easily imagine that, had I used much more key, it would have run wild. After a short while, I get it in somewhat stable state, and I try to send it to attack a pebble. After floating for half a meter, it escapes my control and fizzles into a tiny burst of air. Skill gained, external key manipulation basic. Most people use key internally, wink wink, nudge nudge but you have decided to use it externally with minimal success. Difficulty to control increases drastically with distance and quantity of key. For God's sake, I don't have a body to do anything with. Status windows, get a clue. Uh, calm down, me. Okay, next. What if I do a normal key blast, but instead of just letting it go, I give it a direction to go in? Manipulating direction could be much easier than manipulating shape. I hop over to a rock and give it a go. It's nowhere near as difficult as what I tried before, but still harder than a normal burst. The beam of key sends the rock me flying in opposite directions. I check on the rock and it has a shallow hole bored into it. Nice. 
No skill, that's strange. I checked through my skills and noticed the proficiency of Key Blasters jumped up around 30%. So, it's not just repetition to increase proficiency. I should have known. Now, I have a few other things I would like to try with my key, but unfortunately, I don't have a body. And my key is running low as it is. Last, but most anticipated, mana. Honestly, I don't have much to go off here. I mean, I have three magic skills. Absorb, self-repair, and form manipulation self. But I have no clue how exactly they work. Wait, there was that match magic too, right? That's one easy enough. Anyway, let's just try out the old magic missile. Skill gained, magic missile basic. Congratulations, after all this time you've just now learned how to use one of the most basic magical attacks in existence. Good job! Now you just have to figure out how to do it correctly. Power scales with mana consumption, unable to exceed 10 mana per shot. Maximum range equals intelligence, multiplied by 1 divided by meters. If remotely controlled, there is an additional cost of 1 mana per second. Otherwise, direction of travel is set to initial creation shot. Hey, I was busy playing Minesweeper. <clears throat> Let's get the training, shall we? There's a couple of skills that I've been neglecting. Body of deadly poison and weak acid. Obviously, this is because I don't want to be more poisonous than I am. But these things are. I might need to be. So, I find myself the largest creature around and I use Key Blast to hop over to it. Then, I embed myself into its hide and another series of Key Blasts. After that, I wait. The giant elk starts panicking and running around frantically, rolling over and trying to get rid of me. Another burst of Key digs me deeper into it, and it stops rolling. After another few seconds, it starts frothing at the mouth and then stops moving altogether. I haven't gotten a notification, so it must still be alive, just paralyzed. After another few seconds, it and it's dead. I get 20.25 EXP, and then a further 360 from absorbing most of its body. Unfortunately, no skills. I seem to have run on bad luck lately. I am completely out of key now, aren't I? Ferdinand, come pick me up. Ferdinand POV. In the past day, I've spent most of my time fighting and talking to various members of Richard's crew. It hadn't taken me long to find out where he had gone, but why was a different matter. It wasn't until I found the man who had been on the lookout that day that I was able to figure it out. He said that before the battle, there was someone who looked a lot like Richard's dead son standing on the deck of the other ship and that the captain was found after the battle, standing in front of the recently used portal. I must admit that I had to ask them what a portal was, but after that I could mostly guess what happened. Richard must have gone to the Navy headquarters looking for information, which means that we must as well. Only problem is, I don't know anyone there. So I made the rounds again and asked for details of anyone that he might have turned to for help. They were more than glad to help me out, and I eventually compiled a long list of names. They did warn me, however, that they couldn't be sure if these people still lived in the city, or if they were even still alive. Still, it was a start. After all that, it was nearly dark, and I went outside of the city to where I left Gerald. 
For a while, I couldn't find him, that is, until I saw him moving towards me, shaking and bobbing unsteadily in the air. So, uh, you can fly now. Okay. Taking out a piece of old fabric, I carefully pinched the levitating cutlery within its folds. The voice pops into my head. Thanks for picking me up, Ferdinand. Did you find anything out? No problem, I think back. I found out where he was going and the list of people that he may have had contact with while there. And perhaps the reason he left. Apparently, someone who looked a lot like his dead son was on that ship. Also, there was a portal in the hold. Interesting. I don't think that that will help us much, though. We don't exactly know how he looks like after all. True, I concede, but any information is helpful, and how little we'd know. How did your, um, serious training go? Let's see here, he says, trading off for a moment. Three new skills, one of which is a ranged attack, and the other one is just using to move around. The other won't be useful until I train it into advanced, perhaps expert level. He says it so casually that it throws me completely. Do you, um... Have any skills at expert proficiency? I ask tentatively. Oh yeah, I've got a few. One of them is mostly useless though, speaking of proficiency. I've got the skill that makes me highly poisonous and a skill that makes me highly acidic to advanced proficiency. And guess what? I can turn them off now. He sounds very happy about this, understandably. That's good, I think back. His voice sounds a bit hesitant at the time. That's something I need to ask. Would you mind if I... Early the next morning, in a very neat and impressive building situated near the center of the port of Acton, a thin man dressed elegantly in a bright colors and sits at a large desk. Ceaselessly, he reads over scores of documents and reports piled up in front of him. Some he signs, some he makes alterations to, and others he puts to the side. People flit in and out of the room, taking or bringing papers. It seems a never-ending cycle. If the man looks over ten reports and signed eleven documents, a similar number would replace within moments. This is the office of the Lord of the Port, and all things of importance go through him, and him alone. In a brief moment of respite and a flurry of papers, he rolls his shoulders, stretching his arms out and sighing as he mutters under his breath. I really need to find somebody who can help me with this, but... The rest he leaves unsaid. There is nobody in governance of the city that is completely sure that he can trust. There are too many who would be spies or bribed by whoever, criminals of opposing factions. It all has the same effect in the end. However, by some twist of fate or whimsy of God, his woes are due to end that day. Suddenly his brows tighten into a frown, and he opens his mouth and slightly as if it's call out. Then his face turns pensive, and after a moment of consideration, he takes out a fresh sheet of paper and starts writing furiously. Names, places, descriptions, crimes, evidence, line after line of neat script printed across the page as his hand blazes back and forth, occasionally darting across the inkwell to smear more ink across the point of the quill. Finally, he reaches the end of the sheet and takes out another again writing furiously. His eyes widen and continue to widen as the page after page are gradually filled with text. It was possible, of course, that every word of these pages were false. However, if they weren't, the city will likely be thrown into turmoil. 
The voice said his head disappears and he begins to consider what to do. The first thing to do, he decides, would be to determine the validity of the claims. Flipping through the pages, he picks out a relatively innocent crime. He writes it on a separate piece of paper. He calls some of the city guards and gives it to them, telling them to search the location on it. Later, they came back reporting that they had found, well, exactly what the voice had said that they would find. In one hardly enough to ensure validity, however, he sends them out again and again as the day wears on to different places, to different people. Each time, his eyebrows furrow further as each and every single case is a success. At this point, he is thoroughly convinced that most, if not all, of the claims are legitimate. And this is only what that person had seen in the past couple weeks. He sighs heavily. It seems his work has only just begun. POV Gerald Utilizing a combination of absorb and key blasts, I slid through the earth from where I had been for the last while. Not a meter below the man's feet. It wasn't so close. I would never have been able to use telepathy for so long as I had. It wasn't as if I could reliably get inside the palace while remaining hidden, so getting below it was the next best thing. My small size ensures that the tunnels I dig are of the effect of the surrounding earth, and even the entrance is barely visible. After popping myself back out of the ground, Ferdinand picks me up and we head out of the city. Unfortunately, he hadn't been able to find any escort requests en route to our destination, so we are on our own this time. Not that it matters all that much. With how much I and Ferdinand to a lesser extent have improved, the only things that can pose much of a difficulty to us are... And I gave Ferdinand that much frack for jinxing us for the last few times. We have a large group of people blocking the road ahead, probably bandits, by the way they're saying. I alert Ferdinand. He pauses. And how do you hear what they're saying? Lip-reading, anticipating the impeding query, I explain. It's there where you guess what people are saying based on how they move their lips. All right then, any chance we can go around them? He asks. Probably, I admit reluctantly. Why do you sound disappointed by that? He asks suspiciously. I sort of wanted to try out my new skills, but it doesn't matter. Monsters are better for that sort of thing anyway. So we just give the band a group a wide berth, rejoining the road some distance behind them. And that is, uh, not that. Jinxes can't be avoided that easily, apparently. One of the bandits clearly has some sort of vision enhancement skill, because he calls out to his companions and points to us walking this way. I mean, really, a group of thirteen chasing one guy? Yeah, totally not overkill. Well, I might not be overkill since it's us, but they don't know that. Regarding the capabilities of the bandits, their lack of proper armament speaks for themselves. Barely one in four have a proper sword, and the rest are basically just holding farm implements, sickles, pitchforks. One guy even has a shovel. They have no armor to speak of. They're chasing us. Looks like I'll have to test out my new ranged attack after all, I muse. Don't kill them, please, Ferdinand says. Well, they are probably trying to kill us, but there is no time to complain. I can aim at their legs, but that's about all I can do. 
Moving myself out of his bag and as quick as use of telekinesis, I flop onto the ground and fire off a single magic missile at them, just in case they're secretly super up. Okay, maybe not. With me being on the ground level and casting the spell near parallel to the ground, the only place it can hit is the leg, and there's a lot of legs to go around in this group. Ever heard of spreading out? Clearly not. Anyways, a small magic missile impacts on a leg, knocking it backwards slightly and leaving a shallow wound. This won't do at all. Improvisation time. Normal magic missile compressed into a needle. Fire. It pierces a few centimeters into the leg, drawing blood and eliciting a cry of pain from the wounded men. Sufficient power to disable. Engage rapid fire. I fire out a barrage of twenty magic missiles and the forest of legs, causing them to swerve to avoid them. Remember how I recommended you spread out? Infinite to the companions, basically making almost all of them collapse into a moaning heap. Their flailing limbs send their weapons waving all over the place, doing much more damage to themselves than I did. I didn't expect it to happen, but it was always surprisingly simple to create so many shots at once. Even turning them all into needles wasn't too hard. The only one left standing is Shovel Man, completely clueless as to why all his friends had just fallen over. I wonder what Ferdinand's gonna do now. POV Ferdinand Walking up to them, I can easily see that these people were farmers now that I have a closer look. Why would farmers turn bandits? As long as you put into the work and there wasn't terrible weather, your livelihood was mostly guaranteed. Which means that either of these men's fields had been affected by a plague or infestation, or something else that had forced them out of the village. It happens more than one would think. Farmers, by and large, aren't that strong, and your average farming village may only have a few soldiers guarding it. If a strong monster comes on by, or even enough weak ones, a village can be quickly overwhelmed. Stopping a short distance away from the pile of people struggling to untangle themselves without hurting each other or even more in the process, I call out to the only one who isn't preoccupied to negotiate with, a shortish man with a dirt-smeared face, awkwardly holding a shovel as if he can't decide whether he should be hitting me with it or helping the others that were planting turnips. Hello there, um, why did you all come and attack me? I try to keep an amiable tone, but I must admit I'm less than pleased with them after chasing us like that. It seems to relax him a bit, because he lowers his shovel. We wasn't gonna actually hurt you, you see. We were just gonna scare you a bit and take you at your coins and let you go again. Might want to be armed, no honest. His accent was so thick that it takes me a few moments to understand what he was saying. But once I do, I'm somewhat relieved. But at the same time, he doesn't answer my question. That's nice of you, but why do you need my money in the first place? He scratches the wild mop of brown hair, scouring as he said, Well, we ain't no farmers no more, have we? Does ask the people down here for help. But all they did was ask what we're going to pay them with. Pay him. We put food on the table for years, and they have all the gall to ask for us to pay. Bunch of ungrateful louts, I say. Ain't nobody respects the farmers these days, I tell ya. At these words, I can't help but think back to when my famine struck my own village. Nobody had sent help for us then, either. 
I felt a surge of sympathy towards the man, and after a moment of thought, decided to help him, if I can. If I don't, who will? How do you lose your farms? I asked kindly. His face droops in sorrow. They came in the night they did, got woken up by screaming, and I knew something was up. I went outside, and there were skeletons swarming in the fields. Hardly managed to grab me shovel and fend off for a while where the missus got away. He shook his head, his voice hiccuping slightly. Some others didn't do so well. By these points in time, most of the others had managed to get themselves up, and have moved behind the shovel man to treat their wounds. Where's your village? He looks at me in astonishment. That there be the end of the forking chapter, mates. Chapter 18 Fork feels left out of Skeleton Smackdown. Gerald POV. I have no clue what Shovel Man was saying in that whole conversation. Couldn't read his lips for the life of me, so I just get Ferdinand's side of things, which, judging by the amount of Shovel Man's mouth moved, it's a woefully inadequate representation of the conversation. Nevertheless, I can simply ask Ferdinand what's up in a bit. For whatever reason, we're currently heading to the bandit's village. The only reason that I haven't asked yet is because I'm restoring my mana to face whatever enemies that I'm sure that we're going to be facing in the immediate future. It doesn't take long, only eight minutes. At least that's what I calculated it to be. If I could use this skill in combat, it'd be very useful. 2.5 times mana regen is nothing to sniff at, after all. And at a higher proficiency levels, that will only increase. Anyways, so, um, what's happening? After a moment, Ferdinand replies, We're going to go help destroy the skeletons that invaded the village where these farmers used to live in. Did you follow the conversation with the lip-reading skill? I shrugged internally, which was much less effective means of communicating emotion than shrugging externally but it is still somehow satisfying. Couldn't pick a word up he was saying. Did he speak with the same language? Yes, he was. Maybe it was his accent. He had a pretty strong accent. He said shrugging physically. Likely out of habit, but I should probably get him out of it, if only during mental conversations. It could draw some strange questions, after all. Probably the accent. So, skeletons... Any more detail on them? Thankfully, he responds on the affirmative. From what they told me, they shouldn't be too strong. Most of the people I talked to defeated one or two in the escape, so it's more the numbers than a problem. Ferdinand winces, putting a hand to his forehead and kneading his skin between his fingers. That's something, then. Anything on who or what sent them, I ask. Ferdinand started to shake his head, but stops himself a moment later. Nothing, either way, didn't send skeletons there personally, nor none of them noticed him. Personally, I... Ferdinand cuts off, putting both hands on his head. His face contorts in pain, and he stops walking. A narrow trail of blood seeps from one of his nostrils, tracing around his upper lip and down his chin to drip onto the ground. Whoa, man, are you all right? I asked worriedly. I can fix myself up in an instant, but anyone else is outside of my skill set. If his health starts turning south here, there is nothing I'll be able to do. Tele... 
sympathy hurts, he groans mentally. While one part of me hardly muses that telepathy seems to be able to convey more inflections and tone of voice than it used to, the rest of me is shutting down the telepathic connection in a panic, drowning me in silence once again. Almost immediately his expression starts to ease up and his nose stops bleeding. A few more seconds and it stops as quickly as it had begun. He waves away a few concerned villagers stating that he's fine. I want to find out what exactly happened, but I can hardly ask when my telepathy seemed to be the cause of it, can I? For the next while, he stares blankly off into the distance as he walks, a peculiar behavior I attribute to people viewing their status. Ferdinand POV Well, I never expected this. Actually, I never expected anything at all. But if I did expect something, it definitely wouldn't have been this. Trait developed, psychic. Through repeated stimulation, a seldom-used portion of your mind has awoken. Stat unlocked, sigh. Stat gained intelligence, plus two. Skill gained telepathy, basic. You are now capable of communicating without a sound, without a movement, using only your thoughts. Although this skill is severely limited by the distance and can only communicate emotions, this can still be a useful tool if used wisely. After a bit of thought, I realize that this doesn't really matter. My stats are already oriented completely towards physical combat. Starting to put things into intelligence and wisdom at this point would be... stupidity. So, unfortunately, telepathy is destined to be an unused skill from the moment I get it. Looking at the information of the skill brings a wry smile to my face. Only a week or two ago, I was complaining that my rarest skill was just low uncommon, and now here I am with a bit rare. But it's useless to me. The thought makes me realize that it isn't just a rarity that matters. It's how well the skill matches your stats. There's probably even higher rank skills that I wouldn't be able to use properly. But enough of that. Gerald is probably worried about me right now. I scratch my head, and a moment later, his voice pops into my head. Hey, are you all right? What happened? I smile, and feeling the liquid crystal present in my face, finally remembering to wipe off the blood. Perfectly fine, thanks. Apparently awakening as a psychic is painful for humans. And for once, he is the one dumbfounded. I feel a brief twinge of amusement ripple through me, before he kills it with his next words. Oh, good, I thought it was something big. Ha! <laughs> Just kidding you. That's cool. Not the pain, of course. That's a bummer. Hmm. I got telepathy skill as well, but with my intelligence stat, I can hardly use it. All in all, I suffered that pain for nothing, I sigh. Maybe not, he says contemplatively. Sure, it may not be useful as it is, but using it to drain your sigh only takes a few seconds, and if those few seconds every now and again can train up an advanced proficiency, then there are uses for it even without much sigh. Like what? I ask, curious. Well, say you wanted to have a conversation with someone but didn't want other people to hear. A short distance a telepathic conversation doesn't cost much sigh at all, he says. That's true, but it's barely worth it. I'd reuse it so rarely. His voice emanates inside my head once again, but this time his voice is less jovial. We're nearly there, I'm seeing. Five, 
10, 15, 23 skeletons, and that's number still going up as I see more of the village. Thanks. Do you have anything that could help against skeletons? I ask him. Apart from Zorb, I don't think so. Telekinesis may be able to take out a few, but I doubt my magic missile would be able to do much as it is. And Absorb is just too noticeable. Unless I absorb the entire body, Gerald says apologetically. Sighing, I steel myself for a hard battle, possibly too hard for me to win. But I have confidence that, like before, if I was in any real peril, Gerald would ignore his fears and help me win. Well, even if I can't help directly, with me here, nobody will be able to sneak up on you, says Gerald. Sorry that he can't offer more. Smiling, I say, don't worry much about it, I'll be fine. We continue walking along the path, and true to his word, the village is soon in sight. Final count, 67, not sign of any leader. Irregular skeletons, I don't suppose I can persuade you not to do this? Gerald says, sounding slightly hopeful. Not a chance, I say. If we don't help them, then they're just going to slowly starve or be put in jail. I can't let that even happen if I can't prevent it. Oh well, let's get this over with. We reach the outskirts of the village a minute later. It feels like the sun has dimmed a bit, but when I look up, it's shiny as brightly as ever. The village looks like it has suffered under the rain of the undead. The grass an unhealthy brown, and the buildings look like they've been abandoned for years, not just a week or two. The bare trees lot the village as if their very leaves had forsaken them in the presence of the undead. An unearthly silence makes it feel as if there isn't a single thing living in the village, not even insects. A few of the shambling skeletons turn their heads warily towards me, the dark flames burning behind their pale eye sockets. Just looking at them gives me a feeling of disgust, of wrongness. The farmer with the shovel lifts it above his head and shouts, All right, lads, we've made it. Adventurer boy here is going to help us bash the scully skulls. Let's be back to our village, our livelihoods. Yeah! The rest of them shouted, raising their own weapons. So he is the leader. Why does he have a shovel then? I shrug, slowly drawing my blade. The fourteen of us, plus a fork, charge into battle. The three skeletons near us are the first targets. Withered, grass slips between the dry, waxen feet as the undead, as they brandish weapons filthy with rust and neglect towards us, their unholy gazes radiating malice. Their bones click unnaturally as they move hatingly towards us, propelled by some dark magic far beyond our understanding. Despite our currently overwhelming advantage in numbers, I see a few of them expressions distorting and barely repressed fear at the grim sight. I grimace. It looks as if I'm going to have to use these few as an example to keep morale up. Make it look easy. I hope it is, for all our sakes. Stepping towards them, I hold the handle of my sword with both hands and angle it towards them, ready to attack or defend if need be. Thankfully, they slow down and are not very smart. Instead of coming towards me together, they are moving towards us from slightly different directions, and each are different distances from me. As a result, it could be said that I'm fighting three one-on-one -on -one fights rather than one three-on-one -on -one fight. 
What seems like a simple rearrangement of numbers on paper means a large difference in reality. Of course, this is only true if I can defeat them quickly enough. Otherwise, I'll quickly find myself facing all three as the others catch up. Gritting my teeth, I strike towards the first with the abominations. My blade shatters through the bones of its arm and further into its hollow ribcage. This might be easier than I thought. Then I notice the rusty sword, grasped in the other hand, swinging towards me without regard for the massive injuries on its person. Panicking slightly, I swing my weapon to intercept the skeletons. Turns out I needn't have worried so much, as there was barely more strength behind it than a child. Or is it because my strength has increased lately? Its weapon thrown to one side, I sweep its head from its shoulders. The dark fire in its eyes dims and disappears, leaving behind only shattered bones that fall to the ground in a pile. The next is only a step behind, crushing the remains of its predecessor beneath its feet as it moves forwards towards me with a toothy grin. Eager to test the bounds of my strength, I kick a booted foot towards its leg, snapping the thick bone in twain. The skeleton collapses to the ground, unable to keep balance on only one foot. I almost start to get ready to fight the third skeleton, when I see the skeleton below me turn its fleshless grin up towards me again and lifts its sword off the ground. It starts flaining its weapon around, almost posing more difficulty to me than before because of the low angle. Still, it isn't difficult for me to trap its blade up with mine and crush its skull beneath my foot, obliterating the ghastly smile forever. Raising my sword to block the downward swing on the third skeleton, I readjust my footing so as to not slip on the loose bones now beneath me before I decapitate this one as well. I take a deep breath and I recuperate from a flurry of motion and turn around. Before me is a small crowd of God-smacked villagers. See? Killing them isn't that hard. We'll just have this place cleared by sunset. I say, struggling to keep my breathing even and my voice stable as I say it. Combat done, I look at the notification window at their death. Level 2, 2, and 1. They were strong for their level. The sky darkens overhead, causing my sweat-soaked clothing to cool near frigid temperatures. Shortly after entering the village, every skeleton in the area started swarming towards us in a white wave of undeath. We were almost overwhelmed, but we managed to escape into one of the buildings and rest there for a while, minus one man. Eventually, though, the wall collapsed under the unrest assault of skeletons, and the gap was soon teeming with grinning skulls. I used up my mana there on the magic edge that cleaved through them and allowed us to make our way through. Another one of the farmers passed away soon after, a small wound he'd taken and rotted quicker than anything I'd ever seen before. Now we are holding them off at a gap between two buildings. I'm not sure if this is my imagination or a result of tiring limbs, but the blows seem to be getting heavier and their movements faster as time wears on. Come on, only 23 left, Gerald says during the lull of fighting. My heart falls at the revelation. It's a far cry from the original 67, but it's still far too many for us as we are right now. Only, I say, too tired to say more. Gerald's voice comes again. That was supposed to be encouraging. Be encouraged! I groan in reply. 
Another group of skeleton moves towards us, so I roll the stiffness out of my limbs and ready my weapon again. Just before combat starts again, Gerald's voice comes into my head once more. Somebody's coming. Looks like they'll be an ally, but watch out just in case. Great. Another thing to worry about. For the next few exhausting minutes, I see neither hide nor hair of whoever is approaching. Then a holy light descends upon the group of skeletons, and they fall lifelessly to the ground. In that instant, it feels as if the world has gotten just the tiniest bit brighter. After a few seconds, my eyes see what my ears were too tight to hear. A beautiful horse with a shining bay coat trotting around the corner and halts in front of us. After a second, I pull my eyes from the animal, at probably the cost more than the entirety of my family's farm, and focus on the rider. He is covered entirely in helmet to boot and gleaming iron armor. Its surface is inlaid with the repeating designs of nature and wildlife, the meaning of which I know not. On his belt is a sheathed long blade, and the edge of a heater shield is visible behind his back. This scarb generally indicates the wearer as a knight of some noble, but coupled with the magic earlier. Holy magic, it means that this person is a paladin, one favored by the gods. I've heard rumors that this village was overcome with undead, and I came as quickly as I could. Is everything all right? His voice is muffled by the visor of his helmet, but it still rings clear in the deathly silence of the village. Those of us here are fine, my lord, but we lost a few of the undead before you arrived, said the leader of the villagers, oddly well-spoken in the presence of a paladin. I am very sorry to hear that, he says. The least I can do is heal you all before I start purifying this place of death energy. He raises a hand, and a light shines from his gauntleted hand onto us. As it hits me, I can feel the tension in my muscles bleeding away. The many scrapes and small injuries on my body stop stinging, and I can tell it's because they have healed entirely. As the light dims, I feel healthy and energetic as I would after a long rest and a hearty meal. Death, Edichi, I asked, sheathing my sword. Normally I would have to clean it first, but against skeletons, that is hardly a problem. His eyes flick over to me behind my visor. There is a sinking green. It pervades this place, no doubt, because of the presence of so many undead. As a wielder of holy magic, which gives life, I am naturally capable of sensing its opposite. So can I. Wondered what that black mist was, but it didn't seem to do much to you. So I didn't say anything. Pipes in Gerald. And who are you? You don't look like the rest of these people here, the paladin asks. Just a normal adventurer, sir, I say awkwardly, not expecting him to pay attention to me. I had help. There was an edge of distaste in his voice, and the unfair accusation makes it a bit angry. No, my lord, he helped us out of his own accord. He didn't ask for nothing, unlike the people in town. The leader of the farmers practically whispered the last part. I am glad that there are people outside of the churches who help others without ulterior motives, says the paladin happily before flicking her reins and moving off to another part of the village. Wiping off the sweat still present on my bow, I stood against the wall of the building beside me. I may have been healed by fatigue, and after something like that, you really don't want to do anything but sit down and rest, do you?
By the way, um, you were calling her a sir, and my lord and whatnot, but that was an elven woman, you know, says Gerald. What? Back in the same city where Gerald and Ferdinand first talked, the entrance to the alleyway at the side of one of the many streets in the city sits a man, much as his face is obscured by grime, but from the sheer quantity and depth of his wrinkles, any casual observer could determine that the man was old. Very old. His hair is grey, messy and sparse, plastered to his scalp with oil and yet more grime, making it look almost black in coloration. The beard gracing his chin is similar, and it drops almost to his waist. The clothing he wears is even more disheveled than he is himself, that bare and worn to the point that all colour, if it ever had any, had completely disappeared. Despite being qualified to be very definition of the word beggar, his eyes are bright and blue as diamonds, clearer than even than the crystal ball sitting on the dirty cloth before him. Raising his head towards the busy street, he yells out hoarsely, Prophecies! Prophecies! Come get your prophecies! 100% accurate! 100% free! Come get your prophecies! He clears his throat and looks around eagerly. Not one single person gives him so much as a glance. The glimmer fades slowly from his eyes, and he slumps down into the dirt again. Weeks! And weeks it's been since I've had a good prophecy to tell. And before that, it was months. He groans to himself softly. Met some interesting guys when I started this. Remember that little girl who could just become a goddess had she just followed my advice. He appears to be talking to his crystal ball. And at this point, people are outright avoiding him rather than just passing him by. But no... She wanted to ride ponies, so her pony tipped on a ditch, throwing her off and breaking her neck. Tragedy. A real tragedy. The crystal ball doesn't reply, sitting there motionless on the cloth. He sighs deeply and raises his hand to his head as he looks into the distance. When he does, it almost seems as if he isn't just contemplating, but looking at some distinct location. Perhaps I should do something uh, different now. It has been a while, or it hasn't. But what, what should I do? He whispers to himself, and continuing to look beyond the horizon. Maybe, he mutters, eyes slowly brightening again. Maybe I should watch the legend unfold firsthand, rather than give gentle nudge. But who, who? Ah... He shouts suddenly, startling the people and causing them to actively hurry past him. Of course, those two, the weirdest legend I've ever seen. But it, it will be a blast. He starts laughing and then stops suddenly, looking at the crystal ball. Well, what will I do with you? Oh, well, whoever finds you can keep you. Try not to doom us all while I'm away, you hear? Cackling madly to himself. He walks into the night. Soon after, the city guards apprehend him. End of chapter. Chapter 19. Cats have nine lives, so too, apparently, do walks. Gerald, POV. While Ferdinand is still lamenting, unintentionally offending a woman, in his distress he still hasn't realized that it is hardly his fault. 
and the villagers also addressed her as a man. The villagers have started work on making the buildings livable again. Some of the buildings are far beyond the scope of a quick fix. Case in point, the building that we were in earlier. Now only as a holy as that woman, but others would likely be fine with a few boards nailed into various places. Of course, it would hardly be a permanent solution, but with the state that they're in now is no easy solution. The buildings in this village are built of wood, most of which have rotted, although it's not quite so severe as they will collapse within a day or two at least. I think so. I'm no engineer after all, but they will all have to be replaced eventually. And that repair effort highlights yet another problem. That is, even the spare building supplies that we stocked up in the village aren't any good. Their next thought is cutting down a tree to obtain the wood for repairs. That doesn't go so well either. The axes in the village are coated in rust, but a quick touch-up with a whetstone fixes that right up. Unfortunately for them, the trees and around the village have suffered the same fate as the precessed wood. Still, the villagers are hardly daunted as a team of them move out to find, fell, and hold back an undamaged tree from a nearby thicket. All of this was going on the woman circled through the village, gradually purifying the dark energy that engulfed the village. The feeling I get from this place slowly changes from ghost town to old town. A small yet marked difference. And in a remote corner of the village, two of the villagers are looking suspiciously at a small cat that is loitering on top of a slightly crumbled rock wall. That thing gives me the creeps. Should we kill it? says the first man. The second man replies, No, it's bad enough that we're standing here talking near a black bat. Who knows what sort of bad luck you'll find if you kill it. Black bat. That doesn't seem right. They must be talking about a cat. Wait, why is there a cat here anyway? This footage was full of undead just a short while ago. I check back through my memories and see when it came in, and it was there ever since before we got here. The skeletons just seem to ignore it. Now if that's not suspicious, then I am not a fork. I mean, technically I'm a living fork, but you know, potato, potato. I do a quiet telepathic link to Ferdinand. I'm going out for a bit. Be right back. Sure, he replies distractedly. Nobody except Ferdinand had kept hanging out here, so I'm clear for takeoff. A careful application of telekinesis opens up the bag from within, and another has me floating through the air. My sigh is draining away like water from Henry's buckets, as it was, so I move quickly through the air towards the area of the village that the cat is in. I lower myself to a stop on the top of a roof nearby a house. Being a fork, it isn't difficult to find a place to balance myself. Since I'm going to kill a cat, mostly a defensive small animal, I may as well train a bit while doing it. I created a magic missile, the same needle from earlier, but manually controlled it towards the cat, looping it over and behind to avoid detection, and then I send it speeding to the back of the cat's neck. Just as it's about to hit, the cat bobs its head down to lick its paws, and the needle goes seeping through overhead. All right then, let's try this again. Looping it back around, I send it from the side, again, at the neck, again. The cat avoids it like a nick of time by falling sideways off the wall and onto the ground. Are you serious? 
I looped the missile back around again, and this time I hit home. Level 2 cat killed. Experience gained 0.75. It was just a cat, huh? But then why wasn't it attacked? Whatever. It's just absorb the corpse up and get more experience. I move quickly over to the corpse and absorb it. Level 2 cat absorbed. Experience gained 15, durability 0, skill proficiency increased, absorb 0.01. Skills gained 9 lives, static, traits gained none. Well, doesn't that sound interesting? Haven't seen that static before. Let's have a look-see, shall we? 9 lives, static, passive. You will avoid the next 8 attacks that would be deadly damage to you, seemingly by accident. After avoiding 8 attacks, the skill would disappear. Charges remaining, 8. That's actually awesome. No wonder the cap kept avoiding my attacks. It was the skill. Let's hope that I never need the skill. Wait, what if it was my own attack that backfired? Would it activate then? AoE's poison. This really has a lot of potential loopholes. So, not like I'm going to test it. I flew back over to Ferdinand and reinsert myself into his pack. Right, done. I said telepathically. Why did you feel the need to go kill a cat? Ferdinand responded a second later, confused. Then I explained the circumstances. That certainly is strange, he agrees. Still, it was just a cat. It was, I admit. So, what now? Ferdinand pauses for a moment. Same as before. The people here should be able to handle themselves, so it is time we continue searching. And so, we head back to the road. In a forgotten place, an obscure location not far from the edge between Empire Territory and the vast wilderness, there lies a meadow, abundant with colorful flowers and roses. If you find a map that includes this location, there will be no name marked on it, nothing to indicate that it is anything special or unusual. But it is not always so. Before the Empire, before it was scattered territories, and before the kingdom that Rose Territory split from, indeed, even before that. Hundreds, thousands of years ago, this very meadow was on the very border between two great civilizations. However, their relationship was not a kind one. War after war was waged, battle upon battle was fought, up until the very place. Tens of thousands, or perhaps even more than a hundred thousand people, had perished on the battlefield alone. Their corpses left lying on the ground with no comrades left to bring them home or bury them. At this very way of the world, those battles, those civilizations they fought, were forgotten, and the bones were laid to rest by nature itself, buried deep, deep within the soil. And it's within this natural burial ground that the dreaded necromancer has made his gruesome lair. It is a place where he trains, gathers strengths, creates undead plans. The rooms and hallways have been dug by undead hands and left mostly as they are. The walls generally composed of dark earth and various bones jutting out here and there. Skulls are embedded in the ceiling at regular intervals. The ghastly white flames within glowing through their eyes and nose cavities, as well as between the teeth, and hanging jawbone in a particularly macabre method of illumination that somehow makes shadows seem even darker and more sinister than without them. In one of the many rooms of the widespread function, the walls are lined with mirrors, each of which has a neat line of text beneath them. The text describes the location. 
and it was a view from what the location can be seen within that respective mirror. The location ranges from large cities to small towns to rural villages and empty plains. The necromancer has eyes in everywhere that matters, and some places that don't. One of the mirrors is dark, reflecting nothing but a light from the skull lamps in the room around it. The necromancer walks in, every part of his body, save for his hands, which are wrinkled and mottled with age, hidden within the folds of a long, dark cloak. This cloak does not look grand or impressive. In fact, it looks very old and tattered edges. But this cloak has been taken from the sealed tomb of a lich who had died long ago and is imbued with enchantments most foul. The staff he holds in his hand looks like a burnt wood and seems more likely to collapse under the amount of weight than to be relied on as a staff. But it too is not what it seems. There was once a tree on which no leaves grew, yet it did not die. Upon the tree one hung the disease, the curse that scorned, left there to die in suffering. Their blood, their pain, and their very hatred seeped into the soil, and the tree fed on it, becoming something strange, something twisted and dark. Then, as to prove that there could be no more evil a tree in the, the lands, it was scorched by lightning, and the necromancer fashioned his staff out of the cursed wood. The necromancer sweeps the room with his gaze, briefly glancing at each and every mirror, before finally coming to rest on the one dark mirror. He taps the surface with one long fingernail, as if expecting that it will cause it to resume its normal function. It doesn't. Beneath the dark hooded cloak, the necromancer's eyelids slit shut as he focuses. Necromancers have a magical connection with their raised dead, through which they can give orders and, depending on the undead, sometimes more. The necromancer is searching for the skeletons which were in that village. After all, he has hundreds of undead. It can be difficult to find particular undead unless the strength stands out, and it can be even more difficult to tell whether one has died. After a while, he opens his eyes. So the skeletons there perished. That hardly matters. But I do wonder who did it. He smiles coldly at his own words. Adventurers, one of the churches, wandering monsters, or perhaps even the villagers themselves. No use thinking about it. Still, my familiar was killed as well. Even if it may have been just a coincidence, I'd best avoid that area for a time. He chuckles darkly, taking a long scroll from within a pouch at his waist and unfurling it on the table. Once completely unrolled, the scroll spans the entire length and width of the table, even with the table's extensive size. It is a detailed map of the entire empire, with roads, cities, villages, and even dangerous areas marked upon it. There are 23 cities including the capital, and over a hundred villages of varying sizes. Almost half of them are circled. After all, he says happily, there are so many more villages to go round. Taking out a piece of charcoal, he looks aside to check the exact village and crosses it off the village circle in that location, and then his hand idly wanders around the map as he thinks, This place should be fine. He circles the village. The very same village that Ferdinand had rescued from the monsters barely a few weeks ago. POV, Gerald. We rest for the night at Vacom City, or more accurately, Ferdinand does. I lie there in his bag, awake as always, witnessing the night and all the dark deeds that came with it. 
I think that anyone, if they saw the sort of thing every day and night, would try and do something to stop it. Probably even some of the people who were doing them. Also, I'd like to think, the average criminal couldn't be so insane as to enjoy being unable to stop witnessing murders, theft, torture. Especially if, like me, they could see those very same people going calmly and happily about their daily lives beforehand, getting to know them more intimately than anyone else that they knew. Unfortunately, many of the crimes in the city would seem to be connected to the city lord himself. Unless I am able to stop them all myself, I won't be able to do anything. All I can do is hide myself in meditation, a state that I find unusually difficult to reach tonight. I force myself to leave that cocoon of false comfort frequently throughout the night to train in self-form manipulation and glide around the room with telekinesis until my mana and sigh drain back to zero. Each time is another reminder of how many people in pain around me that I can do nothing about. At one point, I turn off my mana sights trying to shut it all out. It doesn't help. It's like walking past an alleyway where you hear someone getting beaten up. If you look that way, even if you can't hear it anymore, you are stuck with the knowledge that you didn't do anything. Couldn't do anything. Somehow, not being able to do anything hurts more than choosing not to do anything. But the night passes eventually, and we leave for the next city in the morning, because we need to get stronger, and quickly. I consult briefly with Ferdinand and having obtained his permission, attract monsters to us every now and again. Sometimes they are killed by other travelers who happen to be near us at the time, but for the most part we defeat them ourselves. Then there isn't anyone in sight, I am able to come out and fight myself, but those occasions are rare. There are always caravans transporting goods between towns, carriages transporting people, farmers with their carts, adventurers, travelers, especially in the mornings. Still, we manage to kill quite the number, and I manage to absorb a few as well getting enough experience to get me to level 30. Another decade down, and an increase in difficulty leveling up. The stat points are obviously an even split between intelligence and wisdom. Along with the EXP comes a few skills and traits. Power stab, basic, high common, active, 0%. Multiplies the speed of power of stab by 1.1. Cool down 5 minutes. Got this one from a bicorn boar. My first skill with no cost, just a cooldown. Doesn't do all that much right now, but even a 10% increase will do a lot. If you stab is strong to begin with, and I can imagine that it will get much stronger at the higher levels and with a lower cooldown. Mud bath basic, low uncommon passive, 0%. Your injuries heal faster when they are covered with mud, by 1.2 times. Slightly lower chance of contracting infection and parasites from this activity. However, as for you are most purposes of an object, this skill does not affect you. It's completely useless. Climbing advanced, low uncommon, passive, 0%. You have a slightly increased ability to find handholds and footholds when climbing something, as well as a slightly increased ability to maintain grip on smaller handholds. This one was from a bear. And it started at advance, if I'm right, that means that the bear had the skill at one level above that. Expert. Bear has skills. Cat's flexibility minor. Base dexterity is multiplied by 2. Range and movement of joints increased by 1.1 times. Another stat increase for the stat that I don't use. 
I don't suppose I could get Owl's wisdom or something, but that has its own traits and skills. The majority of them have as much use for me, but I see some potential in power stab, after training it. Speaking of, I try to get Ferdinand to communicate with me with telepathy every now and again, but I can tell that his heart isn't in it. Literally, with his inexperience communicating with emotions instead of words, his lack of enthusiasm is laid bare for me to see. I eventually stop reminding him. It's his choice to make, after all. Days passed, some spent out under the sky and some in and in. Throughout it all, I am constantly improving my skills and getting stronger. But I can see that that isn't the case for Ferdinand. He is getting a bit stronger, but it is mostly from the increased stats after two level ups. And it seems to me that getting and training skills is a much better way of getting stronger and leveling up as it is. At least right now. Frustratingly, though, I haven't the foggiest clue of how he can get skills. He is a fighter, after all. You can manipulate mana, but you can't exactly manipulate your fist, can you? What am I supposed to do to get him to do? Run around really quickly or swing his sword really hard. As if, I'll have to find some sort of teacher. Problem is, though, the longer we take here, the harder it'll be to pick up any clues on Richard. Then again, nothing we can do if we're dead. I suppose we'll just see what happens when we get there. If we don't find anything, then I'll find him a teacher. And if we do find something, well, it depends on what we find. Anyways, no point threatening over that right now. Let's just go over what improved recently. Firstly, I've gotten Magic Missile to advanced proficiency. Magic Missile, advanced, low uncommon, active, 32.81%. Fires a projectile of mana, power scales with mana consumption, unable to exceed 25 mana per shot. Maximum range equals intelligence times 1.5 meters. If remotely controlled, it will have an additional cost of 0.75 mana per second. Otherwise, direction of travel is set on initial creation of shot. Experimenting with manipulating the missile into different forms and controlling their flight, rather than having them fire in a straight line, really paid dividends with proficiency really shooting up. And not only that, it netted me another skill. Mana Control Basic, Low Common Passive, 89.01%. Your practice with magic has led to an increased familiarity with handling mana. Maximum quantity of mana able to be controlled at reliably 25 mana. Minimum quantity of mana able to be controlled reliably 0.5 mana. Of course, just seeing that skill description made me realize that I've been focusing too much on maximizing power and not enough on precision. Obviously, a 0.5 magic missile isn't going to do any damage, but surely having the ability to control a minute amounts of mana is a useful one. Next, telekinesis. Telekinesis advanced, low rare, active, 0.07%. Through sigh, your mind pushes the world around you, moving objects without the need for physical contact. More sigh is required to produce greater forces, currently inefficient. There is barely any change in the description, but I have noticed the decreased sigh consumption, which is always welcomed. My revelation in the mana department led me to try similar tactics for sigh, with unfortunately little success. And last, but most definitely least, lip-reading has gotten too advanced. Meh. Still, it has helped a lot. I've still been trying to help out in every city we pass, but I've had not much success. 
At this point, I consider them being skeptical of positive response. Runt refusal is a norm, and one even had guards searching the entire building for me, unsuccessfully. And then there was the one that I couldn't contact using telepathy at all, for whatever reason. So that's that. Anyway, about a week after reaching Vokum City, we make it to Leonport City, the headquarters of the Empire's Navy. The Empire? What? An old Darth himself will be sitting on the throne. Next thing you know, someone's going to be saying, That's no moon. Not that I can see a moon, if there is one. You never know. It is an alien planet, after all. For all I know, the grass is purple and the water is bright red. But back to the task at hand. Ferdinand busies himself going through the list that he has, and I busy myself by watching random people talk. By doing this, I get pretty clear picture of the situation of the Empire over the last week. There is a lot to go through, rumors, idle conversation, and people making reports, but I have an ample time to sort through it all. The history of the Empire is simple. It was once a collection of small, independently governed territories, some containing a few cities and a few only containing one. Wars and temporary alliances were common between these territories, and as a whole, the area was in a state of constant turmoil and decline for around a half century. Then, some 130 years ago, a small territory rose up and used a small team of elite warriors and magicians to infiltrate and kidnap the influential figures of one city after another. They were subsequently forced to recognize the sovereignty of that state, which evidently came to be known as the Empire. The morality of their method of conquest is quietly questioned by some, but no historian refutes that it has led to a period of growth and prosperity for the region. In more recent news, the current emperor, whose name is neither Palpatine nor Sidious, happily, recently adopted a son and proclaimed him his heir. Naturally, this is the product of much consternation for those who want to keep it in the bloodline pure. But it is mostly accepted, as the emperor only has a single child. Who is female? What's with the medieval culture not seeing females as suitable rulers? although I've heard a place further abroad that is ruled by a queen. But the cause of concern for most people in power is that the new prince isn't some little-known bastard child of a less noble, or some orphan picked up off the streets. In fact, nobody seems to know where he's from at all. Somewhere in the impossibly mountain region of Fort Arcton and Lanesport, the wind pushes itself between the mountains, shrieking angrily towards the treacherous valleys below. So tall and sheer are these mountains that the snow can be seen glistening white upon the lofty peaks, and little more of a few hardy clumps of greenery decorate the walls. About two-thirds of the cliffside, a grimy man in worn clothing hangs by one hand from a rock, his sandals dangling precariously from his feet. The rock in his hand shifts ominously, ready to come loose at the slightest provocation. The fastest route is to go in a straight line. He puffs out, heaving himself upwards and reaching out the other arm to grab a hold of another rock above him. Even as his previous handhold breaks loose, smashing loudly and rapidly vanishing into the abyss below. And even if it's not fastest, it is definitely the most fun. He pulls himself up again, 
and with only a few more motions reaching a minuscule upcropping, turning himself about, he deftly plants his backside there, pausing to take a brief rest as his legs swing over empty air. You know that was great, he said to the wind. The wind continued to do its thing, irrespective of the grimy old men speaking to it. I haven't been in jail for a long time either. I almost wish that I'd been far more than just a knight, but then again I didn't technically do any more than cause public unrest. Speaking of, maybe I should stop laughing randomly in other people's presence. Ah, the old grimy man stands on the outcropping with only the heels of his feet on solid ground and cackles loudly as a flock of monstrous birds swoop down to attack him. End of chapter. Chapter 20. Brave Sir Fork Runs Away POV Gerald There are quite a few interesting places in the city. The docks, of course, have many boats moored, fleets of fishing vessels, hordes of merchant transport ships, and a veritable tides of galleys, caravels, and caracks, the names of which I only know from the conversations of the sailors. A theatre currently housing the enactment of a play as scores of well-dressed men and women watch on, ooing and aring in appreciation as the actors build the story to crescendo of excitement, intrigue, and ever-present element of romance. Tents and stalls set in a sprawling network, crowds milling about as vendors called out their wares of professing their quality. Regardless of their truth claims, jugglers, magicians, and sleight of hands of kind mostly, and the clowns attract their own small crowds as they perform, periodically emptying their hats and buckets quietly into a concealed purse, so that nobody notices how much money they're actually earning. Bars and taverns slowly filling in and growing more raucous as the day wears on, men emptying their pockets and their stomachs with equal frequency as they laugh or cry over games of chance. Games of skill and exaggerated stories shared between friends and strangers alike. Then there are those too busy working to enjoy those, the blacksmiths pounding metal with their hammers even after the sun has set, the jewelers inspecting, cutting and polishing precious gems, the guards watchful and cautious as they patrol the walls and the streets of the city. Carpenters, masons, architects, laborers, judges, historians, mercenary, soldiers, adventurers, travelers, tourists, citizens, and more. Too many to recount. But perhaps the most interesting places are the last two. The headquarters of the Navy, which is many people organizing the protection of the Empire's waters, as well as the wealth of information to be processed. Resources to be organized and moved and political machinations that come with it all. And the most interesting is the mage tower that overlooks the whole city, standing tall and covered with various magical patterns. At first I thought I might be able to use the mana site to look inside and lip read people learning magic, but it's not to be. Much of the studying and learning that is being done inside the tower in its magical tombs, and while the mana site is now an expert level, I can't tell the difference between ink and page. The conversation is a little better. Most of the topics being debated are too advanced for me to take anything from. It's like a kid learning basic addition, multiplication, etc., listening into a conversation between high school students learning advanced algebra and trigonometry. 
To me, it is as if they're speaking an entirely different language, even even if he knew what the words mean individually. Still, there are a few things that I learned. For instance, the main schools of magic were known as creation, destruction, restoration, alteration, summoning, and illusion. Not that I know what those mean outside of the obvious interpretations of the names themselves. After realizing the futility of it, I focused my attention elsewhere. Ferdinand is still going through his list, apparently without success so far. I wait for a while, then eventually Ferdinand stops looking for people and starts looking for an inn. I spend the night much as I had the previous ones, meditation, telekinesis, and form manipulation itself. The next morning, Ferdinand resumes where he left off, and I, when not training, observe the townsfolk out of boredom. Three days pass quickly by, and Ferdinand running out of names and hope. But finally, when he finds the second from the last person on the list, we get our lead. Richard, I saw him recently, yes. We must have been, ugh, I don't know, a week or two ago? What, he's dead? How terrible. Well, I'll tell you what little I know. Richard came to me to see if I knew anyone with the information department of the Navy that was fairly high up and discreet. Richard hadn't been around these parts for years, see, and he didn't know who was still around and who wasn't. Oh boy, this one is a storyteller. Why, yes, said I, and so do you. See, he had a few students way back in his heyday, and one of them just happens to have gotten promoted to the head of the Department of Information. So I says, you remember little Harry? And he says, yes, and I says... He's the head of information now, and he says, well, I'll be darned. That's perfect, and thanks me and heads off. Ferdinand thanks him and starts heading off. The old man calls after him, lad, you do know that Richard couldn't handle it, that you have no chance, right? Let it be. What's the point of trying to avenge him if you're just going to get yourself killed, too? But Ferdinand is already through the door. He does have a good point, you know. I initiate a telepathic link to Ferdinand. So, uh, a guy named Harry, huh? At least we managed to find something. Yes, but how am I going to talk to him? It's not like I can just walk into the headquarters of the Empire's Navy, he says in frustration. No, but I can, I remind him. Just drop me off somewhere nearby. He smiles. All right, let me just ask for directions. Turn left at the next intersection. After walking down the street for a hundred meters, turn right. Your destination will be on your left, I say. Seeing his speechlessness, I ask, What? Did you think that I was doing nothing while you were looking for people? I've already found this Harry guy, you know. You really have some powerful skills, don't you, he says. In some circumstances, yes, I admit. In others, I'm useless. After all, I can't even move without sigh or key, or fight without manner. Ferdinand drops me to the ground at the entrance of the alleyway nearby the headquarters. In a motion now familiar to me, I tunnel through the ground towards it. I'm just reaching the edge of the property when things go wrong. The earth around me compacts and solidifies, encasing me in a solid block as it starts to rise to the surface. Caught completely off guard, it takes me a second to realize what's happening, and the block is almost above the ground by the time I come to my senses and absorb my way through the bottom of it and further down into the earth below. 
I angled myself down and away from the area as I made my escape, and then returned to the surface at once I deemed myself far enough away. Well, that was unexpected. These people have stepped measures for against underground infiltrators. Sheesh. It looks like I'll have to use an alternate method. Flying is obviously out, so I'll just have to use telepathy from further away. I take a look at the place and figure out the closest I can get to him, without actually being on an area of the headquarters. It's about 30 meters away. At that distance, I have half a minute or so of talking. That's not going to be enough, is it? Still, I should give it a try first before resorting to more dangerous ways. But for now, I contact Ferdinand and instruct him to where to find me. After a short time of waiting, he walks into the alleyway and picks me up, stowing me in his backpack again. They have some sort of magic protecting the place, so I wasn't able to find anything, I admit. Ferdinand frowns. What do we do now, then? Well, I should be able to communicate with him from the outside, but the time I get to talk to him will be much shorter, and we'll have to wait. About twenty minutes so I can get my side back to full before doing it, I explain. Okay. A brief period of meditation later and I'm back to full sigh and back to the underground. This time I only you under the surface to avoid being seen, as I am currently under a busy street. I find my target initiate telepathy, briefly sighing with relief when it works. I had wondered if they might have defenses against this sort of thing too. But apparently not. Hello, uh, do you know how Richard died? I asked, trying to keep it concise. Who? Harry starts to ask before stopping himself. He died then. Yes, and I'm trying to find out who did it. Meet me at the Tipsy Sailor tonight if you can. I can't keep this up for much longer. I say, naming one of the bars in the city. I'll be there, he says, just before the sigh cuts out. All right, let's see what the night beholds for us, shall we? Harry POV. The voice confirms the suspicion that I'd been growing in my mind ever since the day I saw Richard. If he was still alive, I would have heard something, but I never did. My sleep only became more restless as time went on, to the point where my wife started asking me whether someone was wrong. But I couldn't tell her. I love her, but she just isn't any good at keeping secrets. Ironic, considering my job. I can hardly trust a psychic who didn't talk to me for even a minute, but I uh, don't think I'll be able to forgive myself if I don't go. The tipsy sailor isn't a bar I've been to before, but if I can't find something as simple as this, I may as well resign. Stepping out of the flickering glow of the street lamps and into the noisy interior, I scan the people inside, trying to figure out who exactly I'm supposed to be meeting. The table in the corner, the voice speaks into my mind again. Which corner? I ask back, hoping he's still there. In front and to your left, he says. Which is rather odd, because the person there isn't even looking at me. But I walk over, and I sit down. If things go south, I am more than capable of getting myself out. Sailing isn't the only thing that Richard taught me. The person opposite me is young, but there is a certain ruggedness to him which you don't often see in city folk. That and the sword on his belt tell me that he's a warrior by trade, mercenary or adventurer. Hello, you're a Harry, Richard's student, he says. Definitely an adventurer. His eyes aren't cold enough to be a mercenary. Yes, 
And you are? I asked inquisitively. I'm... He pauses a friend of Richard's. I'm trying to find out how he died and avenge him, if possible. The voice already said as much earlier. It is likely that the voice and this person in front of me are two separate people. Not that I makes much difference. I pull out a map of my breast pocket and unfold it. This is where he went, but other than that I don't know anything. I say, pointing to the marked location on the map. He picks it up and stows it in his backpack. Thanks. Are you sure you don't know anything else? Well, you'll probably die if you go there, Richard did. What makes you think that you'll be any different, I say? If the person who killed Richard is too strong for me, then I'll wait until I become stronger and find him again. But I can't do that if I don't know who it is in the first place. With that, he gets up and he leaves. Shrugging, I get up and start to leave myself. Behind me, the bartender calls out. You could have at least bought something if you're going to use this as a meeting place. Well, maybe just one. I sit back down and order a whiskey. The bartender smiles and pours me a mug. As I slowly drink and I listen to the conversations between the other people at the bar, perhaps I can use this opportunity to hear the latest rumors. One man at the bar is telling a story of his friend. But have you heard of the White Whirlwind? No. Then let me tell you all about him. I heard this from a sailor that came from the ship from the foreign kingdom over the sea, see? So there's this war going on between this kingdom and this other place. You don't know all the details, but there is this mercenary. Get to the point, will you? says his friend impatiently. I'm getting there, don't interrupt. So this mercenary, he doesn't wear ara, he just wears his pure white clothing, he says before his friend interrupts again. But that's stupid, he'd be dead in a second, his friend says, clearly not believing a word of it. That's the point. He entered into battle with a spear, and he gets cut through the enemy line quicker than blinking. But not a drop of blood gets on him. That's why they called him the White Whirlwind, see? He finishes triumphantly. His friend frowns. Sounds like you're trying to pull a fast one on me. The conversation after that degrades into a petty squabble and, disappointed with the lack of useful information, I finish my drink and I leave for home. POV Ferdinand The next morning we set off again. This time, unlike the others, we're traveling across an open land rather than on the roads. There aren't any roads or paths leading to the place that we're going, which is a bit odd. It's west and a bit north from Lionsport, and north is a bit east from the city where we'd been in before that. In other words, we've already gone past it on the way to Lionsport. I wish we'd known earlier. Reaching the rocky hill, I climb it and take out the map, using a high vantage point to check the landscape against the features drawn on it. After adjusting my course slightly, I climb back down on the mountain and continue on my way. Despite the soft grasses folding underneath the tough soles of my boots, the pleasant breeze drifting coolly by and the calls of the birds as they flow in flocks overhead, my heart is heavy as I walk. I do not deny the possibility, even the likelihood that my opponent this time, whoever he may be, is much stronger than I am, but with Gerald's help, I should be able to at least run away or even defeat him. But then again, maybe he's stronger than I thought. After all, not knowing how strong Richard was, I can't guess well how strong someone who defeated him may be. 
a level in the forties, the fifties. It is so far away from me that I can't even begin to contemplate how strong someone at that level might be. How high can the stats be at that level? What skills might they have? I don't know. Stuck in a state somewhere between anger and fear, resolve and indecisiveness, I wrestle my thoughts as my feet continue to plod across the land. Before I can decide whether or not I want this fight, my legs have already decided for me. I look up from the ground, and there, not far in the distance, stands what could be called a mansion if you stretch the meaning of the word. The white paint is peeling so badly that it is visible from where I stand. That might have once been in two neat hedgerows, now overtake the path between them in a mass of unkept greenery. And even the path itself has faded away into nothingness, replaced by the bare, rugged earth. This is a place that I wouldn't feel comfortable being in at night, and there is no going back now, or perhaps there is. Can I just, uh, turn around? A small voice whispers in my mind. But then Gerald speaks, shattering that guilty hope. One person in the mansion, and he knows that you're here. And he's coming out. Okay, okay, I may be panicking a bit here. Calm down, calm down. Get me out and touch me to the end of your sword, Gerald says. All right, I don't get it, but okay. I fetch the fork out of my backpack and unsheathe my sword and touch Gerald to the end of it. He shape stunts distorting, and soon the end of my blade is covered in a thin layer of mithril. This should give me the opportunity for a few surprise attacks, he explains. The door of the mansion opens and a man walks out. He is wearing loose clothing suitable for fighting and holds a spear in his side as one as he walks directly towards me. He stops about ten meters away. Who are you? I wasn't told to expect you. Nobody expects the Forkish Inquisition, shouts Gerald rather suddenly in my head, startling me somewhat. And who are you, I counter? Are you the person who killed Richard? His mouth stretches into a cruel smile. Well, looky here. Sounds like we have a rat running around somewhere. I think I know who it is. He says insinuously. But to answer your question, yes, yes I am. And what are you going to do about it? I raise my sword in response. You know you're going to die, right? He asks lazily, twirling his spear in one hand. Oh, shut up. I run at him, swinging my sword down with his arrogant head. He leans to the side and my sword passes alongside his arm. However, the swing of the opposite of his harmless, a forearm drops to the ground, severed by the body by Gerald's absorbability. Taking a few startled steps back, he stares at me in astonishment and anger, blood spurting out of the place of his torso where his arm used to be. You know, he says slowly from between gritted teeth. A red mist explodes from his body in torrents, forming a dense cloud around his body that reeks of blood. Something about it makes me feel utterly terrified. The bloody cloud contracts, forming a thin layer of glossy red liquid around him and his spear. It dulls, solidifying into a set of simple yet intimidating blood-red armor and spear. I was going to give you a quick death now, I won't give you the pleasure. Shifting one leg backwards, his bloody boots dig into the dirt. He vanishes before my eyes, only a small cloud of dust left in his wake. 
The thing I notice, the spear is piercing into my side and starting to cut its way back out. I slice towards his spear. It's a move born of desperation and a blind belief that Gerald's absorbed skill would be able to cut through the red layer and deprive him of his only weapon. Reality didn't prove to be so forgiving of my decision. My sword hits the haft of the spear and it bounces off without doing any damage, jarring my hand and even creating a small chip on the edge of my sword. His spear, on the other hand, doesn't have so much as a scratch. I couldn't absorb it. He did something. What do you see? Gerald asked telepathically in a panic. I take a few steps backwards, putting one hand to my side. He comes back with blood on it but not as much as I'd imagine from the searing pain now coming from there. The man appeared to be in examining his spear, so I figured I must have time to respond. He covered his spear and himself in some uh, red liquid thing. Gerald responds immediately. Run now. If he's covered in it, I can't do anything. Like a fool, I stand still as if rooted in place. I thought maybe you were faking being a weakling to get a cheap shot off me. But it looks like I was wrong, he says, putting a finger of blood on the tip of his spear. Turning the finger down the haft of the spear, he draws a trail of glistening crimson from the ready red surface. As he does this, his helmeted head and bowed towards his spear, as if ignoring me. You actually are a weakling, aren't you? He says, barely suppressing his laughter. And I let a weakling take my arm. He breaks into laughter and then stops abruptly. I'll kill you slowly, bastard. Run! Gerald screams in my head, shocking me out of my stupor. Just as I'm about to start running, the crimson man looks as if he's preparing to skid me alive. A grimy man with a tattered clothing that looks vaguely familiar steps between us. Hello again, he says brightly. My mouth gapes open for a second and then I desperately try to warn him. Watch out! He turns around casually and the spear sprouts from his back. My eyes widen in horror. He turns around again and says in a toothy smile splattered across the colors so dense it's almost more terrifying than the man behind him. Sorry, um, am I interrupting something? Let me just move to the side and pretend I don't exist. Having said this, he walks calmly to the one side, the spear sliding out of his body without leaving a trace, even on his clothing... What was that? What? Right, running. I turn and start running in the opposite direction to him, sheathing my sword in the process and barely did any good in the fight, but it was only hindering me while running. Gerald slips off the end into a small spike, which he then turns into and moves into the opposite direction. I'll meet you back at the city. You aren't going anywhere unless someone buys you time, after all. He says, and then cuts off the link. I almost stop, but I keep running. All I can do now is hope that both of us can get out of this alive. Gerald POV I do not think that I will enjoy this experience. Not at all. With my current psi reserves, I have maybe 20 minutes of flight via telekinesis, maybe less. Current key reserves, almost 6,000. I have no clue how much I can release in one blast before it kills me. Before now, 40 would be about as much as I used in one go. Well, no time like the present. 
While he's still confused, I fire a key blast with 100 key behind me, shooting towards him faster than I've ever moved before. He deflects me with a single swipe of his spear, sending me spiraling through the air. Regaining control of myself, I fire off 200 key behind me. The ambient mana in the air behind me shoots away, creating an area devoid of mana, and I shoot forward as though faster than speed from before. He deflects me again, seemingly without much effort. What is this thing, I see him say. Can't say the same about you. I saw what that window said when I absorbed your arm. I know what you are now. The shockwave of the air gives me an idea, an idea that I can't believe I didn't have before. Straightening myself out, I activate absorb at maximum radius, as fire 300 key behind me. The flat end of the spike that is me bends slightly, but I correct it with enough thought as I speed through the air at almost twice the speed as before. What am I absorbing? The air around me. Why am I traveling through then? A vacuum. With no air resistance, my speed won't decrease, and if I'm able to move much faster. This time, he only manages to deflect me at the very last second. 500, I even activate the power stab. I crumple into the shape close to a bullet after impact, but from the other end, I am not able to straighten myself out, and my speed is barely higher than my last try. This time, I hit him, but whatever that stuff is, it stops me dead in my tracks with little more than a slight stumble on his part. I'll have to try something else, and quick. Before he can react, I transform into a sphere to better withstand to what is ahead, and I move again, but in contact with his, uh, whatever it is. One thousand. You have lost 8.3 durability. We shoot in opposite directions for quite a distance, perhaps 50 meters, perhaps nearly 100. Distance is difficult to get a grasp on when your range of vision expands fairly often. From the looks of him, he's taken some damage from this. Is that a broken rib? Well, either way, it is nowhere near as simple as to fix the damage as me. Self-repair gained 8.3 durability. It may have instantly taken almost half my mana, but it is totally worth it. All right, Ferdinand looks like to have gotten a suitable distance away. Tunnel after him? Yeah. End of chapter. And that, my friends, concludes this video. I hope that you enjoyed. If you did, please consider supporting the author from the link down below. Otherwise, if you wish to support this channel, there are numerous ways to do so, like liking, subscribing, and possibly even becoming a patron. Otherwise, the easiest way would be to share. And until the next video, I hope that you all have a good one, and I'll see you then. Cheers.